if we were to assign Sex in the City characters <laughs> to the women yeah. of X Factor mm-hmm. investigations. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is returning guest Valentine Smith, friend of the pod, artist extraordinaire, soon to be the artist of the web original comic Blade Maidens, written by Zoe Tunnell, also a friend of the pod. I'm super excited about that collaboration. You two always work so well together. Valentine, mm-hmm. how are you today? I'm doing great. I feel like this has been on the docket for a while, so it's great to finally like sit down and get into it. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely psyched to do this one. We talked about it a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But scheduling for this show is, I mean, I have like 50 people in the queue which is great I like, mean, it's, okay it's, things are so <laughs> different like I feel like the last time we sat down together like yeah it was very different and now it's like grown into this thing we've done two t-shirts together like I know we did episode 19 I know on Sage aka Tessa this is now episode 54 yeah which is a lot of episodes since you created the famous Zaladane t-shirt, mm-hmm. Savage Land Dinosaur Magic, that has blown up the world, honestly. Like, several people, including me, showed it to Chris Claremont in New York Comic Con last week. <laughs> I ran into fans wearing it at the Comic Con. That's wild. made me feel insane. Yeah. Because I started this in the quarantine. It's still weird to me that, like, I know that the listeners exist mm-hmm. because I get the analytics. Yeah. And I also have a robust discord server that you are <laughs> yeah. a member of where they all <laughs> communicate with each other. I get paged if there's sage in there. <laughs> yeah. Like over right. a thousand people kibitzing in my discord. Yeah. They still sort of intellectually to me, like, even though it's not rational, we're just sort of like mm-hmm. people in my phone with little yeah. icons. Yeah. So to be in like a real, in the Javits center, the last time I was at the Javits center was to get vaccinated. Yeah. So it was a weird right. Moment to be back. Mm-hmm. That was already like, disorienting then i spent 45 minutes debating with chris claremont and then (laughs) yeah (laughs) oops oops i'm gonna record a patreon episode about that this week so i mean again and like if anyone listening he was so lovely he's just cranky by his own admission and it's not Mm -hmm. you know there's nothing juicy but it's it's a funny i'll tell you as much as i can remember it was a very funny conversation it'll be a fun anecdote yeah, yeah yeah and he was he gave me his card so you know nice guy <laughs> at one point he was like yelling about something and I was like Chris I, I really I sir I did not I didn't mean to ups- you're like a god to me you like are the <laughs> you like your work is like the the mm-hmm. art that I imprinted on as a child he's like no no I'm not angry with you I just think about this a lot <laughs> god motto of my <laughs> life <laughs> I know right me about 90% of X-Men things. Oh, God. Truly, <laughs> truly. And it's it's honestly, it's touching that their father mm-hmm. still cares that much. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Unlike someone's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Many fathers do not, including, you know. I got beef. 
Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get into that. Well, basically, three dads. I got beef with three dads. <laughs> I know. All of Terry's dads are terrible. Terrible. We are here today to talk about Teresa Maeve Rourke Cassidy. Yeah. Siren, briefly the second Banshee, mm-hmm. briefly the Morrigan. Actually, not so briefly. That <laughs> lasted a long she fucking time. She's been there for a while. <laughs> I know. It's funny to me that we're doing a Terry episode before a Sean episode, but that's very this podcast. Well, we did a Sage episode way before an Xavier episode. <laughs> yeah, and way before a lot of other characters yeah. you think would get. I mean, I just did a Candy Southern episode that was the longest episode yet of this podcast. And then you produced the most incredible piece of art for the second Valentine Smith X Cerebro collab the t-shirt that I called forever and ever after the last exchange and then Canny 306. I love it. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I love the Valentine grew up Albanian Orthodox. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like candy as a martyr, but it has this very like Eastern European Orthodox icon quality mm-hmm. to it. I found it very neat because it's a little different from, I think the very like Catholic imagery you see mm-hmm. a lot of the time. That shirt is available for sale now on the Tee Public Store. I am right now on the air live insofar as Valentine is sitting in front of me. Yeah. Going to note today as we're recording at 7.12 p.m. on October 19th, 2021, we have sold 60 Candy Southern Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Can you believe it? No, I can't. Thanks for investing, cool cats. Thanks for repping Southern International. Anywhere you go. One of those, actually two, I think, are Mm -hmm. mine. So we've technically sold 58 because two of them I sold to myself. I got the black, which I'm wearing now. Yeah. And I actually also got it in like the maroon wine kind of color. Because, yeah, the yellow, I think, also would look extraordinary Mm -hmm. if you are the kind of person who can wear yellow. I am a white person with like an olive skin tone. Mm -hmm. So I look ill if I wear a yellow <laughs> it pulls like that. out all the wrong so, yeah like... it's like truly hell when yeah. I wear yellow so I'm not going to buy the yellow but if you have a beautiful dark skin tone mm-hmm. for example or a very pale kind of skin tone I bet you would look great in the yellow because it brings out the design mm-hmm. you would actually I think you would probably look good in I look okay like a gold yeah it's maybe not, not so... like a mm-hmm. yellow yellow they're like uh, that's the one accent color with your hair yeah. probably yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we're going to get into Terry in just a second. But first, yeah. some business. I have two corrections. One is from the Candy Southern episode. My father actually pointed out to me, and oh I knew God. this in my head, but like in the, this is not even about Candy. <laughs> in the SNL sketch, Jewess Jeans featuring Gilda Radner, mm. which has come up now because of a conversation I had with Spencer Ackerman about Polaris and her new Jewish American princess era that I'm really enjoying in Jerry's current run of X-Men where mm-hmm. she's just taking no shit from anybody and just wants her coffee. And oh. I, for one, stand. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but also it came up because Candy is from Nassau County. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that they name drop Nassau in that song. And my father was like, no, no, no. They're referencing Nassau in the Bahamas, which in the 70s was a really, really popular, specifically Jewish tourist destination. Mm -hmm. And I've been there and it's lovely. And I did know that. But I just in my brain was like, well, there's a lot of Jews in Nassau County. (laughs) And I just like, you know, wires got crossed. But let's say perhaps it's about both. You never know. Why not? In a sliding time scale. (laughs) 
Because Nassau wasn't that Jewish in the 70s necessarily. But I'm like, in a sliding time scale, I feel like now it would be a pun or like a double entendre. About mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, in last week's episode on, or actually, <laughs> that episode was so late that it's also this week's episode. I think both of them are coming out this week. Thanks for your patience. <laughs> I had a lot going on this month. We're doing the best we can. <laughs> I edit this all myself and people yeah. reach out and they're like, do you want help editing? And I'm like, no, unfortunately, I'm a control freak. So mm-hmm. you're like, I have to fucking do it to make sure. I actually yeah. have to edit it myself. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate if you if you're one of the people who has reached out, I'm sorry I didn't reply. Mm-hmm. I just like had anxiety about saying no, but I don't. I can't. I can't allow anybody else to mm-hmm. do it. Well, it's like when I when I choose to work on my comic stuff, I do the lettering, I do the coloring, I do the inking, I do everything because you're I, like Phil Noto. You yeah. do everything. Yeah. Phil Noto doesn't letter, but he does. He does mm-hmm. the inking, the coloring, all of yeah. it. And that's because yeah. like, and that's why I think his comics look so distinctive because mm-hmm. it's like oh, yeah. always the same inker and colorist, mm-hmm. which you're not always going to get, but yeah. you are when they're the same person. So yeah, yeah, I'm the host, I'm the talent booker, I'm the podcast editor, which is why sometimes it doesn't sound so great, and other times <laughs> I'm like, this one sounds great. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's all a process. But anyway, in the Skin episode with Terry Bloss, he was talking about Hummingbird, a character I had never heard of, who apparently has crossed paths with the Scarlet Spider. And I said, oh, well, the Scarlet Spider is about to be Zeb Wells and Salin Ahmed and Kelly Thompson's new Spider-Man, because I only knew of the Scarlet Spider, Ben Riley, but apparently uh-huh. they chose to make it even more confusing. And the Scarlet Spider that was being talked about in that story was Kane, the other clone <laughs> of Peter Parker. Oh, no. <laughs> so... My apologies for getting my Scarlet Spiders mixed up. (laughs) This isn't a Spider-Man podcast. This is not a (laughs) Spider-Man podcast. And as I've said many times, I have not read a Spider-Man comic since they got rid of Mary Jane. So same. (laughs) I truly just could not tell you what the fuck's going Mm -hmm. on over there. But if anybody's going to get me to do it, it's uh, Wells probably. Like, I'll check out a couple issues. It helps that it's not Peter because then I don't have to be like, where's Mary Jane? Like, Mm -hmm. Ben's not married to Mary Jane. So that's fine. Ben Riley also, I don't know what it is. Luis Lopez, Discord moderator extraordinaire and friend of the pod. I love Luis. <laughs> we have talked about this. For some reason, Ben Riley is hotter than Peter Parker, and we don't know why. Yeah. But he is. <laughs> and actually, on Twitter, someone was just so here's the other piece of business today. The solicit for January's New Mutants. Oh, yes, came out, it did. <laughs> the labors of magic. Let's fucking go. In which Madeline Pryor is returning officially Uh, at the end of Hellions. We now know she and Ilyana are going to be tangling, apparently, for the throne of Limbo. At least that is the indication from the solicit. Now, as we know, I am more inclined to take Maddie away from the Goblin Queen stuff Mm -hmm. moving into the future. But I love the idea of Maddie and Yana interacting. Same. Because... They were the stars of the original Inferno. It was about Mm -hmm. the two of them, but they never crossed paths Mm -hmm. because they were on these individual storylines. And I'm really excited to see the Goblin Queen and the Dark Child in the same room at the same time. Yeah, I'm really excited that that's like it can get to the other place. But this as a jumping off point is great. Do this now, because first of all, Vida Ayala is a genius. Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) And second of all, my Maddie story, I want to write it. Give me a couple years to get a track (laughs) built up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Two weeks ago, I said, like, there's no person I would trust more with Maddie Pryor than yeah. Zeb Wells. Yeah. I really trust Vida. Same. Maddie Pryor. Vida could write anything. 
yeah, I'm like, well, I, I say that practically every week. Yeah, like, yeah. That's another character I'd love to see Vida Ayala tell mm-hmm. about every fucking character. I love the Yana Maddie concept there. I also love that New Mutants is the book that's maybe going to explore the fallout mm-hmm. from Maddie's resurrection more because Gabby Kinney is the one who advocated so strenuously for Maddie to come back. Yeah. Besides Alex, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, but I, oh, I bring up the Ben Riley thing though because someone on Twitter was like, the Madeline Pryor Ben Riley ship has never been closer to coming to pass. Someone was like, it's a match made in test tube heaven. <laughs> Oh, that's kind of brilliant. <laughs> Someone else was like, she does love a blonde constantly living in the shadow of his older brother. She really does. She, she really has does. a bit of a type. <laughs> she has a thing for that type. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I could see it. I wouldn't be opposed. They should at least go on a date because I think it would be funny. Fuck Can it. you imagine them like sitting at Veselka having like borscht like so? <laughs> I didn't know I needed it before, but now. <laughs> Maddie's just like, yeah, I uh, never got a chance to go to this place before I tried to burn down New York City <laughs> and then I died. So it's Whoops. really trendy now, apparently. <laughs> like the kids have rediscovered it. And Ben's like, yeah, I, I came here right after I was cloned. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you know, thinking aloud. No one has more ideas for stupid plots to do with Madeline Pryor than me. Mm-hmm. I think probably on Earth. So mm-hmm. the point is, my mind is a fire. I am thrilled. I always had faith that she would come back yeah. because Zeb set it up so beautifully at the beginning yeah. of Hellions, but I am so happy to see her back. And so many people have been tweeting at me like, you did this. And I'm like, I really don't think I did. But if I have contributed in any way to a fan reappraisal yeah, of Madeline the Pryor, resurgence. <laughs> that I feel really good about. Yeah. And I think that Zeb deserves the credit for it because yeah. it, I think his story set it off. But mm-hmm. a lot of people have told me that this show has made them go back and read all of her stuff in the 80s. I love that. That makes me feel really good. Yeah, I love the stuff that I love most. Whenever you bring up something and then somebody contacts you afterwards, like, hey, I went and read that story because you like talked about it and I was interested in it. And you're like, that's the best shit. <laughs> Sean G, the user Mr. Mind in the Discord, mm-hmm. is currently in the Discord, like live blogging his read through of all 50 appearances of Candy Souther. Yeah. And I was like, I did that. Who was mm-hmm. like, Sarah and I did that. Because, mm-hmm. like, who was ever, whoever was like, oh, I'm doing my candy thon, as though it's like a thing that people do. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know what? That's what makes me feel good is the fact that the fandom is having these really fun, positive conversations about these characters. That makes me feel good. That's sort of what I wanted to do was create a positive space. And I'm really just like, I don't know, you all amaze me all the time, everybody listening to this show. And I am just so grateful. Like Valentine said, last time we were sitting together doing this, this show had half the listenership it does now, maybe a third of Mm -hmm. it. It's pretty crazy. This is the first episode hosted by Red Circle rather than Anchor. No disrespect to Anchor. I was not lying to you when I did those ads in the last couple of weeks worth of episodes, mm-hmm. but Red Circle has offered me a pretty robust suite of advertising potential connections, and I have decided to move hosts. Yeah. But Anchor served me very well for the first 53 episodes of this podcast, and I am grateful to them for all of their help as I figured out what the fuck I was doing. That's amazing. It's so great. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff just happening lots of stuff on this show speaking of things that are happening <laughs> you could tell that we are friends because we're now like 15 minutes into the show and yeah. i haven't gotten to like the actual show yet no. so uh-oh this is going to be a, a long one i bet but <laughs> <laughs> i got time <laughs> 
yeah, I just can't let myself do that anymore. Like Sarah mm-hmm. and I were just vibing and I yeah. got a little high, honestly, like yeah. during the break. Yeah. Like, we were like, okay, it's the character file. And I like, so by the time we got to Uncanny 306, I was just like, guys, <laughs> Candy Southern, guys. <laughs> it ended up being five hours and 15 minutes. And I cut it down to four and a half mm-hmm. by cutting all the moments where I was like, shit, I need to find this page or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'll inevitably have some of those you can cut to. Yeah, oh, and we all know every episode has those. This yeah, again, yeah. why I have to edit it myself yeah. because I'm an obsessive compulsive freak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you are too, all my love and support. <laughs> anyway, today on the Twitter, I noted that I'm recording three episodes this week. Oh my God. This episode, the Celine episode, and the Magic episode. So if you're hearing this, it's too late to send in any questions for those episodes. <laughs> You've had a really long time to do it. And I have like 40 for each character. Just like when the goddess of death approaches, it's too goddamn late. (laughs) It's too late now, honey. So what I wanted to do, though, is give you guys a sneak peek of the rest of November on Cerebro. The first week's episode will be Ilyana Rasputina with Leah Williams. I'm very excited about that. It's going to be so good. Very, very excited. That's an episode I've been trying to chase down pretty much since I started the pod. But obviously she is a busy gal. Yeah, She does a thing or two. Yeah, yeah, you know, she's got a lot going on. The following week, Dr. Khaled Anas will join me for a deep dive on Soraya Kadir, a.k.a. Dust, or more recently, Congregation. I really like that character. I think Mm -hmm. that she has a lot of fascinating potential, and I am very, very excited to dig into her with Khaled, who is known to the Discord as a moderator in the Discord, but someone I've met through this podcast Mm -hmm. who's become a really great friend and a Black and Arab scholar born and raised in the Middle East. So I am just really excited to dig into this character with someone who will be able to speak to this character much more profoundly than I can. Then Dr. Stephanie Burt will return to the podcast for an episode on Warlock, the New Mutants techno-organic pal. And in an episode long-awaited, a special family-themed Thanksgiving episode of Cerebro, (laughs) Jim Goldsmith, my father, the man, the myth, the legend, will join us on the pod to talk all about his favorite X-Men villain, Sauron, Carl Lycos. going to be great. <laughs> he who flies above the savage land. I am really excited about that. He just mm-hmm. had me give him a reading order and he's going to dig into Marvel Unlimited because he hasn't read anything since like 95. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're in luck. There's not that much Sauron. He's read the I don't want to cure cancer issue. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's obsessed with that. Yeah. So I was like, he's been pretty consistently that since that issue came out (laughs) because it was so good. So I will get you all of the Sauron appearances you need. And then to round out the month, Zach Rabaroff will be returning to the podcast for (laughs) a girl boss off. No. All about Dr. Valerie Cooper. God damn it, Valerie Cooper. And there was no better time to announce that than during this episode because, (laughs) boy, do I love every scene that Terry Cassidy and Val Cooper share. It's a good fucking time. (laughs) That is a good time. That is, I will say, like, you know, for all that I rag on Peter David sometimes on this Mm -hmm. podcast, we are probably about to do it again for a few hours. (laughs) Probably. Because this character is the one I'm most annoyed about everything Mm. he did with, besides 
Wolfsbane, actually. But you well, know, you I know what? Care. <laughs> this is the thing, though. Like by the time he got a hold of Wolfsbane yeah, again for same. X Factor Investigations, yes. I was already like, I don't care about Wolfsbane mm-hmm. anymore. Whereas Siren, I was still like, yeah, she's fun, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it was not. It was not fun. So it anyway, was not fun. <laughs> Trademark. Right. <laughs> The siren story, honestly, like it was not fun. <laughs> but the one character of his that I just find to be impeccable every time she appears is the way he writes Valerie Cooper. And yep. of all Terry's stuff in X Factor Investigations, she really shines most in her scenes with other women. Yes, she does. <laughs> and <laughs> particularly her scenes with Monet, her scenes with rain actually Mm -hmm. like during the whole tear situation and most of all i think her scenes with val cooper especially Mm -hmm. around the birth of baby sean that whole sequence is so crazy Mm -hmm. and also just like val's creepy interest in her pregnancy god valerie cooper so weird (laughs) and terry is having none of it no terry's just like i don't like that woman at all (laughs) she's quite weird Friends call me Terry. You call me Teresa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's quite over familiar of you. <laughs> Dr. Cooper. I love this. My, my Irish accent is terrible. Mine is worse. You're doing fantastic. Uh, apologies <laughs> to the motherland because notably my Irish accent is bad and it's embarrassing because I'm like 70% Irish or something. <laughs> oh, People go to my 23 and me. So, you know, I was just sort of like, okay, I... Uh... We'll try. So I <laughs> I actually watched a um like a four minute video on YouTube that was like how to get the Irish accent fast. And I was like, okay, well, that's about the level of research I usually put into this show. <laughs> the level of in research terms of that voice work. Yeah, that I did. I because I was like, okay, well, it can vary from region to region. Yeah. And she's from County Mayo, and I don't yeah. know how it's specifically different, which it probably is. It is. The funniest thing, okay, this is a little tidbit. So my lady is from, she's French Canadian. She's from New Brunswick. Uh-huh. But um, her... I'm sorry. That was, <laughs> that was like a slur against French Canadian people. People like, uh-huh. But she right? doesn't have that accent. She has because like right on the like tip of New Brunswick, which is like close. It, they basically yeah. like came over from Ireland. That's actually where a lot of my ancestors yeah. stopped. And then they came down to New York and Boston. So they they all have this Northern Irish accent. So when she goes home, she gets this. Well, that's the thing. Irish I was wondering accent. if it would be like North because it's mm-hmm. the West. It's yeah, not yeah. actually it's not like the six counties, but mm-hmm. it is in the North. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know how much that. So does she have like. I'm sure it comes out more with her family, yep. but does she like have a, yeah, that's fun. It's usually fine when it's like whatever, like around, but like when we go there to like visit her family or whatever, like it comes out. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, I, I feel like that's very normal, mm-hmm, right? Yeah, it's like for when sure. you're suddenly surrounded. I mean, when I'm in the city, my accent becomes very pronounced. Yeah. Let's say. Actually, yeah. you know what's funny? I think I actually without realizing it also kind of lean into it when I'm in LA because mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like, I'm not from here. Yeah. yeah I don't know right? where I'm going. <laughs> I don't know how to drive in the city. I don't like this, you know, like, so yeah. that I feel like it's helpful. It mm-hmm. like, communicates that I'm not from around these parts. I don't do it on purpose, but I was reflecting on it the other day. Cause I was like, you know, I feel like I just lean into it when I'm out there. Why am I doing that? And then I'm like, I think it's ah. I'm a stranger in a strange land. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so that's the lineup for November. If you have questions about Dust, Warlock, Sauron, or Dr. Val Cooper, please send those to Cerebrocast at gmail.com. I'm really excited to get those 
rolling. People keep asking about the Jubilee episode. I am hoping that that will happen in December. Christina Strain is a very, very busy gal. <laughs> yeah. Being an EP like that on a TV show that's currently in production mm-hmm. is an enormous amount of work. So yeah, you don't have a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll happen. It'll happen. It'll in the meantime, someday. make sure you pick up Marvel's Voices Identity and yes. read her Jubilee story in it, and then it's you'll so be all good. caught up in time for whenever that episode does come to pass. You theoretically could send more questions on Jubilee if you wanted to, but please don't. It's been <laughs> open. I mean, I... It's been open for a while, yeah. I announced it months ago, so mm-hmm. there, I have, like, almost 70 or something. So, mm-hmm. like, don't... I, I'm good, honestly, on, on Jubilee questions. But if you have questions about those other characters who, at the moment, as we're talking, have zero questions submitted, please have at it. With that business out of the way, <laughs> only 27 minutes hey. into our recording session. <laughs> Valentine, I'm so thrilled you're back. It helps that we don't have to do your like origin story yeah. with the X-Men because we've already done that. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of, with returning guests, I can kind of bullshit more at the beginning. Yeah. But I'd love to talk about your connection with Siren and how Absolutely. you came to first encounter this character, why you love her, why you wanted to talk about her, because... I think I might have suggested it, but it was because you were posting about her for like a week at one point. Yeah. So here's the thing. <laughs> I have a, I, we had, I had a couple points here. Um, yeah. I, when we talked about doing somebody else, she was not the first person out of my mouth. I definitely said some other people. And then I said, so I was like, I could probably do siren. And you were like, yeah, let's do siren. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of characters that many people will suggest. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I have someone in mind for that already, mm-hmm. or I've already booked someone or whatever, or like I have a creator in mind yeah. or whatever, and I'm like, maybe not that person. Yeah. Like, for example, a lot of people asked if they could do Ilyana. Of course. <laughs> Every time I was like, that would be a really great episode, but I really would like to get Williams Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You know, these things happen. <laughs> these things happen. So I think like one or two of them were maybe characters like that where I already had yeah, someone kind yeah, of yeah. lined up. And then you said Siren, who's a character no one had oh my god what the hell well I but i'm saying I, that much like sage okay. is like what that's what i want like that's what Here's makes a thing. good episode is a character no one else has suggested <laughs> yeah. to me i'm like yes we do that one yeah because you care person I i'm do, talking I to do. you know i thought she was too a list for me <laughs> that's hilarious but i mean i guess like coming off the sage episode that's yeah what, like, she was, was like... one of the stars of x-force in the 90s which was yes. a really big book and then she was one of the stars of x-factor investigation She's got really double. She's got double the comic, you know, like numbers that Sage has. Yeah, no, definitely um, like at least twice <laughs> Tessa's Zaladane. Yeah, mm-hmm. she is a bigger character, which is funny to think yeah. about because. Honestly, since Peter David had her become a goddess and mm-hmm. fly off to narrate things, <laughs> yeah, and like you know, chill out in Tirnanog or whatever, mm-hmm. she had not been used at all. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until Hoxpox when we mm-hmm. see her, when we see that she is now part of Dazzler's band. Yeah. Which was great. Oh, I love that. At the big party scene. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh, Siren's back and she's not a weird, creepy zombie goddess. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. And then, of course, we're going to figure that out. <laughs> we figured that out in Leah's yeah. X Factor. Yeah. Which we'll get to. <laughs> Which we'll get to. Yeah. But that's, you know, we've got a, we have a long and we winding a long road. Way. <laughs> but that's the thing. I thought I was like, he's not going to let me do Siren. And then you were like, right away. Yes, let's do Siren. I was yeah, like, that's okay, a great idea. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, yeah. here's the gist, hon. At this point, I would let you do most people. I like, do know a lot I of mean, things. About 
I think you're associated at this point pretty profoundly with the podcast. Mm. Not that you chose that, but I commissioned some art. And I didn't now choose this life. It chose me. You are just sort of like, I think, the artist I love associate it. visually with the show. Which is wild to me. I, I love it, truly. Because, like, this stuff was made for me, too. Like, I love a character deep dive. I... I've been freelancing for years now and like I'm alone most of the day. I listen to mm-hmm. really long podcasts. That's that's for me. Like I have ADHD. I have to listen to something. And then Big like, same. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like we're kind of on that same wavelength. And when it started yeah. coming out, I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I've like been looking for, right? Well, we met because you were tweeting at me that like you were listening. You had said I loved when you were it. doing yeah. those Betsy pieces, the Betsy yeah. and Saturday and stuff. And yeah. you were like, I've been listening <laughs> to the show. And yeah. I was like, Wow. And that was the first time I was like, this show has a, there's like a reach. That I, like, look at yeah. this, like an artist is drawing like Betsy's Saturnine erotic fan art. It's not like, not erotic, like porn. I, just I mean, mean like, like that sensual. one, I did do that one comic. <laughs> yeah. Which was quite a hit where, yeah, yeah it's a little bit mm-hmm. more, so you, did, there's some, you know, there's some naughtiness mm-hmm. there, but it's fine. <laughs> I mean, you could put it in a Marvel comic. Oh, it's yeah. not like, you know, inappropriate. It's suggestive. It's suggestive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but, but the reason, so, okay. So Siren, talk to yeah, me. Yeah, so Siren. When I was younger, um, one of the first physical comics that I had, like in my like little baby collection was Uncanny X-Men 148. Oh, okay. Where, yeah. So much stuff happens in that issue. And it, she's in it for one panel, <laughs> like, no, but that was the first time I saw her too. Yeah. And it's memorable. Yeah. So she, that's the one where Spider Woman, after she's been like out committing crimes, brings her home and says, Hey, you have a dad. Siren's been out. So, yeah, so yeah. Siren, for the <laughs> listeners, if you're not familiar with it, no, 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 it's fine. For the listeners, if you're not at all familiar with this yeah. character, Siren is Banshee's long lost daughter mm-hmm. who was created by Chris Claremont and Steve Lailoa and introduced in the pages of Spider Woman when yep. Claremont wrote that book for a little bit in 1981. And she was introduced as a bad guy. Yep. With Black Tom and the Juggernaut, it turns out they're that Black running, Tom they're running around has been raising <laughs> his secret niece, yeah. who is a teenage redhead yeah. with Sean Cassidy's powers, but also they're better, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she yeah. has more stuff she can do. And she is wearing a facsimile of Banshee's costume that has been feminized and designed presumably by Black Tom just to fuck with Sean, which I think is really It's funny. a power move. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, she's joined them on their crime spree and tangles with Spider-Woman. Mm-hmm. It was a new female villain for Spider-Woman to tangle with. But after this immediate arc ends, Black Tom's like, no, 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 we did this. She is innocent. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. He does. He does care about her. And he's yeah. like, she's I'm going to I can't say I can't get her like in juvie or in jail or whatever. So I'm going to say it wasn't her right. fault. Like take her to meet her dad. She didn't like doing it. It yeah. was me. I yeah. convinced her to do it. Which true. <laughs> which like, yes. Yeah. Then he gives her a letter, mm-hmm. which is for Sean and explains to her that her father is alive. He had told her Not that her dead. father was dead. Yep. She thought she was an orphan. <laughs> she thought she was an orphan mm-hmm. and her father had never known she was born because he had not known that her mother was pregnant yep. when he was dispatched by Interpol to an undercover mission where he couldn't have any contact with his mm-hmm. family. So to be fair, she didn't know she was pregnant either. <laughs> right. She didn't know. It's not like they didn't like she was in her first trimester. They yeah. didn't know. I mean, yeah. they're, you know, it's Ireland. They're very Catholic. <laughs> Things happen. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be relevant, actually, in X Factor investigations. Yeah, it will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll discuss it. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. 
so Banshee's wife, Maeve Rourke, died in an IRA bombing yeah. while he was away. He comes back from his mission, is informed she's dead, and never knows about this daughter. And we get more of this later in the Nisiesa yeah. X-Force. Yep. But right now, in the early 80s, there is just this brief scene where Spider-Woman's like, no, let her go, and the cops let her go. Mm-hmm. You know, the Garda, whatever they're called in Ireland. <laughs> I'm probably saying it wrong. I feel like they're in New York. Oh, you're right. They're not. I was actually, like, I'm pretty sure because like they're not in Ireland. So many of her over. stories, <laughs> yeah. So many of her stories are randomly in Ireland. Yeah, but I forget which ones are not. <laughs> they took a family trip to New York to rob a bank. <laughs> right, because she's with them. Yeah. So I'm like, did they? I guess they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a bigger banks. So yeah. Get it. But that that issue has that panel in it. It also has the iconic moment of Lee Forrester and Scott Summers running around in a little little booty. Sure shirt. does. <laughs> yeah. The A plot is Scott and Lee Forrester Fantastic. just gadding about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's this very cute scene that's like two or three panels. Yeah, it's not big at all. Teresa introduces herself to Sean. She's like, "Hi, I'm Teresa Rourke. Mm-hmm. I have a letter from your cousin." Mm-hmm. And he's like, oi, a letter from Black Tom. What <laughs> nonsense could he be up to? Up to? Up to? <laughs> it's all written in like Claremont phonetics. Yeah. It explains like, I lied to you and didn't tell you mm-hmm. that Maeve was pregnant and you have a daughter who I've been raising. Oops, sorry. <laughs> and uh, here she is. And around the same time in classic X-Men, mm-hmm. which is reprinting earlier issues, oh. we get a story where... It's so weird. I mean, the thing about classic X-Men and the backups is like, it's whatever Claremont felt like writing. Mm -hmm. What's really interesting about it, honestly, is that Claremont clearly had not that much interest in Banshee as a character. He writes him out Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Yeah. But I think because of his interest in Moira and the fact that that's how he wrote Banshee out, Mm -hmm. he was like, okay, who is this guy? And so the classic X-Men flashback shows when... Some Northern Irish policemen. This is so great. <laughs> so basically, he gets stopped by some Northern Irish policemen up near Derry. Mm-hmm. They're like accusing him of being like They're a harassing him. spy. They're harassing yeah. him. And it's really fucked up. Mm-hmm. And he is rescued from Out of like, nowhere. a police brutality <laughs> moment that's clearly about to unfold yeah. by a hot chick on a motorcycle uh-huh. named Maeve Rourke. I was like, I, listen, okay, I had I had known vaguely a lot of these stories for I a knew long the backstory. Time. I had not read this until pretty Neither recently. Neither had I. And <laughs> I did not realize that Maeve Rourke was herself a Claremont Dane. I did not know either. I was like, okay, like I knew like, okay, Maeve must have been some hot shit because she Tom must have been like a cool Sean, hot yeah, chick, right? But fighting I didn't know her. that she was a Claremont gal on a motorbike. I immediately fell in love. <laughs> yeah, no, incredible character. Resurrect Maeve Rourke. Yeah. Somehow. They can do it, I believe. In they can, listen, he's, <laughs> I mean, I think he's about to have a rude awakening about Moira. So it might be yeah, nice oh for Sean if... <laughs> they just released that variant cover for inferno three where moira is literally wearing a bastion costume like in that Uh powers of 10 variant we were like that kind of looks like bastion but now it's just like no 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 under my drench coat i am Mm -hmm. literally bastion so intrigued to see what happens Mm. there but yeah she kicks him in a ditch (laughs) mave like totally whips these policemen's asses and Mm -hmm. saves him and then he to save them both reveals his sonic scream and blasts away into the sky which really startles her. They mm-hmm. get to Cassidy Keep, where she's like, I didn't know you're a lord. 
because you know she's clearly more working class and yeah. that's kind of freaks her also, out she's pissed because like they go off a cliff because they're like yeah. taking out the cars they the police it was shot a lot there's like, like a yeah there's like a big car there's, chase. A, there's a whole scene this is classic x-men 16 mm-hmm. by the way highly recommend it <laughs> it's absolutely like, i really i i had not read it until last year when i got the classic x-men omnibus mm-hmm. and i gotta say it is so good it's great <laughs> and the art is great too in that story john Bolton, i really gorgeous. Yeah. Here's the thing is like she's pissed because she ruined her best bike. Her best right. bike. Right. So like her bike, her her bike got destroyed mm-hmm. and like oh, it's this jumped up lord I just fucking saved from the cops. Mm-hmm. It's not even like, you know, someone who was in real trouble. And then she does the most badass bitch thing when Tom comes in and it is also like, oh, a lady. She dates them both. <laughs> she dates them both. That is what's truly so it's not just like Tom was in love with Maeve and therefore wanted to keep Teresa for something. Like that is what's going on. Yeah. But also she literally did date both cousins mm-hmm. and made them fight over and her. And she was close which is, with both of them too. <laughs> yeah. They, and that's the story actually is mm-hmm. Sean gets injured because the cop from earlier gets his revenge mm-hmm. and he can't meet Maeve for his date. So Tom showed mm-hmm. up instead. She's like, well, maybe Sean isn't the one mm-hmm. because you're the one who's here. And he's like really tempted to just let her think that. And he's like, all right, I have to admit Sean got hurt. He really wanted to be here with you. And I can tell that you really want to be with him. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to let it go. But you know, they remain really close friends, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's an interesting dynamic. It's also really interesting to see black Tom before he's black. Yes. Because he's this very debonair Aiden Turner in a smoking jacket mm-hmm. looking kind of guy. And it's like very smooth. He was hot. <laughs> yeah, like a hot guy. He was real. And it, that's like the canon too, is that like Tom was the hot cousin. Yes. And Sean was like the other one. Sean was like yeah. the less, impre- he was younger mm-hmm. and a redhead mm-hmm. and like not as classically yeah. handsome. Yes. And Maeve picked him. And Maeve picked Sean, right. (laughs) Tom never got over it. Mm -mm. There's an interesting bit in the Nicias X-Force where it's made very clear, like Juggernaut says this. Yeah. Maeve is the only woman Tom ever loved, which I think is a very deliberately chosen set of words by (laughs) Fabian, who confirmed on this podcast in his episode, which people should listen to if they haven't. It's a great episode Mm -hmm. because of him, not because of me. (laughs) He's just... (laughs) He's so funny. Yeah. He always viewed Kane and Tom as a couple. Mm -hmm. And that story. It's really clear in there. Well, he explains like we met in prison and he was still really torn up about this. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's very clear, I think. Yeah. The question that I have then is like if Black Tom was ever even into women Mm -hmm. or was he just. Like, is that why Maeve doesn't choose? Like, is there something that's sort of understood where it's like. He's gay and keeping up sort of this front of like sure. a playboy socialite. Like, and he really wants, like Maeve is what yeah. he's supposed to have. Yeah. And then it just, it, the but the vibe isn't right. That'd be interesting to explore. Yeah. I think this is all stuff that I'd, I'd like to explore. Yeah. Or maybe he's bisexual and yeah. like discovered that when he met Kane, like we don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. There's lots of interpretations one could have, but 
X Force Thirty One, which X-Force we'll get 31. to. Yeah, we will. We will. We'll get there. <laughs> it's a big siren issue. Yeah. We'll get there. But oh, yeah. that's where the Maeve backstory is kind of elaborated yeah. on, and it's just a really interesting dynamic. Yes, I love it between the three of them, and it's only in that classic X Men backup because mm-hmm. she's dead when Siren's introduced. Like yeah. it's already part of the backstory. Yeah. But leave it to Chris to make us really, really care about this woman who's dead when she's introduced. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not unlike Lourdes Chantel, yeah. who I think is a really memorable character also in one classic X-Men mm-hmm. backup when she's a character who's dead in the backstory already. So yeah. he's very good at doing that in a small amount of pages. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you met her in that uncanny issue yeah. where she comes to introduce herself to Sean. Yeah. She pretty quickly adds Cassidy to her name, becomes Teresa Rourke Cassidy. Tom had been raising her as Teresa Rourke. She kind of does for a little bit and then... <laughs> the tracking of Teresa's name. Um, she kind of adds Cassidy for a little bit and then she goes back to Rourke. And then of course, when you hit X Factor Investigation, she goes exclusively to Cassidy. Full Cassidy. Which is... Because Sean's dead and she's freaked out about it. He's like not dead yet, but like... <laughs> well, he's real dead real fast. He's real dead it's, real fast. <laughs> that happens in like the first arc. Yes, it is. It's within the first five or six issues of that series. I think she does Teresa Rourke Cassidy. Which is what I've called this episode. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) I have have beef with her. Just I don't I personally don't think that she would take the Rourke out ever. For sure. It should be Teresa Rourke Cassidy. Yeah. I'd call her like Terry Cassidy as shorthand. But if I'm writing it out for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had the the beginning issues and kind of when she's in the Muir Island saga, she's on Muir Island for a little bit running around with Moira and everybody. And then I missed 90s x-force most of it at the time like i just when x-force started it was very much not my artistic style choice yeah well and you were young when exactly siren was a lead really in that book yeah so i really missed that because she leaves around issue 90 yeah so 91 which is another important one that you all have to read um (laughs) there she appears a couple times after that some traumatic shit happens to her and then that becomes X-Force ecstatic and she goes over eventually to X-Factor investigation. Before that, she's one of the millions of characters that just got thrown into X-Corporation yeah. because there was nothing else <laughs> to do with them, right? I entirely forgot. I remember it because she's one of the characters in Attack on Weapon Plus. Right. Morrison I forgot story. she was there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, Which I mean, honestly, wild. like, I always forget who was there besides... Mm-hmm. Madrox and Darkstar because yeah, that's obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. the really memorable yes, part yes. but then it's also Monet and Monet's Richter there. and Siren <laughs> yeah yeah. Monet and Richter and Siren are all there together which mm-hmm. means they were all friends before mm-hmm. X-Factor Investigations mm-hmm. which is important context that I often forget yeah. when I'm reading that book which because of this podcast I've now read a lot more times than I ever planned to yeah I did it a couple times for this <laughs> <laughs> for better I mean, listen, or for worse Honestly, up until Messiah Complex, apart from some Siren stuff I don't like, which we'll get into, mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty solid read. Yeah. It's the adult Layla years There's that I just things can't in there fuck with. That you know? because I love this character, I like to talk about or extrapolate on or pull on to do hopefully different things with her in the future. But, you know, that's... There's no, like, you have to read this. You really don't. <laughs> you really don't. Yeah. I'll cover all the bases for you. 
I think it's on some level a little bit like worth reading because it was such a zeitgeist. Yeah. Book, like to understand yeah, sure. how the franchise if, evolved. If you but want to like, if that's the reason you like want to read From a it, historical yes. perspective. Which is what I basically like did now. Like I was reading. And was obviously reading is what this time. whole stupid show is about. Yeah. Like right? I do. I love that. <laughs> yeah. But if you're just reading for like, actually like this is a <laughs> good book to read I, yeah i just i think that it's aged really badly yes it has in a way that most x-men books like all x-men books because x-men is a political franchise yeah. age a little weird mm-hmm. but like god loves man kills is still a great read yeah parts of it have aged badly mm-hmm. but it's a really great read mm-hmm. x-factor investigations i gotta i I recently revisited a bunch for this show. Yep. I do not think it holds up. I don't know. You know, it's a shame because there's like 150 issues of it and it would be nice. Oh, it really is, isn't there? <laughs> Every time I count it, because like I did the full reread front to back twice for this and then kind of pulled things here and there that I wanted to read. That's crazy, on. but I love you for I doing know. <laughs> but here's, okay, so here's the other thing. So that like I had this like youthful attachment to her. Right. And uh, like, because I've been prepping for this for a while, I've been kind of thinking about like maybe why that is. And I, I thought, I definitely thought she was like very tough. Like she's very tough. She is, in yeah. X Factor Investigations, especially like in that beginning, which I would have hit at a formative age where like a lot of bad shit happens to her, but she still keeps going. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> I know that we've, I feel like we've compared it a lot to like <laughs> X Factor Investigations is like a horror movie. Yeah. And you're just watching everybody like get fucked up and like traumatized. And like, that's the entire book. And what it, like, I grew up on comics and horror movies that we've talked about. And what is she but a literal scream queen? <laughs> yeah. She is literally just yeah. <laughs> in the middle of hellacious shit that is constantly happening to her. Constantly. She, I think, mm-hmm. you know, Rain also. Yeah. They get it the she, worst of anybody. She, like, Rain isn't there for the whole time, though. And no, Rain just di- Rain dips in and out. Up. And whenever Rain shows up, something bad yeah. is happening to her. But she's yeah. not always in the book. Yeah. Bad yeah. things are happening to her in Kyost X-Force. Yeah. Instead. Like, yeah. bad things are generally happening, but not always in X-Force. Oh, God. Terry, yeah. until the moment she leaves for a bit, mm-hmm. literally everything that happens to her is just nightmare fucking terrible from, from start she's to living finish. in a haunted house of horrors yeah it's truly horrible mm-hmm. and the only light is monet yeah i've been thinking about why i didn't feel as much of an attachment to her okay, as i did to a lot of the other female characters when i was growing up and mm-hmm. i think that it's a couple things one is the spelling of her code name has always bothered me yeah <laughs> and that's very pedantic of me I don't know why it's Chris Claremont loves a Y. Mm-hmm. Madeline Pryor <laughs> has a Y. Elitis Forrester mm-hmm. has two Ys in Elitis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he enjoys a Y moment mm-hmm. when it's not strictly necessary. But Siren with a Y You're not is very it. strange. <laughs> okay. I'm, I just, it's not, I'm not a huge fan. I Now at this point, it's so associated with the character. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say for her SEO, it's fantastic. Yeah, good job, Nothing Terry. else is going to come up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't understand why it's not just me. Yeah. It's kind of the same with Richter. <laughs> You're like, mm. Yeah, I mean, Havoc. Yeah, Havoc. There we go. Yeah. I get She's it though, because like with that, 
the K is more dramatic to end it. Like I yeah. get, it's like Psylocke has an E on the end. Yeah. And like yeah. there's no reason for that. Also like Psylocke doesn't mean anything, but it's a psyche Psylocke yeah. joke because Chris Claremont loves a pun. Who doesn't? <laughs> you know, but it's just like, he spells it with an E on the end because it makes it fit more feminine. Mm-hmm. Like he liked to do that. Kind, Cause like Betsy would put an E on the end of it mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. You know, like it's that kind of thing. So I get it, but I don't understand why Terry would spell it with a Y. I don't know. Um, I don't but know. it's also it's maybe, it's, maybe it was Tom. Tom gave her the like code name. Maybe right? Tom was just like, we're giving it to a Y. Fuck it's it. spicy. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. So that was that was my like first thing. And then the whole reason that I had really I knew I was gonna do this reread for a long time. Something that like I haven't really talked about. I'm three and a half years sober. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Congratulations. So, first you. of all, that's a big it's a big one. Yeah. So I knew that eventually I was going to be doing this because the reason I got back into comics was because I got sober. I got sober and then I realized I didn't do any of the things I used to love anymore. I got hobbies back. I didn't have any hobbies. Like I was just like working and like doing whatever. Well, it becomes the hobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. When it's a problem. Yes. So I was like, I wonder what, like, I was like, I could do some X-Men. I I loved the X-Men. I loved the X-Men. I was like something that I was doing a lot in my like youth. Like I grew up with these comics and it just fell away. And then I realized it was gone. I was like, well, why am I not interested in this anymore? And I was. <laughs> so I started doing this like, like side project thing of like just rereading all my old comics and stuff. And then that was about like a year in. And then I started writing little like, side projects for myself like emma shit because <laughs> mm-hmm. i was interested in that and then i read the x-men black emma frost issue yeah and that's what got me back into modern comics like that issue in particular <laughs> i mean i will say i talked about that issue on my guest spot on battle of the Atom. Mm-hmm. I really like it. I don't like it as much as what if magic which is why yeah I yeah, yeah really yeah. wanted leah yeah it's a good time they came out the same day, which yeah. is wild. And I believe it was, weren't they her first like work for Marvel? This one shot? I feel like there was the there was like one beforehand that was like. Did she uh, do something before that? Duh, duh, duh. I want to say it, it was, was certainly when I first became aware of her, but I yeah. only really follow X-Men stuff. So yeah, exactly. That doesn't mean anything necessarily. It means like it was her first I was, X-Men. I didn't know what was going on. Right. <laughs> I think that the X-Men Black Emma Frost issue mm-hmm. is special in a very particular way, which is that. There is just something very different about allowing a woman to write these characters. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it has happened before at times. Louise Simonson yeah. wrote Jean in X Factor for years. She wrote The New Mutants for quite some time. Annie Nascenti has written X-Men stuff. But particularly in the 21st century, we really haven't seen mm-hmm. much of it yeah. at all. Yeah. Apart from like little things here and there. Just having a woman write Emma Frost yeah. specifically, who was a character that had really only ever been written by men apart from the yep. classic X-Men backup yep. that Nascenti did, that is similarly really fascinating. It's so good. <laughs> right. Like, there's something about that that I really think, it just felt like a, a moment to mm-hmm. me. I yeah. was just sort of like, that's nice. Yes, It's it just is. nice to see that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, so that happened. And then like, I was, they were like, hot spots, it's just happened. This is one thing, actually. <laughs> this is one thing. I'm not going to save this for the Patreon. This is one exchange that I have with Chris Claremont that Ooh, really, exclusive. I thought, 
was really cool. Mm -hmm. You know, he was being crabby as he admittedly, by his own admission, often is about anyone else writing his characters because it is not his favorite thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that my friend is writing Betsy in Excalibur and that I think it's about the closest anyone's ever come to his Betsy from the 80s, who's the character that I really love so much. And he said, well, is your friend a man or a woman? And I said, oh, she's a woman. And he said, oh, well... Okay. He clearly thought that was cool. He thought that was cool. Do you know what I'm saying? He's like, like I'll allow it. Yeah. That's a perspective I don't have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I thought that yeah. was really cool of him. And yeah. I thought that it was just a cool moment because Betsy has been written by like three women mm -hmm. ever. Yeah. In all of her 40 odd years of publication. So, yeah. you know, that's just something about X and Black Emma Frost that I thought was really cool. But yeah. it also is just a really great issue. So yeah, I thought it was hurt. I thought it was a great time. And then I started like I was I started getting to like I figured out that digital comics were thing. <laughs> and then I that's started super doing, helpful to get back yeah, in. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I was collecting again and kind of doing my little side project stuff. And I did that for about a year. And then I realized um, that there there was an X Twitter. <laughs> I realized that there were X-Men people on Twitter and I was like, oh my God. I honestly didn't really know that either. And I, I had like no doing idea. this podcast, I've discovered like a whole new world and it's sometimes mm -hmm. a little crazy. I mean, I've, I've had yeah. to learn to get more comfortable with the block button, mm -hmm. which I don't like using because it always it feels like you're like eating something. You're like, oh, I, like, because then they're like, oh, I bothered you so much that you, it's like, mm -hmm. no, like you're just mean and I don't like that mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. yeah like first of all i don't yeah. want to argue with people on twitter that does not interest me whatsoever Same. but also <laughs> if you're in like jerry duggan's mentions being a dick i like that's just not energy i want yeah you're allowed to not like i use jerry as an example because yeah. he's on twitter a lot but it's not just jerry obviously yeah, yeah 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 right i think that the women and vita get it worse than anybody oh yeah but you know i just i don't want to see that i don't want that in my space mm -hmm. What I've also found, and this is hard to find on the internet generally, yeah. but also like particularly on Twitter, which is a platform I use a lot for my day job. There is a really lovely, fun, supportive X-Men fan community on Twitter. Yeah, there really is. It's there just is. like a really lovely space where a lot of like particularly like queer X-Twitter. That's the thing is something really special I think yeah I so when I was like into it before like I it never dawned on me that there would be a, like a queer x-men community that I could talk to about the subtext that was going on and like suddenly I, I was know like, oh I felt so alone about it but yeah. then retrospectively it's like oh of course there are millions of other people yes. who have this exact reading experience <laughs> yeah. you yeah, know what exactly. I mean like <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of built for that <laughs> when I talk to my dad about this show mm -hmm. it's actually interesting because it's interesting for a lot of reasons, but one thing that has been standing out lately to him and to me is he's just sort of like all of that stuff flew completely over my head when mm -hmm. I was reading. Like he didn't get that stuff. Yeah, this is the this is what the conversation I had with my dad. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he's like, I've met like two transgender people in my entire life. He's like, so hearing all of these gay people, queer people, trans people coming on to mm -hmm. your show and talking about all of this stuff that they got out of these stories. He's like, it's as fascinating to me as hearing your guests who are black. Mm -hmm. He's like, because these are things that I just didn't get. But what's mm -hmm. so shocking to me and not at this point, because I've been doing the show for over a yeah. year, but which that's crazy to say. Wow. But Woo! every, um, <laughs> almost everybody I talk to, like every queer person who mm -hmm. comes on this show has a similar, like even if what we took out of it was different, yeah. it's a very similar experience of looking at this particular franchise yes. and saying, wow, this sees me like this is looking at me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, that's what I mean. We talked about my experience. My experience was that. Yeah. Yeah. And then for, um, go back to the Sage episode. If you haven't heard it, it's fucking (laughs) great. Go back to the Sage episode. I actually, I will say, I don't take credit for the resurgence of Madeline Pryor because I think that the Hellions 3 did that. Mm -hmm. I 100% take credit for the resurgence of Sage. We did that. (laughs) We did that. We, you and I did that. Yes. We talked for a couple hours about Sage uh-huh. and Sage became a subject of all this fan art and stuff. And that yeah. was not happening. No, it wasn't. And I think that it, was us. It warmed my heart so much. And it warms my heart <laughs> every day that like somebody pings me with the Hey Sage panel. I'm like, this is all I wanted out of life. Yeah, we did this because we yeah. decided to do that episode because we both were like, there's this mm-hmm. one panel I really love. And it was the High Sage. Like we, mm-hmm. we both instinctively knew which one because mm-hmm. that panel mm-hmm. that's murder the one at the mansion from murder at the yeah. fucking mansion yeah. yes yeah phil jimenez the god yeah so <laughs> anyway anyway so i was already doing this terry exclusive read through when we were we were talking about doing this i was doing it because it was on my docket to do i was like i'm gonna do yeah. this at some point because this is important to me i'm gonna do a terry read through i'm gonna do a brian read through because i feel like i'm gonna have a lot of feelings about this being that it's like tied up in my own sobriety and like yeah. uh, reading comics and that int- like you know what I mean so X Force eighteen hits <laughs> and Sage after our episode after our episode and we're talking where we about talked it. about how we wouldn't be surprised if she was using substances because <laughs> yes, it would compensate for I her racing at that brain and I was like honey uh, it was weird to grow up with a character and loving a character and then you have this life thing happen to you where you realize you're like an alcoholic. And then there's an issue where the character ruminates she over whether she, she is an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, honey, she, I already went through this. It's going to be terrible for you. I know. She's like, wait, am I an alcoholic? Right. Yeah. Like, I'm but like, the fact that we had said <laughs> that that was a plot we'd be interested to see. I, yeah. I felt very like Moira McTaggart would prevent my resurrection. Yeah. When right? that issue came out. I was like, <laughs> Valentine and I literally talked about how we thought it like an yeah. alcoholism arc for Sage. Yeah. So that, so that issue hits, which if, if you're not familiar, we haven't read it yet. Um, Sage pretty dives pretty heavily into she's at the green lagoon she's drinking a lot i don't love a lot of the issue but that last page ends with a data page of her reflecting just her like written word and i had a reaction to that it's beautiful i mean you can tell that ben percy (laughs) is a successful novelist also because the data pages really are the prose in them is lovely yes and i like definitely have like one or two copies of that because i'm going to tear out the back page and like yeah to face a comic book um which my father would hate um and like put it up somewhere because it's very important to me so that hits right that comes out in march 17th my sobriety date is March 23rd. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you need to, you need to pick this up. We're going to do the Terry reread now. We're going to do the like, Terry. Cause Terry, if the listeners yes. have not inferred yet, Terry is probably the most prominent example in the yes. X-Men franchise of an alcoholic mm-hmm. in recovery, mm-hmm. which is an arc that unfolds in the nineties, yep. but continues very much through X-Factor. Yep. One of her best scenes with Val Cooper is actually when Val thinks she's drinking. Again. Yeah. <laughs> That's an aspect of the character mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. Brian Braddock has come up on the show before yeah. because this is a Braddock heavy podcast yeah. because I love Excalibur. Yeah. But Brian has never been as important a character to the franchise no. as Terry. And he's also like, I didn't, I didn't connect with it. I don't connect with him. Yeah, right. Much. No, like, of course. Well, <laughs> you know he's, what I mean? <laughs> he's kind of an asshole. Well, that's the point, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Is like that yeah. story. And I do think that both of those stories, his and Terry's, mm-hmm. are much better than the alcoholism stories that you often get in comic books where it's very 
after school special. Exactly. It doesn't feel that way with them. Like, is Brian an asshole because he's drinking? Yes. But is that like the root of why he behaves (laughs) badly? You can be an asshole without being an alcoholic. Correct. And so like he gets sober and also learns not to be a dick. Mm -hmm. And there's sort of journeys that Mm -hmm. occur together. Yeah. Part of it is that he realizes that the alcohol is making him treat his mm-hmm. girlfriend. It's not good badly. for him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, while that's not an excuse, it mm-hmm. is an explanation. It's something actionable that he can do. Yeah. For Terry, I think what I like most about Terry now as mm-hmm. an adult, and it's something that to go back to what yeah. I was saying, apart from the spelling of her name, <laughs> I think is why I wasn't that drawn to her when I was young Mm -hmm. is that Terry is really messy. She's so, their whole family is dramatic and she's messy and she's mean and she's angry. She's allowed to be angry. Yeah. And she's allowed, particularly in the Niciesa Mm X-Force, which I didn't read that heavily when I was a kid because X-Force also aesthetically was like not my bag. There were other books. It was a boy book and I didn't want to read it. Exactly. We were on the same page. (laughs) We were on the same page, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when I did dip in because of like a crossover, like Executioner's Song Mm -hmm. or something, she just, she's messy. She Mm -hmm. has this really nasty temper. Yeah. She is not... There's nothing glamorous about her. Mm -hmm. And I think that the ex-women, like the Claremont women that I was drawn to, had this sort of grandeur to them. Like, no one is more grand than Storm. Mm -hmm. Betsy is a supermodel. Like, (laughs) there was this certain, you know, almost ethereal quality to some Mm -hmm. of those characters. And I think that Siren is a much earthier character. Yeah. Like, you can't really escape her humanity ever. Like, she doesn't have ascended goddess type moments until she does (laughs) and it doesn't work (laughs) but that's why it doesn't work Mm -hmm. like it's natural for jean gray to evolve into the phoenix Mm -hmm. it is natural for storm to become the regent of soul yeah it is a really weird thing to have Teresa rourke cassidy become some kind of higher being because she is so lower being Mm -hmm. wise like she is a very almost primal character she feels like she Mm -hmm. has this really robust sexuality humanity yes she has emotions yeah you know and i think that for a female character in the 90s in particular Niciesa's siren is notable for how little she is punished in the narrative for being a bitch and a slut Mm-hmm. You know, she's a, she drinks too much. She's hitting on cable. She's like 18. <laughs> she hits on cable. She hits on Shatterstar. She's she, desperately trying to fuck Shatterstar and he's thing. not interested she's, because at the time yeah. he was supposed to be gay, right? So yeah, he doesn't get it. He's, um, <laughs> she is very self-destructive in a way that a lot of the other women weren't. Weren't, yeah. Yes. And it weren't really allowed to be. And yeah. I think that the closest that you get otherwise would be Rogue. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, I have, oh, I have things to talk about with those two. <laughs> And I would say 90s Rogue turned me off uh-huh. because there was something really histrionic about her that mm-hmm. I found yeah. frustrating. I wanted to shake her. Yeah. I wanted to be like, get it together. And that's sort of also, I think, how I felt about Terry. Yeah. And 
weirdly, it's also, that's very much like Lorna's thing. Yeah. Also, right. Yes. But Lorna, I've always felt very drawn to. And I think, again, it's maybe because there's a glamour to Polaris. Mm -hmm. There is like that, like sort of witchy, like. Yeah. Goddessy type thing. She's yeah. got green hair. That's not like. Right. She feels like sort of supernatural. <laughs> yeah. And Siren, despite the associations, much like her father, despite having mm -hmm. a code name from mythology, mm -hmm. is one of the more down to earth characters. Mm -hmm. And I think that that at the time didn't interest me as much. Mm -hmm. I liked these sort of larger than life super goddesses. Mm -hmm. But as an adult who is myself not necessarily a glamorous goddess all the time, <laughs> there's something when I'm rereading that I find mm -hmm. very appealing about this character. Yeah. Because of the fact that she is allowed to be a really three-dimensional, complex and flawed female character. Yeah. If we were to assign Sex in the City characters <laughs> to the women of yeah. X Factor investigations, mm -hmm. Monet is the Samantha, mm -hmm. Valerie Cooper is the Miranda, mm -hmm. Wolf Spain is the Charlotte. Yeah. Oh my God. Wolf Spain is Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> and Siren is a Carrie. And I yeah. also, I watched Sex in the City with my mom when I was like 12 every week, uh -huh. which was probably like, you know. <laughs> You, it's one of those things you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, that probably informs some shit. <laughs> My parents, I will say, this is something that I really respect about them. I was not allowed to watch really violent stuff, mm -hmm. but they had no problem with sex as long as it wasn't like, you know, again, violent. Yeah, 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 yeah. My mother has always said the idea that we're letting kids watch super violent whatever, but they can't see a boob is crazy to me. Mm -hmm. So that was right, sort of right. the attitude yeah. in my house. Yeah. When I watched Sex in the City, when it aired, when I was mm -hmm. young, I really had trouble with Carrie. Mm -hmm. This is not a Sex in the City podcast, but Carrie is a character that I think a lot of people have trouble with. She's mm -hmm. difficult. She does things that are just wrong and bad and not nice to her friends. Mm -hmm. And yet she's the main character. So you have to follow her. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like, God, I kind of hate her by like the end of the show. <laughs> but I think that women are held to that standard mm -hmm. in a more profound way. Of having to be likable. Yeah, like I don't like Tony Soprano either, <laughs> but I don't have trouble with Tony yeah. Soprano. I'm just and like, this not, show's genius. Yeah. Whereas Carrie, I'm like, Carrie, stop being such a bitch. Which like, <laughs> yeah. that is in, that's an internalized thing where like mm -hmm. this woman is, I, in my lizard brain, I'm like, this woman shouldn't be behaving this way. I think, yeah, right? I think we all have that instinctive mm -hmm. kind of reaction to characters like this. But as an adult, I appreciate them much more. I like a female character who has no compunction about being likable. And that's actually what I always liked about Betsy. Yeah, she just also had exactly. like, and, and Emma, they just yeah. also had like sort of the glamorous drag queeny element, but they were always like, you think I'm evil? Mm -hmm. Deal with it. Fuck it. I don't give a shit what you think. <laughs> but with Terry, it's not like, oh, I had a supervillain phase or it's not like, oh, sometimes I like I'm an assassin. It's like sometimes I like vomit until I can't move and then like roll around in it and then wake up and I can't remember what happened yesterday. Yeah. And like, oops, I cheated on someone or whatever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> which that's Carrie. That is not, yeah. uh, you know, Terry doesn't cheat on anybody. But no, she does. I don't think she does. Of all the yeah. things that she does, that's not one. But, yeah. you know, there... It was not, it was not glam. Mm -hmm. But now I think that's really cool because yeah. she's the sexy one on the team is the thing. Yes, like in terms is, of the comic. She's very thirsty all the time. And she's, yeah. she's not, she's not hiding that. <laughs> but it's kind of a precursor to like the sort of archetype that you see now on a show like Two Broke Girls mm -hmm. or like 
any Jennifer Lawrence character where it's just like, <laughs> I'm the hottest girl you've ever seen, but I'm a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Terry is hot, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the character who looks like that in a 90s mm-hmm. comic usually would not be allowed to be so unglamorous, yeah. to be so human, mm-hmm. because especially in the 90s when they're all like doing their poses. Yeah. The bad girl was sort of, it was more like, you know, Electra in that time period is like very much a cipher yeah. who's just like hot. As opposed to the original Frank Miller stuff, to be clear. I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. not, like, <laughs> that I have in Omni and I love it. So. When she's on that team, it's Tabitha and Farrell and Domino and then Terry. Right. <laughs> and Domino's like hot also, but she's like a grown woman. It's a she, different she's vibe. She's capable the, of like yeah. being a person. Terry is like... And she's like a MILF is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, to the reader, to the intended she's reader of these comics who Domino is like a teenage is a milf. boy. <laughs> Domino is, yeah, yeah, she's like, she's not, yeah. it's not the same because she's not part of the student messy. class. And Tabby is, yeah, Tabby is like immature. Yes, yes, yes. If you are looking for a hot girl on the team, it's Terry. Mm-hmm. But then Terry is the one who it's funny because we associate this with Boom Boom more now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, ever since Next Wave. Mm-hmm. But in the 90s, Boom Boom is a much more played straight kind of character. She's they turn her into skids, basically. Yeah. Like she yeah. just becomes kind of like a Jean Grey in training yeah. sort of who's like has her moments of like being, a you know, a mall rat, but she's there with a she, little quip. She's there to like bring yeah. some zest. And then but she turns into Buffy basically yeah, yeah. like quippy, but I'm a hero. She gets you the know? job like, done. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Terry is just a shit show. The entire <laughs> time. A shit show Despite so being much. officially the deputy leader of the team. And she's good at leading. She is but here's very the good thing. at it. But her personal life is <laughs> a, a mess. Disaster. And like, how relatable is that? Is that you can like, I, I, I relate to this. I was a very, I'm a very capable professional to get my shit done. And then like your personal life, you're fucking like crumbling. Right. You're like, oh God, I'm more successful than ever this year. But wait. Everything. What sucks. is going on in my life? <laughs> yeah, like I hate everything that happens after five. And PM. someone just broke up with me, and this terrible right. thing happened, and like I feel terrible, and yet I have to go to this event tomorrow. You know, like that's the vibe that Terry's giving, and she's. Not I mean, like- her love life is very funny. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> So in the early 90s, Warpath is in love with her, but she just sees him as a friend. She, yeah. Well, okay. The, or so she says. Or this so is what she, she says. says. Right. I think she's afraid of having a serious relationship. And so she blows him off. Oh, 100%. She says, you know, oh, I'm not, it's not like that for me or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then when Risque shows up, because <laughs> Warpath is basically like the lead he's of the book hot. <laughs> Yeah, he becomes the lead of the book. He's a hot hunk boy. Who, he's so who's hot. so sensitive and like talks about his feelings. And you're like, oh, my God. You're I know. And he's like, you think it was easy for me, Terry, when my whole family died? You know, yeah. you're like, okay, this is... He's serious. He's soulful. He's emotional. Mm -hmm. He's so big. And she likes him buff. She sure does. She likes him buff. (laughs) Listen, when you're raised by Black Tom Cassidy, Mm -hmm. you come by it naturally. (laughs) Yeah, there it is. At Uncle Kane, and that's Mm -hmm. what you know that you want, Mm -hmm. right? But she turns him down. Yeah, multiple times. Yeah, and then you see us around like throughout it. She's just like, I really want to keep it platonic. And then the minute in the Jeff Loeb run that Risque shows up Mm -hmm. and starts vamping all over <laughs> Jimmy Proudstar. <laughs> totally that. Oh, I love her. Yeah. I'm thrilled that she's <laughs> yeah, back. I'm thrilled that she's yeah, back. Right. That character is great. <laughs> the only reason she went out of publication was because like Grant Morrison clearly like spun a wheel of like, who are some characters I've never heard of that I can kill off. Yeah, off right, right, right. 
they didn't read the 90s stuff. So they were like, yeah. I don't know, this character, risque, she's dead. And then she was just dead. Again, like a casualty of ex-corporation. <laughs> where Damn every character of the 90s went to die. <laughs> Terry immediately is like, oh, wait, I'm super jealous. She's what like, oh, that? my God, what did I do? Fuck. <laughs> right. Shit, I do like him. Oh, Faith and Bagora, I do. <laughs> you know, like, I do like him. I do. Yeah. In that beginning part, she has so much. I do. She has so many abandonment issues. She has so much self-loathing. She doesn't date Jimmy because he's a good dude. And she thinks that by like being. She is punishing herself. Yeah. She's like, I will make you worse. The parallel in X-Force 31, which we'll get to, I think after the file, we'll dig into like favorite tales. But there is that moment where she realizes that she is just doing what black tom does yeah she's perpetuating become a criminal because you've decided like yeah oh my mother rejected him so he became a criminal Mm -hmm. because he felt he wasn't deserving of anyone so he's like i'm gonna be the worst criminal that has ever existed i'm gonna give you all a reason to reject (laughs) me right yeah she's like oh that's what i'm doing (laughs) 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 but still at the end of the issue she's like but you know jimmy it's not uh it's not to be Mm-hmm. which is so stupid. She has one move. <laughs> and that is, hey, do you want to come back to Cassidy Keep with me? <laughs> she does love to invite a boy back. To- she does that to Deadpool. She does that boy. to Monet. She sure does. She sure does. <laughs> she says, I'm having a tough time. Why don't we just go back to Cassidy Keep? I'm in a tough time. Do you want to come back to Cassidy Keep with me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That accent just got real weird. It got like Australian there at the end. I'm gonna, I, I give, I give up. I'm gonna hit. Time. I feel like you're gonna try again later. <laughs> I will try again later, but I'm, I'm just, we're gonna, oof, take a breath. That's bad, and I'm embarrassed when it's bad because, like, I'm not from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. If that accent's terrible, I don't care. But like, my ancestors hail from the Emerald Isle, <laughs> and I feel like I should be able to do the accent. Yeah, right. Anyhow, anyway. it has been like 250 years, yeah. so I feel like I, you know, should cut myself a little slack. But yeah. Anyway. yeah so what happens after that is that she pivots into the deadpool solo (laughs) stuff that nicias was doing i'm sorry i just made that noise (laughs) no i get it so i don't like deadpool generally i'm not a deadpool person it's just not for me if you like it it's cool that's what i'm saying it's not it's not bad it's just not my sense of yeah is just the bottom line at the end like i don't like the three stooges either yeah it's just not me yeah and guess what lots of people do so it's just that's just not my thing. My issue, my issue with the Deadpool thing is that he is very creepy to her about it. He watches he her sleep all the time when she doesn't know he's there. And that's fucking weird. <laughs> and I don't like the, I don't like the trope of like, you get this a lot in superhero comics where mm-hmm. the male hero is in some way hideous to look upon. Yeah. And Deadpool's entire body is like horrifically scarred by mm-hmm. his super cancer and this beautiful woman, he deserves her because of the beauty of his heart or whatever. I just feel like this happens a lot. With And I just... She kind of gets shoehorned in there into that. I don't like that, these like you know. hot girls being a prize for yeah. like, your noble spirit or whatever. Like, Those just, stories aren't about her. Yeah, you know? not to suggest that you don't deserve love if you have mm-hmm. scars on your face. I'm just saying like it contributes to a trope that I think like Hank McCoy is also often mm-hmm. like used for this yeah that just doesn't speak to me personally yeah i'm just sort of like girl like you don't need to be with this guy who's creepy to you and like also won't take his mask off because he has scars all over his face it it becomes a story about him and she's just like an accessory and that's it 
you know? But, you know, I do think that it added a level of interest to the character sure. on some level to fans generally. Like, yeah. I think a lot of people like Siren because they love Deadpool, mm-hmm. which is an interesting yeah, that's wild. <laughs> side thing. I know, right? To me, who came about it a different way, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, but also it establishes that she's not shallow. Mm-hmm. So that's where that trope that kind of annoys me Mm -hmm. also, though, does characterize her in a way that's interesting, which is that, like, she doesn't care that Deadpool has scarring over 99% Mm -hmm. of his body. She thinks he's a good guy. She does have a good heart deep down. Yeah. Yeah. And so you don't need to look like Jimmy Proudstar or (laughs) Jamie Madrox, who Jamie Madrox is like boy next door hot, but he's definitely hot. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I mean, that's that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Like, he's he doesn't ever think about the consequences of his hotness. Like he doesn't think about the consequences. He doesn't. And it's very much like, because he was raised in isolation mm-hmm. and like, isn't properly socialized, but he also lives in like a hot bubble. Like mm-hmm. that episode of 30 rock. Mm-hmm. He's not quite that hot. That's like Warren Worthington. hot. Yeah, like, yeah. 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 Exactly. He's a classically good looking guy who doesn't think about what having like five of himself sitting around a room does to anybody who might be attracted to mm-hmm. him. How it's like a weird situation to be in. Yeah. Terry has just never had a good love life situation going on. Nope. Because even before she and Jamie really get together in X Factor Investigations, we didn't even talk about Fallen Angels. Deadpool, <laughs> there is, of course, Fallen Angels. Yeah. Fallen Angels is wild in it's a lot a of different ways. Funky time. <laughs> But one thing I do like about it is the relationship that starts to build between Terry and Jamie in that book. And for some reason, Peter David clearly really hated it because there's this retcon done early in it's around Executioner's song. It's in it. It's established. I mean, it had already been established early in X Factor, I guess is what I mean. But like in Executioner's song, she finds out. Mm -hmm. But it's established very quickly in X Factor in some of the first David issues Mm -hmm. that the multiple man from Fallen Angels was an imposter. Mm-hmm. She was dating a dupe. <laughs> yeah. And so you'd think that that happening to you the first time when he's like, so I simply I not, would not have gone there again. <laughs> yeah. When he's like, you have to understand, Terry, like I remember us dating, but it was a dupe. So I have no emotional attachment to the memories. Mm-hmm. It's like watching a movie. And I'm like, first of all, you weirdo, we do feel emotional attachments when we watch a movie. That's why people watch art. But <laughs> <laughs> that aside, I'm like, it's supposed to be emotionally cathartic. That's literally the whole point. But that aside, it's yeah. If I heard that from my ex boyfriend, I'm not going there ever who had again. Dumped me without explanation, by mm-hmm. the way. I would truly never speak to him again, much less be like, you know what? I'm in. But they do get back together next factor investigations. <sighs> On some level, Jamie is, if we're looking at Terry's story as a story about sobriety mm-hmm. and about getting sober. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the Morrigan can even, if you go through to the end of Leah Williams' X Factor, be viewed as sort of almost a drug that she started taking instead. Mm-hmm. It became a vehicle for her self-destruction. Exactly. Yeah. And for her to check out and not be in control, yeah. which sobriety requires, yes. like, you know, that kind of personal awareness. Mm-hmm. But if we look at that street, Jamie is her fellow traveler. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's not an addict himself necessarily, but the way that 
he encourages her bad behaviors as opposed to the way Jimmy is constantly trying to get her to stop drinking mm -hmm. and not ever in a condescending way. Like, mm -hmm. That's part of why it doesn't feel after school special when Jimmy yes. in the nineties is like, Terry, you need to stop drinking. It feels very much like, I mean, I don't know anything about Fabian Nicias's like personal life with regards to this issue, yeah. but it feels like someone who knows an alcoholic and has dealt with this yes. on a personal level is writing the story because mm -hmm. it's very, it's very sympathetic mm -hmm. to Terry's illness, yeah. but also very firm on the fact that like, I am not going to enable you yes, because you are hurting yourself. Yes. He, he frames it to her as the like, I want you to get better. Yeah, I want like, to. I, I want to help like you. Seeing yes. you like this yes. because you are not happy. Yeah, and it's like it doesn't matter if you're not hurting other people. It's you're hurting yourself, which is just as much harm. Right. right? And I love you, and yeah. I don't want to see you hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. That is why, like Jamie is also a drug Jamie's, for her. Jamie's bad. <laughs> He's bad for Monet her. because Monet news. ends up filling that void that Jamie that Jimmy leaves. Yes, Monet ends up. She's the one who's like. Girl, you need to get it together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is enough now. Yeah. You need to get up and go do something that's not insane. Mm -hmm. like, Let's go to Paris, okay? Will that Let's fix go this shopping. <laughs> Will that yeah. help? I'll charter a plane just for yes. us. Yeah. Because you're freaking me out right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, and that, that I will say is, and I think it's because of his success with characters like Valerie Cooper, you know, Peter David choosing those two women mm -hmm. out of their cast. Siren from 90s X-Force, who was the damaged, angry, mean alcoholic, <laughs> who was not like a good girl. And Monet, who was the bitch of Gen X. And here's it the is thing. Interesting. Yeah. I that those are the choices. Uh, this is the thing is that Terry walks onto a team and the other women on the team think she's a good girl. Right, because Terry, by contrast to Monet, who is the rich bitch, and Rain, who at this point is like <laughs> the Scarlet Jezebel yeah. who had an affair with a student. And Tabby does it to her too. They're like, you're clearly the goody-goody. And she's like, I spent years doing international thieving and getting blackout <laughs> drunk at 16. <laughs> I was a supervillain when I was a child. Yeah. What are, what is, where is this coming from? And then when they find that out, I like, do nothing but <laughs> drink and hit on men old enough to be my father. Yeah, Why yeah. am I the good girl in this situation? And they find that out and they're like, oh, oh my God. Oh, we can like trauma bond now. <laughs> yeah. And then Monet actually, what's really funny is that I love Monet this. almost becomes the good girl yes, over the course of their relationship, which is crazy. Like Monet learns empathy in the, I think the most profound way mm -hmm. by like two events kind of, which is like Everett dies, which mm -hmm. makes her feel empathy with Jubilee, yeah. which is where they like sort of squash the beef there. And Monet cops the fact that like, it's my fault that we hate each other because I've been such a bitch, you know? Like, mm -hmm. And it's really not about you. And like, let's move on. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is like, when she realizes that she has to take care of Terry because no one else is going to do it. Mm -hmm. And like caretaking, especially caretaking for an addict, mm -hmm. especially caretaking for someone who is in recovery, but then has other mental illness stuff going on that yeah. they're not dealing with because yep. it's like, I'm in control because I got sober. But it's mm -hmm. like, okay, but also you've <laughs> lost your mind. <laughs> like, you <know? laughs> so, like, <laughs> we did one of the things. No, like, yeah, no, we now, okay, hun, hun, we got to get you on some antidepressants. Like, 
you know, yeah. that's a lot to deal with. Yeah. And Monet takes it upon herself to do that because mm-hmm. they do like trauma bond specifically in the like weird blackout drunk Jamie Madrox fuck fest. That and I think it facilitates the I was I, I went to a fucked up boarding school talk. Yeah. <laughs> Which they yeah. both have. They both have a really fucked up boarding school. Mm-hmm backstory Monet goes oh my god I can actually talk to this girl (laughs) yeah like oh we and like also I don't think she knew that like Teresa was like a lady Mm -hmm. like Teresa's an aristocrat now she's an Irish aristocrat Mm -hmm. which doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. not no offense to any posh Irish people listening (laughs) it's not like I don't think the Irish nobility is like you know that highly placed in Burke's Mm -hmm. peerage but there's a class level that they also suddenly operate on where Monet is like, Oh, I just thought you were like trashy, but now I realize that you're like a rich girl acting out in a trashy. Yes. Way, which, which is I relate very to. different. Like, yeah. <laughs> so well, it's that, that, it's that um, uh, when they go in X factor investigations and she flies her to Paris and they're having like Monet is having like a drink or whatever. And Terry is having like a water. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're sitting there and Monet kind of like, dishes Monet at her and says oh yeah, yeah like it, like I can't believe I slept with him I can believe you slept with him because right you're that's something you would do and then it's not something yeah, I would and do. then Terry comes back at her and calls her a skank jokingly and like people react to Monet and they're either like really mean to her or they like don't get her and Terry in that moment gets like I'm being mean to you but I'm meaning it as a joke like she means it she right well they, also they get each other yes. in that moment because Very quickly. Like, that's what I'm saying is like yeah. I don't like the plot I don't like the element of X-Factor Investigations that Madrox fucks every yes, girl on the team I don't I hate that I, we fucking hate that blanket statement done. we hate that <laughs> But I think that the choice of these two Mm -hmm. characters was really smart and having them be in this love triangle with him that immediately becomes them going, oh, fuck him. Let's go to Paris. Yes. And they spend the rest of the series intertwined with one another. Like best friends. Yeah. And I think that that is really smart. It makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense. They are both people who their teams, I think, often in the 90s saw as antagonistic. Yes. As like sort of you're the problem child, you're the bitch on this team, you cause problems. Exactly. For both of them to be like, oh, you get me. Mm -hmm. It's very valuable to each of them because they haven't had that previously on a team. So it makes perfect sense that when Terry quits because she like can't deal with her grief Mm -hmm. about losing her child, Mm -hmm. that Monet is like, yeah, I'm going to go with her. with her. Yeah. Because I don't really want to hang out with the rest of you if she's not here. Like, I don't actually like you all that much. <laughs> I'm going to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really heartbreaking when she comes back, like when Monet shows back up and she's like, I don't know what to do anymore. I can't fix it. Yeah. And the uh, she's still freaked out about mm-hmm. everything that happened with you. Mm-hmm. So I need you to come mm-hmm. talk to her because to Jamie, she said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the listeners. Exactly. She's just, and you can tell that it is killing Monet to be like, I can't do this, but maybe Jamie Madrox can. Those panels are so, <laughs> like, again, it's like the series, I don't, I, I don't like the series, but there are these moments that are very good. And to have that moment for Monet of being like, of humbling herself to be like, I can't fix this yes, problem. Yes, and it's it an is, killing, moment for it is her. killing me to see her like that and I can't do anything. And the only reason Monet admits mm-hmm. that she can't do something, mm-hmm. which is not something Monet does, no. is because <laughs> she cares enough about Terry mm-hmm. that 
she can't be in denial about it. She yeah. has to be like, I've spent months now trying to snap her out of this mm-hmm. and it's not working. She has a rare, very honest, vulnerable moment about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because that friendship between them is very genuine. Yes. I would love to see them on a team together. So again. would I. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. I mean, I think that the characters are both now in a good position. Mm-hmm. Like Siren is now fixed. Yeah, she's got some, she's still got some work to do. She's got some work to do, but I'm saying like in terms of <laughs> mm-hmm. can I use this character? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She's back on that. the table. Let's go. Yeah. And so now I think it would make perfect sense to have her and Monet. Mm-hmm reunite but i do get that the krakoa era on some level is about throwing characters into new formations and seeing what happens but there are certain relationships like danny and sean or Mm -hmm. kate and emma that i think are very rich because of the history and i would like to see them yeah at least have a chat i'd like to see terry and monet have a chat i'd like to see terry and jimmy because they like these are the two people in her life that were very stable for her and like actually genuinely care and love her and are like around (laughs) well i think it would actually be cool to have terry pop up in new mutants generally Mm -hmm. because that is her peer group yeah but she never got to be a new mutant yeah she only comes in once it's Mm x-force and before that she was just on mirror island with moira and jamie (laughs) and sean which can you think about that for like actually one thing so much (laughs) i know one thing i forgot to mention is in that first issue where she meets sean in uncanny yeah there's then this fascinating scene that is only more fascinating now yeah. Where Moira leaves and Aurora like goes outside, like Moira, we are friends. You can talk to me. Like, what's going on? And Moira's like, We are friends. I'll tell you what I'm feeling. Like, I'm so happy for Sean, but I kind of hate this girl. Mm-hmm. Who I've never met. But like, I see her as a rival. She explains that Sean has always wanted kids mm-hmm. and has told her that. But Moira knows that she can't risk having a child again because of Proteus. Mm -hmm. And she says that while Sean insists it doesn't bother him, it has bothered her throughout their relationship that she can't give him a child. And now this child he didn't know he had when he was 20 or whatever is here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's something she can never give him that his dead wife has now given him. And this woman is now a rival for Banshee's affections. Mm -hmm. If not in the same way. She can monopolize his time. (laughs) Yeah, because he wants to get to know this 16-year-old girl who is his daughter who Mm -hmm. he never knew existed. And then she moves in with them. Uh Mm Uh-huh. She comes to the States and they're like, go live on Mirror Island with your dad's girlfriend. (laughs) With your dad's girlfriend who has confessed to Storm that part of her instinctively hates you. Yep. And now that we know Moira is a much more calculating character than it's we have so thought her to be then, it's very interesting, particularly that she says that to Aurora, because I think it's true. Mm-hmm. Because Proteus doesn't happen until Life 10. Mm-hmm. There are lots of things that could be why that happens. It's implied that her genes crossing with Joe McTaggart's genes in particular created this yeah. dangerous Omega-level mutant. But once it's happened, she's like, I can't risk it. Because as far as she knows, now that we're looking back, Proteus is one of the building blocks to Krakoa. Mm-hmm. The Krakoa that she's envisioned that is going to be this, like, we're going to make this happen. And it was a failure. Like, they had to kill him. As far as she knows at that moment in Uncanny... So the idea of going through all that again 
losing that and like her child because she does love him you know like Mm -hmm. I think that so much of Moira and I'm really interested to like revisit that character as Inferno goes on Mm. I actually want to go back and listen to the episode I did with Zach because I I think we speculated about stuff and I'm just interested to see what we like got right and got wrong but I think that so much of Moira's character now is tied up in the children she had in her first life when she didn't know she was a mutant Mm. who now don't exist in any of her lives after that because she never marries the same man. Yeah. Even if she did, like the odds of producing the same child in another timeline. It's not going to be the same, yeah. Would be, yeah. Because it's not an alternate timeline. It's a reset timeline. So you'd have to unite the same sperm and egg on the same day. And like Moira is smart enough that she could probably (laughs) map that out. She's all right, let's go. (laughs) Like, and do some kind of IVF solution to that. But she notably, as far as we know, does not have children in lives two through nine. Yeah. So I think it is something that she was very conscious of. Mm -hmm. And Siren being, like, she's already adopted Wolfsbane. Yeah. And now Siren is a biological child of Sean's, who she now also essentially has to adopt. Mm -hmm. I just am desperate for that X-Men Legends issue or, like, that, you know, backup (laughs) or something. Just a flashback to the weirdness of Moira and Siren alone in that house Dear God. with multiple man. Like, Dear God. The, the facility Let's is staffed <laughs> by these identical guys who Terry is attracted to. Well, I think Meanwhile, she's attracted to him. And then also, like, Terry is um, a horny teenager. and She's he's, just horny. He, he's the eligible, he's the only eligible bachelor on the island. On the island, because <laughs> the only like, other I'm man there is her lady. father. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she's like, yeah, you'll do. <laughs> you'll do in a pinch. There's yeah. so many of you. I won't get bored. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. It really is just such that that those four characters, because Rain isn't there. No. So it's not like she even has like a peer to talk to because yep. Rain's off in New York with the New Mutants. So it's just the four of them. I think it's really interesting that in X-Force, of all the characters who the Shadow King fucked with mm-hmm. in the Muir Island saga, she is the one who is most sort of negatively and permanently affected by yes. it. Yes. And I think it's because the Shadow King, by making Muir Island into this collective, mm-hmm. made her feel like she had a family. Yeah. And then it went away. Mm-hmm. Like she and Moira aren't close like that. No, 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 no. <laughs> And I think that's what it is. Yeah. Is the trauma of suddenly having a mother Mm -hmm. and then realizing it was a lie done to you by the devil. Mm -hmm. Not great. Because there's a great scene when she's fighting, she's possessed and fighting Banshee. Yep. She basically kicks the shit out of him and she, she beats she's his like, head with a rock <laughs> yeah she's like you're holding back moira taught me better than that mm-hmm. which i think is a very so telling good line mm-hmm. and they're being influenced they're not like full-on possessed because he's in legion doing like the full-on possession but yeah he's using legion's power to there, he's semi-possess he's everyone on the island the levels and terry is yeah. already like destructive and angry and like has all of these emotions inside of her so he's just turning up the notch a little bit and i think there's some other things in there that he turns the notch up on too (laughs) well we'll get into it yeah 
I think now is a good time for the Cerebro character file on Siren. I will take you through her complete publication history from that Spider-Woman story in 1981 to the present and her most recent appearance in Leah Williams's X Factor. And then we will come back for more with Valentine Smith about Terry Rourke Cassidy, a fascinating and strange piece of work. God love her. <laughs> I'll be here. We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. Teresa Rourke Cassidy, called Terry, but best known by the codename Siren, is a character who's always struggled to find her place. Created by Chris Claremont and Steve Leoloa, Terry is the long-lost daughter of Sean Cassidy, a.k.a. the X-Man Banshee, and shares his mutant sonic scream. Initially a background character, she took on greater prominence in the franchise in the 90s as deputy leader of X-Force. Later, she was a core cast member in Peter David's long-running X-Factor investigations, until a supernatural twist took her off the page for years as the new host of the Irish death goddess called the Morrigan. Siren recently returned to publication in Leah Williams' X-Factor, in which a new iteration of that team worked to liberate her from the Morrigan's control. Terry debuts in 1981's Spider-Woman 37 by Chris Claremont and Steve Leoloa, in which she's an antagonist aiding longtime villains Black Tom Cassidy and his partner Kane Marco, the Juggernaut. As Siren, Terry helps her Uncle Black Tom and his friend rob a bank, but when they're defeated by Spider-Woman and the X-Men, Tom explains he raised Terry and insists she's innocent of any wrongdoing. He gives her a letter for Banshee, the father she never knew was alive. In Uncanny X-Men 148, Terry meets her father Sean for the first time, and the two are overjoyed to be together. She then promptly disappears from the story, as she's not part of the new mutants team that debuts at Xavier's the following year. Instead, Terry moves to Muir Island to live with her retired father and his lover, Dr. Moira McTaggart. There she bonds with Jamie Madrox, the multiple man, a young mutant working as Moira's assistant in her laboratory. In the 1987 miniseries Fallen Angels by Joe Duffy and Carrie Gamble, Terry and Madrox help Moira scour New York City in search of Sunspot and Warlock, two of the new mutants who've gone missing. They track the missing students to the teen street gang called the Fallen Angels, who work for the supervillain The Vanisher. When the mini draws to a close, Sunspot and Warlock depart the gang, but Terry and Madrox decide to stick around and be a good influence on the young runaways. The relationship between Terry and Madrox feels decidedly romantic by this point. When the proposed second Fallen Angels miniseries fell through, Siren and Multiple Man were left in comic limbo. They're back on Muir Island in time to be possessed by the Shadow King alongside the rest of Muir's inhabitants during the 1991 Muir Island saga. When the X-Men and X-Factor invade, a possessed Terry battles her father Sean until the Shadow King's hold is broken. Shortly after this, Chris Claremont departs the franchise. Furious at her violation by the Shadow King, Terry travels to New York to battle Black Tom and the Juggernaut in issue three of the new title X-Force by Rob Liefeld and Fabian Licieza. Once her uncle and his partner have been defeated and their hostage situation at the World Trade Center has been resolved, X-Force's leader Cable invites Terry to join the team. In short order, she's named Deputy Field Leader, reporting to Cannonball. After issue 12, Liefeld leaves the title and Licieza assumes full writing duties. In the 1992 franchise-wide event Executioner's Song, Cable is framed for an assassination attempt on Professor Xavier, and X-Force is taken into custody at the mansion by the X-Men and X-Factor. Terry tries to appeal to Jamie Madrox, who's now a member of X-Factor, but he devastates her by explaining the Madrox she had romanced back in Fallen Angels was actually a rogue duplicate, and Madrox Prime has no emotional attachment to his memories of Teresa. After Cannonball convinces Xavier to let the team go, X-Force establishes a new headquarters in the abandoned Camp Verde Reservation. Terry bonds with James Jimmy Proudstar, a.k.a. Warpath, who's fallen in love with her. Jimmy struggles to keep Terry's alcohol abuse a secret from the rest of the team, and she doesn't help matters by drunkenly hitting on their teammate Shatterstar and, more outrageously, their mentor Cable. 
In X-Force 31, Terry asks Jimmy to accompany her to Cassidy Keep, the ancestral home in Ireland where she grew up. And there they once again become entangled with her uncle, Black Tom, who's going mad because medical experimentation has accelerated his mutation, turning him into more plant than man. Terry's alcohol abuse gets worse and worse as they investigate matters, and she explains to Jimmy that she started drinking as a young teenager when Black Tom sent her away to boarding school. Jimmy appeals to the juggernaut to hand Black Tom over to save his life, but first Terry and Tom meet at the grave of Terry's mother, Maeve Rourke. Terry castigates Tom for his lifelong self-sabotage, only to realize that she is exhibiting the same behaviors. She decides to get sober and tells Jimmy that she needs to keep their relationship platonic. Returning to New York, Terry meets with her father, Sean, and they decide to try to get to know each other as friends rather than forcing a father-daughter relationship. They then pivot to the Deadpool solo series, also by Niciesa, where they team up with the titular character to track down a rapidly deteriorating Black Tom. At one point, Terry catches a glimpse of Deadpool's face, which is horrifically scarred, and while it frightens her, she still promises to be his friend. Back in X-Force, Niciesa is replaced as writer by Jeff Loeb. Cable moves X-Force into the Xavier Mansion, and Cannonball graduates to the X-Men. To prove herself worthy of taking his place as field leader, Terry is tasked with a secret mission to infiltrate the Wiseman Institute for the Criminally Insane. Captured and unable to get a hold of Cable, Terry contacts Deadpool, who comes to her rescue. Some telepathic meddling by the Omnipath called the Games Master, don't worry about it, sends Terry back to the mansion with no memories of the operation, leaving her distressed at the thought that Xavier or Cable might have altered her memories. After a few weeks of nightmares, Terry remembers what happened and asks Shatterstar to accompany her to the Wiseman Institute to rescue Deadpool. The Games Master ultimately lets them go for reasons unknown. Again, do not worry about it, and Terry and Deadpool part with a kiss. Meanwhile, Terry's surprised to find herself extremely jealous of the growing romance between Jimmy and the mutant mercenary Risqué. She feels a bit better about being such a bitch to Risqué after Risqué betrays them. Under new writer John Francis Moore, Cable tries to get X-Force to go underground during Operation Zero Tolerance. Terry and her comrades refuse to follow orders, so Cable decides to let them all choose their own paths. Terry, Jimmy, Sunspot, recent recruit Danny Moonstar, and Tabitha, Tabby Smith, formerly Boom Boom, now Meltdown, decide to go on a road trip across the country. Returning to Camp Verde, Terry helps Jimmy uncover the illicit medical experiments behind the slaughter of his tribe. When Jimmy goes into cardiac arrest, Terry conducts CPR to keep him alive while the rest of the team journeys to the afterlife to recapture his soul. Do not worry about it. Eventually, the group settles down in San Francisco, where they come into conflict with the terrorist King Bedlam and his new Hellions. One of the new Hellions, former X-Force teammate Feral, slashes Terry's throat in battle, severing her vocal cords. Doctors are unable to do anything to repair the damage, and it appears Terry may never be able to speak or use her mutant powers again. Suicidal and close to relapse, Terry centers herself by attending an AA meeting, and writes a letter for Jimmy explaining she needs some time to herself. She moves in with a distant aunt in California, and in the final two issues of The Moor Run, X-Force 99 and 100, a very strange plot ensues in which Terry is possessed by an evil necklace. Taking over her body, the necklace is able to activate Terry's powers and fly off into the sky. None of this is ever explained. Don't worry about it. We next see her a year later in the Wolverine solo in an arc written and drawn by Rob Liefeld. The evil necklace is nowhere to be found, and Terry's powers and voice are gone again. Deadpool decides to kidnap Wolverine on behalf of some bad guys in exchange for them kidnapping Terry and repairing her vocal cords. Terry isn't happy about how things were accomplished, but she's grateful to Deadpool for helping her. Two years later, Terry begins making a few recurring appearances in Grant Morrison's New X-Men, where she serves as part of the European branch of X-Corporation, Xavier's international outreach organization. X-Corp disbands after the 2005 event called The Decimation, in which all but about 200 mutants are depowered worldwide. Terry is one of the few mutants to retain her gifts, and is hired by Jamie Madrox to work at his new detective agency in Manhattan's mutant town, X-Factor Investigations. 
In this new volume of X Factor, written by Peter David, Terry begins emphasizing the hypnotic capabilities of her sonic power, becoming a valuable source of information. She wrangles at the meddling of Layla Miller, an apparently precognitive teenage girl who begins foisting herself upon the team. A few plots ensue in which Terry gets knocked out with tranquilizers and beaten up by angry men, and honestly, I don't feel the need to go into detail. When Terry learns her father, Sean, has been killed in the event Deadly Genesis, she surprises everyone with her reaction. Given the history of X-Men coming back from the dead, she refuses to accept that he's actually gone. Her denial disturbs her teammates, and she finally admits to therapist Doc Samson that she's trying to stay positive because screaming and crying do not feel safe. Her mutant power makes depression dangerous. After Terry uses her hypnotic voice to learn the truth of the decimation, X-Factor Investigations becomes estranged from the X-Men, who had hidden the Scarlet Witch's involvement. One night after a bender, one Jamie Madrox seduces Terry, while another Jamie Madrox seduces her new teammate, Monet Sanquois. Once the truth is revealed, the two women are furious, but they bury the hatchet, with each other at least, on a shopping trip to Paris where they're faced by anti-mutant bigots. In time, they both forgive Madrox, understanding he can't control what the dupes do. But then Terry discovers she's pregnant. Monet advises her to have an abortion, but Terry decides to keep the baby. When Dr. Valerie Cooper threatens X-Factor with arrest unless they work for the government, Madrox begins taking jobs for her on the side without telling the rest of the team. Months later, Val perturbs Terry by taking an interest in her pregnancy. The only known mutant birth after the decimation led to the franchise-wide event Messiah Complex, and Val worries Terry and Madrox's baby will be in danger. Terry refuses to work with Val, so Val coolly informs her Madrox has already been doing it in secret. The stress of the argument causes Terry to go into labor three weeks early, and the government officials refuse to let her out of their sight. Terry's teammate Richter grabs a gun to create a diversion, but the resulting shootout ends up with Val Cooper shot and bleeding out. Terry flies Val to the hospital for life-saving surgery, then checks herself into obstetrics, where she spends 15 hours in labor. Complications require that Terry undergo a C-section, and before she goes under anesthesia, Madrox proposes marriage. Terry accepts, delighted. When she wakes up and her son is placed in her arms, Terry decides to name him Sean after her late father, finally accepting he's really gone. Only minutes later, Madrox takes the baby and automatically absorbs him. Baby Sean, it turns out, is actually just an infant duplicate of Madrox. Horrified, Terry leaves from her hospital bed and tries to rip the baby back out of Madrox's chest. She splits her stitches open and needs to be sedated for further surgery lest she bleed to death. Later, Madrox visits her to comfort her, and she breaks his fingers and threatens his life. Yeah, I hate this. Madrox leaves the team, and Terry takes over leadership. She decides to work with Val Cooper after all, and begins startling Val with an icy, hard shift in her personality. When Val catches Terry apparently drinking, she's relieved to discover Terry just likes drinking water out of a wine bottle. Val reveals to Terry that she herself once suffered a traumatic miscarriage, and encourages Terry to refocus on helping her friends. When their latest enemy, Cortex, turns out to be a rogue Madrox dupe from the future, Terry takes out her rage on him. After Cortex is defeated, Madrox returns to the team. Terry, who's still not willing to be around him, quits the agency and returns to Cassidy Keep, accompanied by Monet. Sinking into a deep depression, Terry eventually drives Monet to return to the States to summon Madrox, hoping Jamie can talk some sense into Terry. Meanwhile, Terry booty calls Deadpool. Confronted at her father's grave by Father John Maddox, a Madrox dupe who had split off from the collective and become a priest, don't worry about it, Terry eventually admits she's lost her faith and decides to move forward. She dubs her father's codename Banshee in an effort to honor him. As the franchise-wide event Second Coming begins to unfold, Terry's rescued from the Super Sentinel Bastion's forces by Shatterstar and Layla Miller, who is an adult now, don't worry about it, there's time travel involved. Terry reconciles with Madrox as friends and rejoins the agency. She tries to help Rain Sinclair, aka Wolfsbane, through the stress when Rain's newborn mystical wolf godson goes missing. Don't worry about that either. When Madrox is killed in battle, and it turns out Layla has the power to resurrect people without their souls. Honestly, no, I'm not going over this again. 
I'm not. Go back to the Madrex episode. Go back to the Madrex episode. We're done here. Havoc and Polaris take over leadership of X-Factor Investigations at Wolverine's request, but not long after it, it turns out Madrox is actually alive, because he's always actually alive. Terry gets more and more worried about Rain, and eventually she and Polaris convince Rain to accompany them on a road trip. Terry takes Rain to visit Father John Maddox, who helps Rain process her trauma. Then shit gets real weird. While investigating a series of murders by Sonic Scream, Terry realizes the culprit is supernatural. She's captured by the Morrigan, the Irish goddess of death and war, who is offended that Terry, her human subject, has been using the codename Banshee. The Morrigan demands Terry worship her, but Terry refuses. Havoc manages to help her escape, but in the aftermath, she finds herself cripplingly depressed. Experiencing visions of her late father, Sean, Terry is informed that the Morrigan had only been testing her. Confused, she's approached by Layla, who can do sorcery now, don't worry about it. Layla and Terry do a ritual to summon the Morrigan, because, sure, at this point, why not? Once again in the Morgan's clutches, Terry asks the goddess to help cure Polaris, who is in a catatonic fugue after a psychotic break. The Morgan offers Terry the power to do it herself. Terry agrees, slays the Morgan, and ascends to divinity, becoming the new queen of the Banshees. She heals Polaris's mind, tells Madrox to pray for her if he needs her, and then vanishes into the night. Lots of crazy shit you don't need to worry about happens to X-Factor, and in the final issue, 262, Madrox, who has been transformed into a demon, do not worry about it, prays to the Morrigan, and Terry appears to restore him to human form. She sits down at the kitchen table with Jamie and Layla, who are married now, by the way, and Layla's pregnant. Please, again, just go back to the Madrox episode because I hate this, and I'm not doing it again. And Terry explains what the rest of X-Factor is up to. Then the book ends. Six years later, in the 2019 soft reboot House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, Terry appears in her classic siren costume with no trace of the Morrigan at the party to celebrate the foundation of the new mutant sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa. In 2020's X-Factor Volume 4 by Leah Williams and David Baldeon, a new X-Factor investigations team led by Northstar and Polaris and tasked with investigating mutant deaths so that the mutant circuit called the Five can resurrect them, is called to the scene when Terry apparently dies by suicide and is resurrected and then dies by apparent suicide again. When confronted by Polaris, Terry uses her hypnotic voice to control her friend. It turns out she's still possessed by the Morrigan, who has more control over the Gestalt than was suggested in X-Factor Investigations. In an effort to spare the people of Krakoa from the Morrigan's hunger for death, Terry has agreed to die in their place a thousand times. After some complex psychic investigation, the team figures out how to slay the Morrigan by recruiting Shatterstar, Terry's old teammate, who's able to break the curse and free Terry from her contract with the goddess. What's next for Teresa Rourke Cassidy after her time as a deity? Whatever it is, it's sure to be a scream. X-Men, X-Men. And we're back. I hope that you enjoyed the Shriek Show. I really love one particular moment in that character file, which is the biggest don't worry about it, perhaps ever in the history of the podcast, which is in X-Force 99 and 100, mm -hmm. where Terry, after leaving X-Force, has gone to live with an aunt that we have never heard about before <laughs> or since, who's like distantly related. Like she lives in California. I so think it's, it's not... her mom's someone. Okay, O'Rourke then. Yeah. I, I forget, but it's like- She she's writes very... mystery novels. <laughs> Yeah, and like, listen, love that for her, yeah. but it's it's odd. That's not the don't worry about it, though. The real don't worry about it is that Terry is possessed by a necklace that was salvaged from a cruise ship that sank off the coast of North Africa. The necklace has some kind of evil intelligence inside it. It's not malice. It's a different evil necklace. It's a different <laughs> evil necklace. Malice is like a kicky little goth choker. This is more like... It looks like the diamond from Titanic that Pretty much. she throws into the sea. 
the being is like, I'm leaving. This body is young. It heals quickly. Yes, this body is unlike any I have ever possessed. I think I shall keep it for a while. As she flies away into the sky, wearing the heart of the ocean. And uh, this is never explained. Ever. Because the book got canceled and turned into the Million X Force that became Ecstatics. And uh, when Terry pops up again in other stuff... She's just fine. She's fine. Oh, well, that it, it, she does get like her voice back and stuff. The voice stuff, in yeah, Deadpool. Deadpool in a, yeah. in Wolverine's solo book, there's a moment where <laughs> Deadpool <laughs> heals her vocal cords that have been slashed. Yeah. But yeah, when she pops up again, like in a story, it's in Morrison's new X-Men and she's definitely not possessed by a necklace. It's never explained, which I thought was what they were going to do on Krakoa with the Morrigan. Mm -hmm. I thought we were fully going to deny the Morrigan. (laughs) I thought it was Mama Mia, here we go again. (laughs) Yeah, like she's back in her classic costume, Mm -hmm. having a blast with Dazzler at that party. He's not the Morrigan. And I was like, thank God we are just going to pretend that never happened. But then we spent several issues dealing with the fact that it happened, which I'm fine with. Yeah, I'm fine with it too. I tend to think that with characters that have complicated moments, it is better to explain it vaguely than to just ignore it. Mm -hmm. There are exceptions. If something was like, I I use this example all the time, but like Emma's behavior in Inhumans versus X-Men was so out of character and insane that Mm -hmm. I'm kind of okay with them just ignoring it. Yeah. But if they ever do address it, I'd want it to be how... Leah addressed the Morrigan, which is like to retcon it completely into something else. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, with Emma, I'm like, say the Mpox got in her brain. Like, there's a lot of ways you could wave this off. Yeah. Because it's not like Dark Phoenix, where like that's an arc that progresses over mm-hmm. a really long time. And like Gene is like, like it's Gene. It's like, and Gene does this terrible thing. And that's like, this is just something Emma wouldn't do. And it comes out of fucking nowhere and it doesn't work for me. Like, or like Beast has this long, like, you know, descent into evil that is ongoing mm-hmm. as we speak like I'm fine with Emma killing that horse I'm not fine with <laughs> versus X-Men. you know what I mean like we just need to address rum. these things <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well I mean it's bad and I'm like yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. approve of the horse murder yeah generally speaking but I'm okay with the fact that she does bad things mm-hmm. is what I'm saying I'm okay with what just oh, yeah. happened in Hellions yeah. which is really rough mm-hmm. we don't know the extent of just how rough her manipulations of havoc have been but it's not great yep. and i like that i like when emma it's gets messy. to be emma my problem with humans versus accent was that she wasn't being emma and the thing with mm-hmm. terry is it's similarly really easy to wave these off because she's possessed whenever yep. one of these plots happens it's very polaris in that way i mentioned like yeah. she's also they have a lot of similarities hot dad that everyone wants Mm-hmm. Messy as hell, possessed a lot. <laughs> yeah. Now, I will say that the Morgan as presented in X Factor Investigations, mm-hmm. it was a more she had more agency. It was it was than, Terry. She just kind of ascended. Uh, yeah, like yeah. evolved into a goddess, yes. but it was still recognizably Terry. Terry was clearly in control. Mm-hmm. Leah Williams's take on the Morgan is much more malice-esque. Mm-hmm. The Morgan is also possessing this body and fighting for control. Right, is fighting Terry for yes. control of the body yes. and is doing evil stuff mm-hmm. without Terry's consent. knowledge or consent. Yeah. Right. And that 
I think, is a change that makes it easier to dispose of the Morrigan. Yep. But it does retroactively make that a possession story when it wasn't before, really yeah, at the time. Yes. You know? Yes. So I guess to be fair to Peter David, that isn't really how it was when it was first dropped in. But (laughs) I'm cool with it being that because, again, I think the Morrigan twist was really strange. Yeah, it it was. (laughs) It's. I think it just you lose almost everything appealing about the character if you make her this ascended being. I don't get it at all. The later half of X Faster Investigations kind of really just delves into that hell and like God. It's all mystical shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I love some magic in my superhero mm-hmm, so comics, but there are here. I've I've said this before. I think the real difference is I love Limbo. Mm-hmm. I think Limbo yes, is a really exactly. key setting for X Men comics. I think that Ilyana's stuff with Hell is mm-hmm. great. I think that Amanda Sefton's stuff with Hell is great. I think that Madeline Pryor's stuff with Hell is great. Agreed. But it's non-denominational Limbo Hell. It's not. Yes. Christian hell, yes. which is very much where X Factor investigation you, you goes. start then, to run into problems, especially yeah. when you're trying to push Terry into Catholicism. Yes, but then she is called to by these like pagan gods of her ancestors, and yeah. then the, I mean the thing that is weird about it also like if you look at Danny Moonstar in mm-hmm. Asgard yeah the point of Danny in Asgard is that an X-Men character encroaching on Asgard is weird mm-hmm. Danny is out of place mm-hmm. becomes an impressive Valkyrie but never takes it to a religious like Danny is not Norse yes she doesn't have any veneration mm-hmm. for these concepts she doesn't worship Hela she yeah. thinks this is all stupid she has her <laughs> own religious tradition yes. of her own people yes and I think that's what's interesting about Danny as a Valkyrie is it's this mutant world encroaching on the mystical Mm-hmm. Similarly to how Ilyana is a mutant who takes the throne of Limbo mm-hmm. or to how Excalibur now, the current volume of Excalibur, has been about mutants encroaching upon Otherworld. And now yes. in the most recent stories, Otherworld sort of fighting back against yeah. what it perceives as an infection or an invasion. The problem that I think I have with the Morrigan story is that it's played too straight as like a religious, spiritual thing. It's like Terry's trying and failing to embrace Catholicism, Mm -hmm. which is theoretically the Irish religion, right? But then there is also this deeper, like the deep magic that gets her. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work for me. Like having an X Men character. Li- this is also why I don't like the Hadari Yao stuff with Storm. Mm-hmm. I don't like when X Men characters become literal deities. That does not <laughs> appeal to me. Mm-hmm. What I like is when the question of what is a deity versus like Planet Size X Men is perfect to me. Everything yes. they're doing with Storm now is perfect to I me because, that. by any human definition, that's a goddess. Yep. But I don't think she should literally be part of like a divine ancient pantheon. Yeah. I think that that's weird. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that mutants are gods born now, they're mm-hmm. new gods yeah, to steal a phrase yeah, from yeah, Jack yeah. Kirby. Like yeah. that is the point, right? Yes, exactly. So that's what I like better. And I am okay with Siren having like magical stuff going on. Yes. You know, particularly like 
Celtic magical stuff. I think that's really cool. I'm Irish. I think that that is a neat thing to bring out more. And weirdly, Marvel Comics has never really done it. There's tons of Olympian stuff, of Norse stuff in particular, obviously, Mm -hmm. with Asgard. You don't get the druidy Celtic-y stuff, Mm -hmm. which is such a rich vein in fantasy fiction. Yes. That I think there's a lot you could do with it in a superhero story Mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, Shamrock doesn't really do it for me. (laughs) God bless her. But I'm saying that a lot this episode. (laughs) I I think it's just like a very, you know. Yeah, there's something on paper for her that I really like, but doesn't come through in the end. It doesn't work. And it's that she is abandoned by her God. And so she becomes her own. That's fucking cool. That's, that's really sick, cool. But that's it, it cool. doesn't stick the landing. <laughs> yeah. The fact that she has to literally become mm-hmm. an ancient goddess. And the whole, the whole problem is that she's having this like crisis of faith. What have you is because she's trying to embrace her religion and yet, and trying to like pray and not getting anything back. Cause she can call Thor. <laughs> she can right. literally call Thor and Thor right. shows up. No, and that's the thing is, it would have been a really, I think the idea of her deciding to become like a reconstructionist Celtic pagan or something, that would have been an interesting arc. It's just taking it literally to a place of, and then she becomes one of the she, is weird to me. It's odd because I thought that the arc otherwise, like apart from the stuff that we don't like, which we'll get into... You know, I I do think that the whole arc of like Sean is dead and she becomes Banshee Mm -hmm. was a good arc. Mm -hmm. It's the Morrigan pivot that's just so strange. (laughs) Yeah. Because to go way, way back, Banshee, when the character was created in the 60s, was Mm -hmm. supposed to be a woman. That's why his code name is Banshee, Mm -hmm. which is a female spirit. I mean, it means fairy woman. Mm -hmm. Stan Lee thought it would be bad optics to have a superhero team fighting a female villain who was on her own having all of these male heroes beating up on a woman Mm -hmm. he didn't like the idea of it stan lee's approach to gender it's been commented on a lot is at times a little old-fashioned the way that he writes Sue Storm or Jean Grey as part of these teams versus the way that Kirby draws them. It's mm-hmm. something that a lot of people have commented upon, that he'll give them dialogue that's more, oh, thank you to the chivalrous man right. in a way that is not necessarily implied by the art. So he was just like, no, no, no. Like the X-Men cannot be beating up a woman. I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah. Which, you know what? Like, he was probably right at the time. Like, yeah, right? You know? I think it would have come and across weird. I like the retcon in that classic X-Men story that yeah. Maeve calls him a banshee. Right. Maeve's like, like you scream like a banshee. Right. I love that she names him, essentially. And that's yes. the reason. If Maeve Rourke, badass on a motorcycle, named me, I'd take it. Exactly. And that's <laughs> such know? a Claremont decision right to like have a woman give him a woman's name Mm -hmm. as a sort of criticism and then he takes it Mm -hmm. as his coat like it's very he takes it gladly he's like oh yeah he's like that's what everybody always says about me that i scream like a banshee and then he just is called that for the rest of his life yeah so i got peter david's idea which was like they've killed off sean cassidy his daughter is in my book 
why don't we give her the code name? And then Banshee finally is a woman like the intention was back mm-hmm. in the 60s because yeah. this code name has never really made sense. Yeah. And I thought that was cool. I was still annoyed about them killing off Banshee, though. Like I Everybody was. was. Such, <laughs> it was such a waste mm-hmm. that I was like, okay, but I don't... Which happened in Deadly Genesis, right? right? Yes. Yes, which... <laughs> He gets like, I hit read that. by a plane. I know, I read that in he real gets time. <laughs> hit by a plane. He can fly. He's flying at the time and he gets hit by a plane. Yeah, and it's not like they're like that. They have a very complicated relationship. Yes. So, well, that's the other thing is it then pivots to like her mourning her father and it doesn't quite... It doesn't well, hit. Or, or her in denial yeah. at first, obviously. But yeah. it doesn't quite hit because she's met him like four times mm-hmm. outside of the, you know, year that they spent together, let's say, on Muir Island. Yeah. They and haven't interacted that much. He doesn't really show up for her. There's a moment early in X-Factor Investigations or where Monet is like, I was more raised by your father than you. And it's yes. true. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Monet's offended by the way that Terry is acting mm-hmm. when Terry's like, oh, he's not really dead. He'll be back. Which is a like missed thing that Peter David was trying to be like, Aha, it's a meta joke. joke, but it is at t- everything is at Terry's expense. It makes yeah. that's what I said on Twitter when yeah. someone asked me about it. It is absolutely it. like a meta joke. It doesn't of, like the X-Men always come back. But the way it's presented in the book is Terry's crazy. Yeah. Like all of the other characters. Mm-hmm. Like, whether or not the reader is supposed to go, she's absolutely right. And of course, it turns out she was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but. But still. The way that it's presented in the story, all of the other characters are making fun of her. Yes. Or concerned about her because she's behaving strangely. It's very. Yeah. It has a Scarlet Witch quality to it, yes. honestly. Yes, it does. Where, like, all of these characters are standing around talking about what a psycho this character is. Mm-hmm. Which happened to the Scarlet Witch a lot up until House of M when everyone was like, oh, like. Now she's really crazy, you know, but <laughs> it's it, it has a very like hysterical woman being irrational quality to yeah. it that I think is unfortunately the undercurrent with Terry in a lot of X Factor investigations. Yes, it is. The way that she reacts to the loss of the child mm-hmm. is, I think, presented similarly. We I are... Agree meant to sympathize in that story with Jamie, not with Terry. And I think that that is the biggest problem with it. Because I wouldn't, like, I think it's a cruel thing to do to a character no matter what. But if the story was about this woman essentially had a stillbirth, Mm -hmm. how is she going to deal with that? And we follow Jamie after. Yeah. Period. We follow him and she is so enraged that she breaks his fingers and like threatens to kill him and the thing is is like for one one issue the characters are on her side and they're like you were really shitty to her and like yeah. all this stuff and then immediately when she comes back they all turn on her and they're like you were really shitty to jamie he didn't deserve that blah 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 all this well because the thing is he didn't and that's what annoys <laughs> me is i think that yeah. he like it's and i've said i like that she's allowed to be messy mm-hmm, right yes but i think this pushed it she becomes like this screaming fishwife kind of yeah. character in this arc and it doesn't feel like a grieving mother to me it just feels like bitches be crazy mm-hmm. it doesn't work for me on yeah. that level because the care so, isn't given to her no it's so clearly privileging jamie's perspective mm-hmm. and the fact that she has to deal with her grief and talk to a priest who looks like him because this is Father I, John Magic's 
hate that. I by the way, hate it. <laughs> I hate. I hate. So she, yeah, she ends I up. I hate it. Processing her shit by mm-hmm. talking to the Jamie dupe that's a priest who is like stalking her kind of like he's not but he's like worried about her he's he's over there for like a conference (laughs) he's like yeah he's like in ireland i don't know it doesn't really matter the point is i absolutely hate that Mm -hmm. and it's not that it's poorly written because that scene is well written. it's really really good but conceptually i hate the idea that it's him jamie has to talk some sense into her Mm -hmm. you know like i really hate that yeah it's this really moving moment at the end where like some poachers come and kill a uh a baby deer on like the property or whatever she's like on cassidy land yeah, yeah yeah and she like chases them off but it's too late the baby is dead and the mother doe like comes out and the priest is like coaching her through and like is is it her fault like that she like lost this. What what do you think that God was spiting this like deer? This, when this deer happened? who didn't do anything wrong. Right. And it's this very like connected moment. And she clearly recognizes that of like sometimes things happen and they're shitty and you have to move through them to get past them. Right. And it's no one's yes. fault necessarily mm-hmm. when a child dies. Yes. That is a horrible, it's the yes. most horrible thing in the world and it's mm-hmm. not necessarily anyone's fault. It is one of the more mature mm-hmm. scenes handling the death of a child in a superhero comic, which yes. as I've addressed is a theme that I think is usually handled poorly in mm-hmm. the genre. Yes. However. It's fucking Jamie's face. <laughs> and yeah, and it's like, it's all in the service of I mean, that's in the service of also that Father John Maddox character's yeah. own arc. Yes. Yes. Right? Like, Because yes. he has his own arc going on. Yes. So, like, I just don't... It brings Terry back to... It, she takes the Banshee code name. Mm-hmm. It's like... But it, it's too little too late for me. Mm-hmm. Me too. So, like, the conceptually, I don't like that it's a Jamie dupe that helps her. Yes. But also, I just don't think it's enough after I I felt the character had been so assassinated in the arc where she actually loses her child. Mm -hmm. The cruelty of it, I think, is not... I don't think I've stressed before exactly what happens. Let's get into it. (laughs) Yeah, like, I just want to go there for a sec. Absolutely. What happens is her water breaks three weeks early, prematurely, because of a situation brought on by... Valerie Cooper. Val Cooper did it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the only fucking funny part. (laughs) She saves Val's life. but Val gets shot. Yeah, but it stresses her out enough that she goes into labor prematurely. And then it turns out when they get to the hospital. And by the way, first she takes Val to the hospital, gets Val into emergency (laughs) surgery. Paint Paint the scene here for a second. Terry is nine months pregnant. Nine months pregnant. Richter is like, I'm going to take care of this. And she's like, no, 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 no. And Terry, nine months pregnant, carries Val Cooper by holding on to like her thong. And, and going, right. So she lands, she's like, this woman's dying. Fix it. She works for the government. Fix it. And they fix it. And then she's like, by the way, I've been in labor for 20 minutes or whatever. And like, presumably her costume is like soaked with like, birth fluids she's just wearing like jeans and a sweater (laughs) 
Doesn't she have her little capy on though? Not there. I, oh, you're right. That's when they're kind of all doing a street clothes moment. She's because, they're like street clothes <laughs> that look kind well, of like the costume. Okay, they have they have their street clothes costume thing, but she is again nine months pregnant. So she's right, so she's whatever. not wearing it. Yeah, well, she's fucking comfortable in. <laughs> and now it's ruined. Yeah, <laughs> she's had to save Val, who she doesn't even like. She hates Valerie Cooper. Yeah, which would like why not? Why wouldn't you? You know, like she's really fucking obnoxious, especially if you're Terry. Yeah, at this time, like. Jamie has been sneaking around working with Valerie Cooper. They're not without telling be, anyone. Not supposed to be working with her. And Val has spent the whole pregnancy being really weird and creepy yeah. because this is after Messiah Complex. Yes. And Val is like, hmm, this child mutant, could be a mutant. <laughs> this child could be a mutant. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? A lot of people would want to get their hands on that child if it were the case. And mm-hmm. Terry's like, please stop talking about my baby or looking at my stomach. Like, I don't like this at all. Mm-hmm. And then she pins her up against a wall. Go, Terry. Yeah, which is great. <laughs> Don't even think about doing anything to my baby. Mm -hmm. And it's worth mentioning, by the way, that when she found out she was pregnant, Monet told her to get an abortion. She goes to talk with Monet. (laughs) And Monet says, you need to get an abortion. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? Terry absolutely needed to get an abortion. Yes, here's the thing. Like the way, I don't like the way that that's portrayed at all. I don't think that she would be like anti-abortion. Well, that's actually, so that's, that's actually where I'm not sure. Yeah. That makes sense to me because she's very Irish Catholic. I get, I get that. Yeah. But I still think that. It feels to me like a beat he already does with Rain. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes. These women, just because they're like tortured and Mm -hmm. from this cultural context, like Rain is Scots Presbyterian, but that's like even more shamey, if not necessarily about abortion, but like everything else. (laughs) I think for Terry, for me, in that moment, I tie her saying, I'm going to keep the baby more to the one line that is uttered there, which is, I'm the same age that my mother was when she had me. When she had me. Yes. Yep. And that, part of it that's what i'm saying is yeah. I, I like that because the implication to me by the way mm-hmm. is that like mave also got pregnant by accident like, yes. she didn't know yes and terry has never known her mother because yep. her mother died when she was an infant yes and it's a way of feeling close exactly. to her mother and it's like she's gonna be she's gonna be thinking about all this stuff because not only she died when she was an infant which means she's probably the same ish age that she was when her mom when she died, died. Yes, that her mother was when she died. Yeah, this woman who was like beloved in her town. Like Maeve was beloved. By Everyone people, loved that which woman. Means that Terry grew up probably. This is like me extrapolating. Probably hearing about her all the time. Hearing about her and being called like Maeve's girl. And like, you know, they would know that she was Maeve's daughter. Right. You know what I mean? Like she's got a connection to her, but she doesn't. And that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that there is a desire in mm-hmm. her to be a mother. To feel connected. To yeah. feel specifically connected to her mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, her middle name is Maeve Rourke. I mean, she's yeah. Teresa Maeve Rourke Cassidy. The whole idea is that she is sort of embodying this woman whose life was cut short mm-hmm. by violence. Yeah. I get it on that level. Yeah, so do I. I don't think that enough interiority is given to, like, like you said, it's one line. Mm-hmm. We get so much of how Jamie feels about this pregnancy. Yes. We get no time with Terry. None, <laughs> except that she's like protective of her child, which mm-hmm. cool. But like, yeah. 
it's just very stock mom mm-hmm. to me. It doesn't like I just want more. Me too. If you're gonna do it, commit. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. think that the violence of her confronting. I mean, so yeah. To get back to my saying, how cool yes, it was. Yes. So after she saves Val, she is taken to obstetrics, and they're like, "Oh, there's a complication. We're gonna need to do an emergency C-section." Mm-hmm. She has an emergency C-section. Wakes up, oh God. Yeah. stitched up, the baby absorption moment happens, mm-hmm. and she freaks out and is clawing at Jamie's chest to try and get the baby back out. Yeah. And her stitches split open. Yep. And she starts bleeding everywhere. A C-section is a really traumatic surgery. Yes. My <laughs> mother had a C-section with me. Same. And once you have a C-section, you have to have a C-section with every subsequent yes. Pregnancy, because once they've cut into the tissue, it's like, well, we've got to do this again. Yep. Like a vaginal birth is not going to happen, yes. basically. So she has now had that experience, but there isn't even a baby. Mm-hmm. And this is why I think it could have been a really, and at times is, a really meaningful metaphor for stillbirth. Yes. But because it's fantastical, because the baby was, quote unquote, just a dupe. Mm-hmm. The vibe that you get is like, why is Terry still so upset about this baby that wasn't real? Mm-hmm. Which is just so disrespectful. Like, it's, mm-hmm. yep. But it's because we don't get interiority. We don't get Terry really talking about we how it feels it. to be pregnant. They skip it. They skip most of the pregnancy yes. for her. Which, <laughs> and this is this is I've said this before recently on this show. Even this mm-hmm. is actually to bring it to a place of Madeline Pryor for a moment. <laughs> this is. A real problem I have with Jean getting Maddie's memories. Mm. There's something very like, and I know that the purpose of that was Louise Simonson saying, if you liked Madeline, it's okay. She's part of Jean now. Don't worry about it. Right, right? Like right. That's the point. Yes. But we did get interiority of Madeline with her child mm-hmm. and of Madeline being pregnant and that stuff. Not enough of it. I would love more. But <laughs> right. the experience that she had of becoming a mother and then all of like all of this that's so really primal and intimate, Jean just absorbing it and taking it for her own really bugs me. Mm-hmm. The fact that Jean remembers giving birth to Nathan mm-hmm. weirds me out. Mm-hmm. Not to suggest that, like, you know, Jean is Nathan's mother. She adopted him. Yeah. And biologically, she's his mother. It's complicated. <laughs> I get that. But comics. Comics. But, right. you know, there's just something about that that feels really disrespectful to Maddie. Of Maddie's yes. body and her experiences. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I said when I mentioned it in an earlier episode, obviously, Jean is violated by the creation of Madeline to begin mm-hmm. with. Like, that's a violation on Sinister's part. But that isn't Maddie's fault. Mm-hmm. And to have Maddie's bodily integrity also violated in this way in return really bums me out. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. Those two women need to have a conversation. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, they do. <laughs> I have a lot of ideas about things that they would say to each other. Yeah. And I'm not blaming Jean for it. It's not something Jean, you know, like that's not a criticism of Jean. It's a criticism of the story. Mm-hmm. Jean didn't do anything wrong. It's like Betsy and Conan. Like Betsy is the bad actor there, but not because of anything Betsy did, because mm-hmm. of the framing of the story and the way that the story. Yeah. Everybody worked. got hurt and now we're dealing with all these feelings. Right. But one person got the better deal. Yes. You know? Yep. So. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I, I just don't, I don't, I just don't fucking like. 
yeah. the siren storyline. And they use it to call her stupid too. Yeah. It's another way that she's framed as delusional. Mm-hmm. And she's not delusional. She was pregnant for nine months, gave birth, and now she has a C-section scar. Mm-hmm. Like that was it real. Happened. She gave birth to a real baby. Yep. Whether there's a mutant power reason why you don't count him as, I mean, particularly when the book goes to such great pains to establish Father John Maddox as a real person, mm-hmm. it rings hollow to me. Yes. It feels like another way that the narrative frames her as a hysterical woman mm-hmm. who is not rational. Mm-hmm. And while Terry isn't always rational and tends to be more ruled by emotion, she's not delusional. No. And I think that that is how David often paints her. Yeah, please understand, viewers at home, that this is this whole thing happens after she has been tied up and beaten several times in the book. Yeah, like several including times. one of the first arcs mm-hmm. in the book is mm-hmm. like she gets tied up with a ball gag in her mouth. Yeah. And a depowered mutant who's gone crazy after M-Day beats the shit out of yep. her and Richter has to save her. Mm-hmm. And it's a great issue for Richter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is in service of a lot of other characters in that book and it is very upsetting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even what we talked about, like this is a big moment for Monet. Mm-hmm. It's a moment for Monet at Terry's expense because yes. it's like Terry's won't leave her bed and is fucking Deadpool again. It's like this whole, you know, like, <laughs> which that's it. funny. It's it funny. is funny you that she what? calls Deadpool okay. for like a one-off XX moment. Oh. I think that's funny. Yeah, I think it's funny too that, she, okay. And she's this like, is this isn't this happening is- again, so don't come back. But I just, yeah. you know, I needed to get something out like, of my system. This is the timeline of things that happens. Terry invites Monet because she needs to get her shit together and goes to Cassidy Keep. They both hang out at Cassidy Keep. This is what I think happens. I think they have a very, very like screaming match, yelling fight. Monet pieces out and she calls Deadpool for fuck. It's fun. I mean, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, you know, he has a healing factor. Like, Deadpool may annoy me, but he mm-hmm. probably is a good fuck. Yeah. Well, Rogue said he's a fucking good kisser. <laughs> I mean, and I believe it is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, he's got a lot of energy. I get it. <laughs> And he's funny. Funny people are usually better in bed. Yeah. Like, it's not my sense of humor, but like, <laughs> he wants to make women laugh, which is yeah. like better than he a lot of He is eager men. to please. Right? Exactly. <laughs> no, my issue with Deadpool, honestly, and this is not the fault of anyone, but the fact that like when the character is introduced, yeah. he's just Deathstroke the Terminator. And yeah. it's not until later that he becomes a like sympathetic character. Yeah. But the way that he treats copycat in that initial arc mm. of X-Force is rough for me. And yes. I like copycat. That's a character who I think deserves a fairer shake than she's ever gotten. Yeah, absolutely. I was annoyed in the Deadpool movies that Vanessa is just some girl and yeah. not the shape-shifting assassin copycat who's a really cool character in her own right. Mm-hmm. I would love for them to fix that. Like, just have her... She's already mutate. there. <laughs> she's already there. It's Marina Bakarin. Like, the yeah. idea that you would cast Come Marina Bakarin as Vanessa Carlyle mm-hmm. and then not have Vanessa Carlyle be, like, a sexy Catwoman-type character is insane to me, mm-hmm. honestly. Don't get it. I simply don't get it. It's also weird that, like, now that Domino's in Deadpool 2, it's like Domino and Copycat are both in this movie, but Copycat is just some girl. Yep. It's weird. It's weird. Not the choice I would have made. <laughs> Listen, I love a just some girl if the character works. Yeah. You know, like I loved Madeline Pryor when she was just some pilot lady. I love Candy Southern, obviously. I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. I love Maeve. <laughs> yeah. She's just some girl. <laughs> but give them something to do. Like Vanessa in yeah. those movies is just some girl. Yeah. And it's truly bizarre when you have that actress mm-hmm. in the role. 
Anyway, anyway, this is not a Deadpool podcast, but <laughs> yeah. But what I'm saying is like, yeah. even when it's Monet's character development, it's mm-hmm. at Terry's expense. Mm-hmm. It's this very specific thing where Terry is the irrational actor that all of the other characters grow up by contrasting themselves mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Except Rain, who is truly <laughs> the worst of the worst. I... <laughs> My, I, I have to say, this is one people are always people who have not read this book are always like, "What happened?" So I love to like progressively unveil more and more terrible things. I like to just throw a piece out. Does there. <laughs> yeah. So here's one that I haven't mentioned before on the show. When Rain's child Tear goes missing, Terry's like, "Well, you know, I lost a child, and I understand." And Rain says, "Oh, it's not the same it's thing. It's not the same." <laughs> Terry's sitting there. Isn't like, the same, Terry? She's eating like ice cream or whatever. And Monet and Terry are both there. She's like, well, I lost a child. And there's like, Rain's excuse for it is like, you wanted yours and I don't want mine. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, lady. <laughs> what? It is crazy. It is one of the wildest things she calls anyone up says a baby in that in book. A basement. That's a wolf. And then Terry And then notably, at Terry it. screams at it and it flies out the window, which is great. Yeah. And she's like, oh shit, was that your baby? <laughs> that mouth baby monster deserved to be screamed out the window. He then ruined the entire book for the next 40 issues. Yeah. So I'm good with it, honestly. <laughs> Terry <was> Truly right. <laughs> yeet that baby into the stratosphere with a sonic banshee scream. Mm-hmm. I'm all about that, frankly. Mm-hmm. But no, Rain just being like, oh, isn't I the same? Mm-hmm. And Terry keeps trying to connect with her about like Terry's like I'm sorry I just brought up my dead child to try (laughs) and bond with you and you told me to go fuck myself basically okay (laughs) Okay, sure fine Rain just sucks so fucking bad like Mm because Terry doesn't talk about this no she does not and she's like all right let's connect no she has the notable moment that you were talking about earlier with val cooper where val cooper thinks she's drinking and she has yes. a bottle and she has she's taking a swig from it it's a, now val, to be fair it is a wine bottle that terry bottle. is swigging out of and, and val like steals it from her and terry goes it's fucking water and val goes what and she goes if god loved me he'd turn it into wine but it's water <laughs> it's so good val cooper's like what is happening and then Val actually, mm-hmm. in contrast to the scene with Rain, mm-hmm. Val actually has she one of out. more human moments mm-hmm. when she says to Terry, listen, I had a miscarriage once and it really fucked me up, mm-hmm. but you got to get your shit together. Mm-hmm. That's about as vulnerable as we ever see Valerie Cooper yeah, be. Yeah, that's huge for her. Yeah, and it's in this very private context. It's just the two of them. It's just the two of them. Mm-hmm. And it's this experience that like we as like cis women have... Yeah. This is a bad thing that can happen to us. Mm-hmm. And it happened to me. And I have a lot of sympathy for what you're going through because yeah. I went through something similar myself. Yes. But I also need you to get your head in the game because you're losing it. Mm-hmm. That's a good scene. Mm-hmm. That is way better than fucking now the guy who got me pregnant, a version of him that's a priest is going to come consult me about my Catholic crisis of faith due yeah. to the loss of my child. Yeah, It's just... that's insane. Mm -hmm. Whereas the scene with Val Cooper, like if it had been something that then developed with Terry and Val having conversations about it, that would have been cool. Yes, it would have. You know, if she said to Val, like, did you have a name? Like, you know, if they talked Mm -hmm. about the experience of both losing a child. Yes. And maybe Val would say, no, it wasn't that far along. Or Or maybe she would say, yeah, I did. They could have a conversation about it. And they would be dealing with it a little bit. And it would be two women having this conversation. Not one woman being painted as a psycho Mm -hmm. because 
she's grieving the death of her baby. It's mm-hmm. just a very weird story. And yeah. I don't think it served the character. Yeah. And it is probably no coincidence that eventually Peter David was just like, and then she gets put on a bus to the realm of the gods. <laughs> like, there's like, you know, because yeah. what are you going to do with that character when you've traumatized her more deeply than any other story mm-hmm. could, right? Like, mm-hmm. what else are you going to do to her at this point? And place? it doesn't get better from there. Like, she just no. keeps getting traumatized. And it's right. very clear that there isn't care into actually giving her space to deal with that or grow from it or exist in it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, okay, cool. I guess just write her out. Mm-hmm. And the Layla of it all. <laughs> and the well, we, so, even this we didn't even get into Layla Miller. We were fucking talking about oh, Layla Miller. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! oh we God. didn't even get into Layla Miller. How have we gone? Okay, hold on. Uh, I probably <laughs> cut stuff down. So, and then I added the character files. So I don't know oh, where no. you're at right now, listener. But we are at two thirty eight fifty two, and it is the first time that one of us, I believe, has mentioned Layla Miller. I in thought this about her earlier. Then I was like, no, it's not time. <laughs> it's not the time. It's not the time. So yeah, the child who she never liked, who was rude to her throughout Twelve. her relationship with Jamie, was like thirteen or whatever. Has now aged up into a sexy babe and mm-hmm. is marrying Jamie. And is fucking Jamie real soon. The whole thing <laughs> is perverse. We've gone into that. The Mad yes. Rex episode gets into the Layla of it all. Yeah. Someday, God help me, oh. I'll have to do an episode oh, no. about Layla Miller. <laughs> I guess I'll try to find a fan. They're out there. Lots yeah. of them. I don't get it. Most people were done dirty in X-Actor investigations. Layla is... Go with God on that if you're yeah, a fan. I find God. that character unbearable. She takes so much It's work. the moment where she's like, I also learned magic from Dr. Doom. That I was just like, this feels like satire well, at she, this point. She walks in and she's painted as this like antagonist to Terry the entire time. Yeah, even as a and child, she yes. In, <laughs> she says, I'm going to marry the man you are sleeping with, having a baby with. And then later in life, she pins Monet and says, hey, we're going to be best friends in the future. <laughs> And it's like, do you just walk in and you like take everything that Terry has? What the fuck is this? Well, and the way that Layla is presented specifically as this hyper rational. Mm, Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. In contrast to Terry's crazy uterus vibe. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, it's like, oh, my God, she's gone crazy because of her hormones. Whereas Layla is so methodical that it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to follow this path. Exactly. I do what needs to be done. I'm going to send myself into the future to suffer in a concentration camp because I know that I have to like that stuff Mm -hmm. is the fact that she's then like rewarded with like the man, (laughs) which like (laughs) your mileage may vary on that one. But yeah, the fact that the happy ending is that this is the woman Jamie should be with, not Terry. Yeah. Is, like this is the thing we, we've been talking about how Jamie is bad for Terry but the way that it's framed in the story is that Terry is bad for Jamie mm-hmm. she doesn't deserve him right it's like honey <laughs> yeah which like talk about a booby prize I mean I mm-hmm. loved loved X Corp 3 where it was clear that marrying Jamie Madrox was not it's a not win. a prize <laughs> that's that's not the call that's not like the lottery you want to fucking win (laughs) i just got an alert because we sold candy southern shirt 61 so i'm just saying Uh, it's ticking up i was just struck i was like oh love that for us while we're recording it's a gift 
<laughs> but yeah, so there are questions about the arc that we're talking about. So I'm just going to say, let's put a sure. pin in it for now. Sure. But like, fuck Absolutely. that storyline. Fuck that, yeah. Fuck it. It's uh-huh. bad. And God willing, we'll just never mention it again unless it's in a sensitive way that talks about Terry moving past what happened. Because mm-hmm. now she clearly is in a better place. And like, mm-hmm. if we want to retrospectively have her talk about yeah. that was a really bad time in my life and I stayed sober or like, yes. well, like that. Because she be hasn't a, relapsed. No. She, hasn't she comes slipped, close a couple of times, but, but she, she never does. It. Yeah. Yeah. The last time like in, in canon that she has relapsed was in X-Force. Yeah. And she has been clean since. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. And there's a lot of the things that triggered her in that X-Force is Jimmy asks her to steal, which is a sore topic for her because. Which takes her back to being with Tom Black Tom King. manipulating her mm-hmm. into Manip- helping him. Yep. And she feels like she has to do that with Tom because she misses him. She feels like they had grown apart. She wants to do something with him. So she does that. Because that's the thing we didn't mention mm-hmm. is that when she was 12, yep. we brought up the boarding school thing, but when yes. she was 12, he was shipped off. Tom, because he was getting more and more involved in crime, mm-hmm. sent her away to boarding school because he was afraid that she would get tied up in something dangerous. Yes, he wanted to keep her safe. But she perceived it as a rejection of her. Mm-hmm. And so she started drinking at 13 yes. at boarding school mm-hmm. and became a functional alcoholic as a teenager. Yes. Yep. Before she goes back to him and becomes his like apprentice in super villainy. So that's the the backstory. And the thing there is too, is that it's um, retrofitted in 91 and we'll. Yeah, this is Niciesa. This is Niciesa establishing that backstory. Oh, yeah, in 31 and then 91 builds on that. And in 91, they mention like it's. Oh, yeah, I thought you meant 1991. And I was like, a little later. And like, no, you mean X Force 91. X Force 31, X Force 91. Let's go to X Force 91 because I know that that story is really important to you. Yes, it is. I really like this arc as well. Mm-hmm. This is where she gets written out of the book, though. Yes. But it turns out the book doesn't run for too much longer. <laughs> yeah, and, and they even talk about it in the letters column and stuff. I read all the letters stuff because I'm really interested in like that as a historical. How book. fans were reacting yeah, at the time. Yeah, and how they yeah. were talking to fans and things, and especially the contrast be- between the X-Force letter column and the X-Factor investigations letter column, mm. which I remember... I- this is a, t- a tiny little pin, but um, uh, when I went back and reread X Factor Investigations for the first time since I had read it initially as a baby teenager, yeah. I did not expect like the like visceral like oh my god I'm feeling 14 again you know what I mean Mm -hmm. happened when I read it I was like holy shit (laughs) I have that experience whenever I reread the Claremont and Davis Excalibur yeah right I feel like I'm like 10 years old Mm -hmm. and like so I was like oh my god I remember who I was at the time when I was reading this and how it was like striking me and stuff and how it felt uneasy and now I can put words to it anyway in 91 they go on to say like when Tom does a successful job they do a shot afterwards mm-hmm. and he has no idea that she has been drinking at boarding school. No, it's so, like a treat. Cause it's uh-huh. like, this is the expensive whiskey. <laughs> and she's like, honey, you're <laughs> old enough. You're 16. Mm-hmm. We, you can do a shot with me after mm-hmm. we rob a bank. Mm-hmm. And, so, <laughs> and all of this stuff that she doesn't feel good about that she's doing because she misses her father figure, like gets tied up in her abuse of alcohol and like trying to get out of her body and not be there and stuff. And trying to fuck older men. Yeah. I and mean, there's a whole, yeah, like there's the a fact lot that of... she's getting drunk and mm-hmm. hitting on cable, mm-hmm. I think is significant. Yes. That she has really profound daddy issues yeah, in 
a way that is a little like stereotypical, mm-hmm. but I like the way that Nisiesa writes it. Yeah, because again, it doesn't feel like, uh, women and their daddy issues, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. like this character has a specific trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So so why <laughs> she realizes in 31, or like, you know, that little X-Force bit is yeah. he asked her to steal. And then Sam, she's in this leadership position and then Sam comes back. And comes back to the team because she's finally gotten to be real leader. She's a leader. Because Sam's gone. Yes. And then Cable, everyone, Cable, everyone immediately gives it back to him without another word. And she's like, pardon you. Excuse me. I've been leading this team for and like 20 issues. doing a good job. Yeah, I was good at it. It becomes this cycle for her of like her leadership is conditional. Like she has to jump mm-hmm. through several other hoops to do this stuff that just gets handed to Sam Guthrie. And I love Sam. He's a sweet boy. But I got beef with him. But it's because Cable loves him like a son, mm-hmm. which is that's exactly. And on some level, I do think. Mm-hmm. Terry sabotages that possibility yes, for herself does. by approaching him sexually early. Yes. Book. Cable's like, what's that about? <laughs> yeah. And once she takes herself out of that category in his yes. mind, mm-hmm. like, mm, this girl's troubled and is like hitting on me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not thinking of her as a daughter. I'm thinking of her as like a sexual being who is causing problems. Mm-hmm. I think that she sabotages that herself. She could have had a father-daughter relationship with Cable, yeah. but she she just blows it up before it can start. Yeah. And I think that Cable isn't putting, he's putting in a little bit of effort, but again, Sam is there. So he's getting more of it. So she's seeing Sam get more. And if it's not Sam, it's better. Like he really bonds with those two boys and with Tabby Mm -hmm. to some extent. She's going around looking for dads and no one is being her dad. (laughs) No, no one, not even her actual dad is going to be her dad. Yeah. 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 And like, I love Banshee, but like, he's not a good father. No, he knows that. He says that. I mean, because he's like, he doesn't know how to be a father because he didn't know he was one Mm -hmm. until this fully formed human being walked into the X-Mansion with Mm -hmm. a letter. Mm -hmm. And now he's trying, but he doesn't know how to be a dad. Mm -hmm. And that's why when Terry is being weird and delusional, as far as everyone else is concerned about Strawn's death, Mm -hmm. Monet is like, it's fucking insulting. He was more of a father to me than he ever was to her. (laughs) Get over it. (laughs) Yeah, She's being ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Mm-hmm. Like he was more of a father to Monet than he ever was to Terry. Yeah. And I think that raises, like it raises, there's so much Cassidy drama. I think they're very soapy and I love that. Like I want more. They, we've never gotten, I want we've that never so gotten. badly. Yeah. And like, so she has this relationship that she had with Tom, like Tom, I, you, I don't know how you feel about it, but it feels like in her like younger years, he was a good dad to her. He was. He was caring. Until he loving. sent her away. Yes. The one thing that he did Mm -hmm. was the lie. Yeah. And that is the problem because she can't Mm -hmm. ever trust him again. But he was the only positive father figure that she really had. He was going to tell Sean. And then Sean (laughs) showed up, said... That's the reveal that Nisiesa does in 31, right? Is that when Sean showed up and Mm -hmm. found out Maeve was dead... He blamed Tom. Tom was about to say, but she had a child. And then Sean... Flips out the and shit out of him. <laughs> Sonic screams at Tom and is like, it's your fault you didn't protect her. And that's the reason Tom has a limp. Yes. Like, that's a great retcon too. The yeah. reason he walks with a shillelagh, yeah. A, to focus his powers through it, but he also actually has a limp yes. and it's revealed that it's because of Sean. Sean nearly killed him mm-hmm. when he found out about Maeve. And mm-hmm. so at that moment, like with his leg broken in 10 places or whatever, he's just like, I'm actually not going to tell you about the kid. I'm going to take the kid because fuck you. Mm-hmm. And it's this series of events too there where these men in her life who are like, they make choices for her 
that she doesn't get to make herself. Right. That's something that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. And even when, like, Jimmy is really good to her, Jimmy. but it's still, like, he's still the one who makes those decisions in that story. Yeah. The thing that she gets that is great that mm-hmm. she's not often afforded is that conversation she has with Tom yeah, at, at her Maeve mother's Spring. grave, mm-hmm. where he is turning himself in because Kane is going to turn him in because that's the, basically Tom is dying because he's been experimented on and his plant powers are now super out of control and they're making him insane. Oh, and there's another thing that I thought would be in, an interesting avenue to explore with them. If like you were to dive into the family stuff is she had this guardian and this, this father figure who is now not all there and how that must feel for her and for him and how their relationship has changed and like how terrible like that is to go through you know what i mean yeah it's like it's kind of a dementia story yeah also yeah and then what i like about it also is like if you are reading kane and tom as a gay couple in this period in the early 90s mm-hmm. it also has a very like my partner is dying of aids yeah. vibe mm-hmm. kane doesn't want to give tom to the authorities who won't let them be together yep what basically jimmy implies is like listen if you turn him in and they can stabilize his condition then both of you live to fight another day. Mm-hmm. And Kane's like, and I could break him out. And Jimmy's like, I didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying. Super ally, Jimmy Proudstorm. <laughs> he's like, I'm just saying, theoretically, yeah. that could happen. Yeah. Yep. You could, you know. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy's kind of being that facilitator between Kane, Tom, and Terry and trying yeah. to like have this like reconciliation kind of deal so that she can kind of move on and he can move because on. Because he's and... now seen her like rock bottoming on yep. alcohol at Cassidy Keep yep. and he doesn't want that for her. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, you can't help someone until they decide they want help. Yes. And that's what the realization that she has. That's, that's why it's important mm-hmm. that she confronts Tom. Yes. Well, he comes to see her, Mm -hmm. but she is not surprised, which I like. Yes. She knows he was going to come. I like that too. And they have a very, it's a great issue. This case is so good, honestly. This run is really good. It's funny. It's just like, I didn't like the art when I was a kid. I didn't like the art stuff. Yeah, same. So I never really read this, but Mm -hmm. it is very good. It's very good. They have this very candid conversation where she basically says, like, I am constantly sabotaging my own life the same way that you did Mm -hmm. because I feel like I don't deserve love the same way that you do. And I've got to stop. Yep. I've got to stop. I have to stop it so that way I can have these things that ultimately she does want. She wants to have a family. She wants to be right. She deserves those things, you know? Yeah. She deserves to be happy. And she realizes that she deserves to be happy, but she has to take steps to do so. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a lot. And that Mm -hmm. takes us to 91, 91. which is 60 issues later in the arc immediately before that, Feral, who betrayed the team a long mm-hmm. time ago to join the Mutant Liberation Front, but now is part of the new Hellions. Tarot's there. Yes. I love Tarot. I love Tarot. Yeah. King Bedlam, a character you don't need to worry about. <laughs> yeah. But he is Jesse Bedlam's older brother. Jesse Bedlam is a more recent recruit to the team yep. in late stage X-Force. He then gets crucified by the Church of Humanity alongside Skin and dies on the lawn in the Chuck Austin run. King Bedlam is a bad guy. Mm-hmm. He has various vaguely defined powers. One of them he has used to resurrect Taro, mm-hmm. who is part of this group with him. And he forms with her the New Hellions, which includes Magma in one of her many villain moments that oh, she just magma. <laughs> has sometimes. 
And Feral, who's been evil since she Feral looks on great X-Force. in the new Hellions. It's a great design for her. I yeah, love it. for sure. <laughs> she ends up slitting Siren's throat with yes. her claws mm-hmm. because she's like, it's high time someone shut you up. Irish. Which is kind of an iconic line. Like, <laughs> yeah, I fucking love Terry and I, that is extremely <laughs> traumatic for her. But for Feral just to go shut the fuck up and then slash her throat is like, whoa. Yeah, I'm looking at it's it now. It's a moment. It's a moment. I just pulled it up. and. <laughs> Farrell says, someone's needed to shut you up for a long time, Irish, and I volunteer. Yeah. And just slashes her right across the throat. Mm-hmm. Jimmy goes, Teresa. And Terry grabs her throat and goes, her throat. <laughs> it's really bad. She is rushed to the hospital, mm-hmm. but it appears to be permanent damage. Yep. She can't speak. She can't use her power. This notably is not unlike what happened to her father when he lost his powers with Moses Magnum. It's also not unlike exactly what will happen to her father at the end of the X-Core arc Mm -hmm. following the cancellation of Gen X, which takes place after this. 91 is... I hadn't read it before. It is one of it's immediately as I read it, like it skyrocketed to one of my favorite issues of all time. Like it sits in the pile with murder at the mansion. Now it's beautiful. Um, it's written by John Francis Moore. Um, and, uh, Tommy, Tommy Lee Edwards. Edwards. Yes. Draws it. It's yeah. beautiful. Like both written beautifully and like artistically, it's fucking beautiful. And it opens with her. They are living in San Francisco now in X-Force. And she is like, standing looking out at the golden gate bridge and kind of by herself having this moment of imagining how she used to be able to jump off of things and scream and fly and now she knows she can't do that mm-hmm. and how suddenly if she did that she would just fall and it goes through like her whole internal monologue. She like spends the day by herself. You know, the rest of the team is like, where is she? Um, she's like, not, they're speculating. Jimmy is worried. Tabitha is worried. But also like Tabitha has grown a lot since, you know, those early days of being like, fuck Terry. Now she's like, I understand that sometimes people need space, but sometimes yeah. people need to have somebody to be around mm-hmm. just to like feel okay she goes and spends the entire time just thinking about where she's come from day one on x-force and reflecting on how angry and cynical they all were back then (laughs) yeah and how far they've grown from that and like she talks more about her past and trauma in this. Um, She talks about Jimmy. She talks about, I didn't expect for someone to care for me and stick around because I'd not really had that before. I'd had so many people leave me. She hangs out at a coffee shop with singers and a singer comes in. And the thing about Terry too, Terry can sing (laughs) like really, really well. And Mm -hmm. it is like a favored pastime to the point that the rest of X-Force is always mentioning like, we know when Terry's in the shower because her voice she won't shut up. (laughs) And she's singing the hits of the 70s. Um, And she's like watching this woman 
sing and being like, I used to be able to do that. And now I can't. And that brings me so much grief and pain. Mm -hmm. Who am I? If I'm not siren, who am I? If I'm not a leader, who am I? What use am I? If I can't contribute the ways that I used to contribute and fight evil and be this person that I created that was strong. And now I'm just Teresa Vort Cassidy. And she comes in on the end, like it's fucking beautiful. She comes in and she, she goes to a liquor store. She goes to a liquor store and she uses her ID and it is a pointed thing. Like he looks at her ID and says, oh my God, you just barely like made it over like the legal limit, right? Right. <laughs> and she buys a bottle. The implication being that she's like, she's what, like 21. Yeah, 21, 22. Yeah. That's it. She buys it and she talks about like her history with it and that thing that we mentioned with Tom and like the boarding school and everything and like associating it with doing things she doesn't want to do or places she doesn't want to be and trying to escape. One of the one of the little notes in here that I love is when Domino, they're all kind of searching for her a little bit. Domino goes and asks a local bookstore owner and says, have you seen her? I know she comes here. And he says to her like, oh, like, yeah, she comes in here and she buys military strategy books, mm -hmm. which is a recurring theme for her. Like she puts in the work because she wants to be that person for people. She appears a couple times in Deadpool where she's just like on the internet searching how to be a better leader. Yeah. It's just a testament to like how hard she like really wants to be this. It goes to the end and she's sitting and this page fucking kills me. It's her sitting alone at a bus stop at night and the people are there and then they get on the bus and they leave and it's just her. And it just says one drink just for tonight, just to ease the pain just so I don't have to think anymore, just to make the hurt go away. Like that's, it's fucking beautiful. And it's like, it resonates so hard because like, that's, that's, I've, I've been in that moment, you know, mm -hmm. it's hard when you're alone and you're thinking that. And then she has this moment of clarity where she's different, where she used to be because of all the work she has put in along the way and the value that her sobriety brings her that she's like, fuck, I need to go be with people who understand this because otherwise I'm going to slip it. I don't want to do that. Right. So she goes and she finds an AA meeting mm -hmm. and she goes to the meeting and that's where we leave her for a hot second. Like it opens with the, like, my mm -hmm. name's Gavin and I'm an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And because she can't speak, she's, you just get, yeah. it's a narration, but yeah. you get my name's, my name's Teresa. Teresa. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we've, go a couple hours later. And this is how the issue ends is she goes back to their headquarters. And of course, Jimmy is waiting up for her because they're, they're best friends. Yeah. She writes him a letter and it's such a testament to how far she has come from that first time where she has all these abandonment issues and she's so scared that if she goes away, like she'll, she gets jealous if like somebody disappears for a while. And then she's like, do I have a place in your life anymore? And all these insecurities. And she writes this letter to him that says like, Hey, I'm not doing great. I need to go spend some time alone to figure out what my new life means for me. But I am comfortable enough that I know that you will be here waiting for me when I'm done. Mm -hmm. And it's so good. <laughs> it's really good. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. It's unfortunate that it then pivots into the necklace. Thing I know. Because, <laughs> you know but, <laughs> but this issue is so fucking good. 
the magic necklace does make her drink. I think that's the last time mm-hmm. she's ever yeah, had alcohol right, and pedal, right. but it's not her. Like, yeah. so it doesn't, I wouldn't say it counts, I, yeah. but that's what makes yeah. her aunt go like something is wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is like, I'm well aware that Terry doesn't drink. She would right? trash like, the ha- yeah. She like the, the, ne- the necklace <laughs> possession trashes the house, takes a drink and flies off into the night. <laughs> flies away. Yeah. Yeah. That's not so freaking weird. Yeah. That story, But you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, are there any other stories you want to make sure we talk about before we get to the listener questions? We got a lot of listener questions. Okay, so great. I think we should jump into them soon. Sure. Um, I'll just mention two things. I really like 42, even though it's also very Jimmy heavy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of Jimmy and Terry go to visit like the Gen X place because it's just getting set up. And Jimmy yeah. has a talk with Emma dealing with his shit. And Terry Because he was a hellion, right? Yeah. And he uh, like his whole reservation was like fucking torched, like obliterated. Yeah. So he's trying to figure out who did that. And he thought it was Emma and it wasn't fucking Emma. No. You kill one pony and people <laughs> think you do a genocide. Yeah, right. He's like, did you do it though? And she's like, no. No, I didn't genocide not. your you, tribe. Do you think I would be sloppy enough to leave a Hellfire Club mask at the fucking scene of the Come crime? on, this is a setup. <laughs> yeah, but there's one moment in there that I really liked. It was Strife, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like he and Emma have this conversation where they're kind of being snarky and bantery and mean to each other. And the one moment where they're like very, very honest, where he says like, I don't want to leave X-Force because Terry needs me. And I, well, a lot of people have left her before and I don't want to be another person who does that. I don't want to let her down. And Emma very matter of factly says, you won't period. After being like really kind of like bitchy to him for the rest of the conversation. Yeah. Which is really good. So that one's a good one to pull. And then do we want to talk about her powers a little bit and how they differ? Yeah. Because we didn't talk at all about hot voice. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say. So this is a thing that's established by, (laughs) well, Claremont loves a sexy mind control power, right? So what's immediately established in the Spider-Woman story in her first appearance Mm -hmm. is that Terry has power applications that Sean does not Mm -hmm. have. One of them is that her voice can be used to hypnotize people. Yes. And over the course of X-Force, this is sort of elaborated upon to make her into a literal siren. We saw this recently in Leah Williams' Uh, X-Factor. She hasn't done this in a long time. And so it was a funny (laughs) moment where it was a little meta, but it was good, where like Mm -hmm. she does it to Polaris Mm -hmm. and then it's like, oh, forgot I could do that, huh? You know, because it's been a minute. I'm so mad I don't have that page. (laughs) (laughs) When I was like, I was like, someone should get this page and then someone bought the page. I was like, God damn it. (laughs) I meant me. I meant me. me. I was the someone. Yeah. But it happened. It's it's the first thing that happens in um, issue one of X Factor Investigations that she uses it. Yeah. Uh huh. And okay, here's the thing: <laughs> she can like do other things with her voice. She can make people nauseous. She can hypnotize them. She can like lull them into a sleep. All these fucking little like el- elaborations that make something cool. I like I like yeah. when they get like when they mutants are learning things about themselves and they get to kind of level up. I enjoy that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, in X Factor Investigations. Uh, And this will set you up for the whole rest of the series because this is how the first issue goes for her. She hot voices a lesbian. (laughs) Yeah. And then has a gay panic when the lesbian says, so we're going to run away together now, right? Because she needs some information from her work. And Terry goes, oh God, oh shit. Oh, oh no, 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 no. And then the lesbian dies in her arms. (laughs) Sure does. 
Issue one. Issue one. And then, and this is the moment that I'm really talking about where it sets you up. Like, this is how we're going to be for the rest of the time. There is a choice that Terry is written to be sitting at a table with a empty glass and a bottle of liquor. Mm-hmm. And she's just sitting there with it, staring at it, which is a particular form of torture. <laughs> yeah. And Layla comes in and says, Layla, what are you doing? Are you going to have a drink? And Terry goes, no, I'm an alcoholic. So I just get to stare longingly. So it's this like mental torture that's immediately set up in issue one. And at fr- like, I ugh, have so many complicated. Feelings well, and everything that. that happens to her over the course of that whole book is just torture of things that she wants, but isn't allowed to have. Yep. What's frustrating about that is like, she has already made the choice to be sober. Yes. And to be in recovery. Mm-hmm. Now that's an ongoing lifelong journey. Yes, it is. But she, I don't think she would do that. <laughs> yeah, I just it doesn't ring true to me mm-hmm. to even hold liquor in X-Force 91. Yes. She had to have her life destroyed. Mm-hmm. I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. It feels either. like shorthand in a way that is lazy, which is exactly my criticism yeah. yep. of yep. X-Factor Investigations Terry yes. overall yes. is that she's very two dimensional most of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all shorthand. My issue with it, with Layla in particular. Oh God, Layla, yes. I mean, like, where where do I begin? Yeah. But like, (laughs) (laughs) she fills my heart. (laughs) Terrible things. Um, Here's what I want to (laughs) know. Did Layla know what was going to happen with the pregnancy? Mm Mm-hmm. She definitely did. Mm Mm-hmm. Why didn't she do anything to stop that? Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's really fucked up. It is really fucked up. And I think that the reason why Layla doesn't do anything to prevent this horrible tragedy from happening to Terry is because she knows that the horrible tragedy is what... Now, it's implied that Layla can't change anything, yada, you know. Yada, yada, yada. (laughs) I'm sorry. Later in the story, she decides, I'm going to start changing things because I'm sick of living in a fatalistic Mm -hmm. way. But like, okay... After she, oh, you she allowed changes it to save Monet to save Guido first, yeah, but like she does, she does, she saves Guido because she's like, if I didn't save Guido, if I don't you were save Guido, yourself. right? I knew yeah. that in my future, mm-hmm. I didn't save Guido, and you became mm-hmm. a monster. Yada, yeah, yada, yeah, yada, yeah, yada. yeah. And I don't want that to happen to you, mm-hmm. so I saved Guido mm-hmm. because in our future we were very we're good best friends, friends, and I love you. <laughs> But she had no problem allowing Terry (laughs) to have her life completely destroyed because guess what? That makes Terry no longer a viable romantic interest for Jamie Madrox. Mm -hmm. And now I recognize that she's 13 years old when this all happened. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the layers. (laughs) I hate that I have to recognize that, but unfortunately this is the story we've been given. Yeah. I was also selfish at 13, Mm -hmm. but... Adult Layla is the one who gave her those memories. Like, I just, there's so much about it that's twisted that, you know. So much. We could, but the way that Terry is allowed to go through this, mm-hmm. because if Layla derails it, then she won't get her happy ending with Jamie Madrox, really fucking infuriates me. Yep. <laughs> Especially because Terry's last appearance in that book at the end of the fucking book is when she descends from the oh, heavens <laughs> to be the deus ex machina who enables Jamie and Layla to live happily ever after. Oh yeah, Jamie's a demon, if you remember that. Jamie that, gets turned into a demon, that, remember that? 
Rematch. Don't worry about it because <laughs> he prays to the Morrigan and Siren comes and restores him because she can do that now. And then she gives them like, <laughs> honestly, it's like the end of a Real Housewives season mm-hmm. where it just goes like, and like it closes in on someone's face and it's like, Kyle is trying to open her new boutique or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's exactly you know? what it, it pans to Richter and Shatterstar and they're like, who? <laughs> And it's like Richter and Shatterstar <laughs> spent time in Mojo World where they learned that Shatterstar was yada, yada, yada. Like, yeah, there, there's like the Monet learned the power of friendship. And like, yeah, yeah. Shatterstar's his own grandpa. Like, <laughs> but it's that exact like, here's yes. a montage. And Terry has to narrate it mm-hmm. and then be like, all right, bye, kids. Have a beautiful life together. I'm going back to Tiananmen. <laughs> she, like, she sits at their kitchen table and they all just sit there. In her Morrigan <laughs> out with like her like crow feather epaulets. It's so fucking stupid. It's so weird. I mean, it's funny, it's but like, funny. I don't think it's supposed to be funny in it's the way that not. it's funny. But it's really funny now because I send that panel to so many people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, remember this? Da-da-da. She's just sitting there. Isn't Layla like, do you want some water? Yeah. Layla's like, would you like a drink? <laughs> She's like, no, I'm fine. And then it's silence. <laughs> like, you know, it's like five minutes of silence being like, well, we have to go to the local dance hall now. <laughs> yeah, we've got to we got to leave. Uh, do you are you good? Are you going back to? To wherever the Celtic gods live. What's the what's your gist <laughs> what's your right now? Like now. <laughs> yeah, because we're kind of we had you like sleep? a plan tonight, you know. Um America's Got Talent is on at eight, so <laughs> Yeah, like hun, mm, it's it's so good to see you, Terry, but we're like a li- thanks for the assist. Jamie's not a demon. That's great. Also, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and I'm pregnant, by the way. That's what makes me want to die. Is that specifically she facilitates yeah. the happy ending of Layla's having Jamie's baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she does. <laughs> what <laughs> is that? I simply, I simply. This book is demented. I'm sorry. There's it like is. no, there is no excusing no. the back half of that fucking book. Mm-hmm. And the first half, as we've said, rough for this yeah, character. Yeah, right. but- it was already rough (laughs) but at least it like has a coherent like logic and theme to it and then it just loses its mind the only fucking thing that i like find that is that like (laughs) redeems a moment or two for me is like terry's interactions with monet where they are both passing this like angry i'm gonna beat up this dude you need to do something like brain cell back and forth they (laughs) remain the best part of the book whenever they pop up and i like lorna until they go She's gone crazy. Well, yeah, Lorna. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't like. Apart from oh. the early nineties, I just don't like how Peter David writes yeah. Lorna at all. Yeah, and it is such a regression of mm-hmm. all of the work. Like, I don't like Brubaker X Men. Mm-hmm. I think Austin X Men is obviously Austin X Men, but yeah. Lorna had had an arc that was interesting she had an arc. through those books <laughs> for the first time, like yeah. ever. Yeah, she yeah, had yeah, an arc. Yeah. I hear you. And then Peter David was like, no, she didn't. We're just taking her right back to 1994 yeah. when I last wrote her. And it's like, this sucks. And then there's the other moment where. I also, think also, oh, I'm sorry. Go, it go, sucks. Go. It sucks that when Jamie dies for like the 50th time, mm-hmm. Havoc and Polaris show up to lead the team. Terry's leading the team. 
Wolverine <laughs> tells Havoc and Polaris, someone needs to go lead X Factor. You should like, go do that. Terry's like, I've been leading the team. <laughs> Again. Yeah. Again. And everyone's just like, oh, we should listen to Havoc and Polaris. They like know what they're doing. The funniest shit is that like Havoc's in charge and then like Terry says something and Lorna agrees with Terry and Alex is like, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> What's really infuriating about it is it's framed as like they're sparing Terry the stress of leaving. Yeah. Like, that's all she wants to do. That's the one thing she feels at home at right now. That's her coping mechanism. Uh, she's too crazy. Her yeah. baby died. She can't be trusted to lead. Like, it's yeah. just, I. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other thing um, is another prime Val Cooper moment where Terry uses <laughs> a um what are those things called the like the like amplifier voice what is that called a megaphone megaphone she uses a megaphone on a crowd of people to use hot voice and says put down all your guns all that stuff blah 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 she and like seduces them all she seduces them all she seduces all of the men like the human men on their side and the human except like, the deaf guy yes. which is funny. and Val <laughs> And Val Cooper says, <laughs> straight even straight over here says she's not on type. Yeah, Val Cooper's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, why It's like why didn't the hot voice work on Val? And Val's like, she's not my type. Yeah, because Valerie lies. Cooper is the most heterosexual <laughs> yes, individual in is. the Marvel Universe, so certainly funny. in the X-Men franchise. Which means that there are the most bisexuals on that fucking t- like, panel right there because it's like a mixed gender. Like, There's some women thing. in that crowd. Yeah, they're, it's like they're at least a nickel gang because <laughs> they are hot voiced up. Oh my God. But <laughs> the force of Val Cooper's Republican heterosexual girl boss power, power, it's just not possible. <laughs> She's like, I don't, I don't feel anything. But that raises a question, as you pointed out to me, because I've always said Polaris is one mm. of the straighter X-Men characters to me. As you pointed out, <laughs> she is susceptible to hot voice yes, in Leah is. Williams' X-Factor, which would suggest that she is at least a nickel gay herself. Uh-huh. <laughs> so hot voice, hot voice <laughs> tells you. <laughs> it is like a bisexual detector mm-hmm. on some level. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Only of women, but in the X-Men franchise, that's a very useful device. It is very, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, honestly, like, it is a little bit like walking into Chernobyl with a Geiger counter. Like, <laughs> yeah, if you're right. trying to detect bisexuals at the X-Men, <laughs> sexual so women, <laughs> yeah, right. you're like, oh, my God. You just suddenly, like, it explodes. Oh, my in God. Your hand. We're surrounded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. There you go. Oh, um, and here's here's one other thing while we're talking about the bisexuality going on. Well, because I know that you have, like, a bisexual siren manifesto. Well, I do. But, um, because here's the thing. <laughs> I don't want to, like, I... I well, I, yeah. I, I, I'm of the mind of, like, whatever you get out of these books is what you get out of these books. And that is hold true to you. What holds true to somebody else does not hold like, you know, we don't have to like get the same things out of it or whatever. You know what I mean? I think that's what's great about them. However, I'm going to raise the point that X factor investigations. If you were like writing it down on a timeline scale, it starts with her having gay panic by accidentally hot voicing a lesbian. And it ends with her making out with a goddess to accept her mantle. (laughs) And if that's not realizing you're bi, I don't know what is. <laughs> Sometimes we all have to make out with the goddess inside ourselves, you know? <laughs> I think that Monet politely teen jeans her and says, honey, you've been thinking about my boobs for like 20 minutes. Please go deal with this. <laughs> Please go handle this. It's yeah. become embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not even listening and I can hear it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Wild, wild time. Monet is another character who feels pretty straight to me, but she's also definitely the kind of mm-hmm. girl who like makes out with other girls when she's drunk. Yes. And that I feel like is definitely something that has happened with Terry, which I is agree. funny because Terry is sober. So Terry's probably like, Monet, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, not while you're drinking. <laughs> Let's talk about this another time. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that happens a lot with them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but then when she's sober, Monet's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> See, okay. Cause there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, if you're going to read it, there's a lot of biphobia and lesbophobia and like the whole gamut in gay panic and shit in X factor investigations. It's there. It's on the page. Like it's Guido is used for the mouth. Well, Guido is that. like actively homophobic. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so it's, rain is used to say a lot of that stuff too. Rain is rain, babe. Like that went without saying. Yeah. yeah. Rain's like Richter's going to hell because of the <laughs> he's gay. You're gonna you're gonna send Richter to hell with your penis. Yeah. Basically. So. Yeah. And Shatterstar's like, would you like to join? <laughs> Shatterstar's like anyway, threesome. Yeah. Because that's how he's characterized. Yeah. That There's movie. a moment where she's leading after all of the dupe baby stuff has happened, where she wakes up at her desk and Monet is wakes her up and she says. <laughs> Are you, wait, are you in bed with me? Because that would be weird. And the way I make that okay is that we have agreed to stop doing this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and if you are in here with me, like that's, that's we already talked about this. <laughs> you can't just climb into my bed when you've had a couple, Monet. Mm-hmm. That's not how this works. <laughs> she just wakes up, Monet's there. <laughs> it's just like, ah. Oh, God. All right. Well, I think now is a good time to get into listener questions because we got a metric fuck ton of these. I love to hear that. Metric, I guess, because we're in Ireland. They use the metric system, right? Mm. Everybody uses the metric system (laughs) uh, except us is my understanding. So I'm just going to go and we're going to answer as many as we can before we get tired. Because we've been recording for almost three and a half hours and at a certain point we do need to sleep. So, And I only have one one more thing I'll bring up at the end. It's cool. Love that. It's good. Do you want to do you want to do it now or do you want to? Sure. I just wanted to talk about Rogue because there was something that I noticed. Oh, that's right. My, you want to. Yeah. Um, I just it, it was something that I wasn't expecting. I, I don't think this has ever been talked about, but I found it very interesting that in the Muir Island saga, when everybody else is cheering for violence and Rogue is fighting strong guy in the pit. <laughs> That Moira has set up blood sport yeah. in the pit. Um, everybody else is cheering like fucking. This is the depths, yeah. the true depths of slutty Moira. Yes. Is like now you will they all be gladiators for my amusement. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Everybody else is like get her, get her, fight, 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 punch, punch, punch. And Terry says, "Not her beautiful face." <laughs> <laughs> and she's looking at it like through her like fingers, like oh god, not her beautiful face. And I found that really interesting. I thought it was a funny moment. And then as I was doing my read through later, not her beautiful face <laughs> yeah, right? later in X-Force, when she has to put on this persona to seduce vanish vanisher to get his guard down to like, they're going to fight. Don't it's a whole, don't worry about it. Um, but, <laughs> That's just so weird given fallen angels. Yes, it is. <laughs> and so she has to seduce him and she's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tie my little top up. I'm going to put my boobs out. I'm going to shorten my skirt. And I'm going to be rogue. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to, I'm going to embody rogue. I'm going to put on her accent. I'm going to, cause that, like, listen, I get it. I, I put on her accent all yeah, the time. I get it. It's in her mind. That's the hottest fucking, the hottest chick be. she's ever seen is. Yeah. She's like, yeah. You know, who's sexy rogue. rogue. That's her and first thought. Yes. 
And I found that so I was like, why is that the case? And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, that makes so much sense and how fucking funny that is. Rogue is a person who was raised as a criminal by two, two gay parents. By gay people. <laughs> and she made X-Men and she's owning her sexuality and she's like thirsty as hell. And Terry sees that and she's like, oh my God, you're everything I want to be. Yeah. She sees Rogue as like the thing to be. <laughs> she sees mm-hmm. that like connection in herself. And I was like, that's so... Like, interesting. Why, why hasn't this been talked about? And how? Fun- well, and they're both Claremont creations yeah. who are very specifically like the terrorist daughter of gay yes. criminals. Yes. It's like a very specific. Like, <laughs> that's not a trope. <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> that's just a you thing Chris Claremont here, did but... two times. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, that's not a thing. Yeah. And but how- it becomes a thing because it's been a thing in my mind always because it's in the X-Men yeah. two times. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it'd be funny now if they're like at a party or something and Terry goes up to me like, oh, my God, I had such a fucking crush on you when I just first joined. And Rogue's that would like, be fun. Rogue's like, what the hell? Rogue's like a lesbian crush. I had no idea. <laughs> Remy, but not in like a not in a homophobic way. Just like I did not even think about that. Yeah. She's like, Remy, I was that girl's gay awakening. And he's like, I see it. I see it. I get it. Oh, <laughs> Cherie, Gambit is every man's gay awakening. <laughs> and then they like, you know, go off. Yeah, to... It's fucking funny. Yeah. That's all. Love that. Now we're going to get into the questions. <laughs> yes, I'm glad I'm glad you interrupted me because I did want to you yeah, mentioned sure. that but before we started recording I was like oh we have to talk about that. Yeah. Rachel Steinhoff writes, "Hi Connor and Valentine. Did Val Cooper implement some sort of fast-tracked mutant visa stream into the US?" Terry's <laughs> one of many <laughs> Terry's one of many foreign mutants who seems to just stroll into America when the mood strikes and start working for a mutant agency I doubt very much is recognized by the U.S. government. (laughs) Was she undocumented but avoided deportation through her power of persuasion? (laughs) Obviously, Krakoa has made this question obsolete, but I think we missed some great scenes with Black Tom filling out Terry's visa application. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Or Terry is the Morrigan driving up to the border every year with a bunch of crows or whatever. Thanks, Rachel. She's got to claim them all. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's really funny. Two points. Mm -hmm. One, Valerie Cooper would absolutely implement a fast track visa program for anyone she found useful. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of bureaucrat Val Cooper is. Mm -hmm. Where is Val Cooper in the Krakow era? Besides fucking US agent in the US agent miniseries, which is still hilarious. When I heard that, I was like... Iconic. That is that is a Christopher Priest stroke of genius. This is the whitest, most Republican sex that has ever taken place in the mm-hmm. Marvel Universe, and I'm obsessed. Yeah. It's great. That's a yeah. great, great beat. But that aside, yeah. what is Val Cooper up to, and does it involve Orcus? And I need to know everything. Just putting it out there. That's a preview of the Valerie Cooper episode that will no doubt be... <laughs> intensely full of speculation as yeah. to what Val's up to. She does get stopped once and they're like, you're on the no fly list. And she laughs. I know. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> She's like, bitch, I can fly. I know. It's like, well, you're, you're an Irish terrorist. So you're on the no fly list. Yeah, right? right. She's just like, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I think so there's that with Val. Most of the time, though, I think that Xavier does just like keep a lot of undocumented immigrants in his mansion. (laughs) Oh, you have a daughter now? Okay. (laughs) Like, sure. Just, you know, because Xavier is not above mind wiping the immigration authorities. He would do that in a second. He mind wipes people's parents to forget things about them. Like, he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. So. I think that's probably what it is. Mm-hmm. It's just like Charles or Cable or somebody like creatively edited. You just call a telepath and they'll like come over. And yeah. Look at it. 
Well, it's notable actually that when the games master, we didn't mention this. Oh, story. right. Oh my God. <laughs> There's that story in the Loeb run where she like crosses paths with the games master and he removes some memories she has of like, she has this botched operation. Basically, it's really weird. Mm-hmm. She's told that she can be like, official leader of the team or whatever if she oh my god yes this is what i'm saying about her leadership being conditional they send her to a mental institution to to like infiltrate it and tell no one and it's just cable and professor x who know and she ends up like psychologically tortured there and Mm -hmm. all of this stuff and then mind wipe yes she sends her distress signal to cable 19 times 19 and he doesn't answer 10 plus 9 who she fucking call Deadpool, because he answers the phone. Because <laughs> he answers her calls. Because yeah. he thinks she's cool and yeah. hot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's rough. But I think what's interesting yeah. is when the Games Master wipes her mind, we yes. don't know it's the Games Master yet, mm-hmm. she assumes that Xavier or Cable did it when mm-hmm. she realizes that she's missing something. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm saying I think that someone telepathically allowed her to be in the country, and she knows that because her first thought is... What if one of my telepath mentors is fucking with my head? Yeah. So she knows they do that to yep. people. She knows. <laughs> <laughs> Frequently. James Lafferty writes, Greetings to Connor and esteemed guest Valentine. As always, love the pod and how it's helped in reinvigorating my love of the X-Men. Valentine, your Twitter is entertaining and your <laughs> art is divine. My question isn't just about our favorite loud and proud Irish last siren, but a mutant genetics question. Aside from it being the choice of the writer who creates these legacy characters, what's the rhyme and reason, do you think, behind legacy powers? Teresa screams like her father. Rachel has telepathic abilities like Jean, et cetera, et cetera. Some characters like Ruby Summers get a composite of the abilities of their parents. Mm. Why do you think this is, and is there anything worth exploring here with the idea of chimerae, with mutants' very nature so tied to genetics? I feel this is something worth exploring and talking about. Our powers like having your parents chin or eyes are there recessive powers like the redhead gene just something i've always thought about anyway i'm sure this episode's definitely one to blast the volume and shout about until mm-hmm. next time make mine cerebro james aka nerdy junk on twitter cool what do you think about that i think it's kind of cool i think it's you know they've been doing that for such a long time now that's kind of a precedent that you have you know, family lines family like lines. that yeah even with the frost siblings like they have well i've said kind of- i don't I don't really like it. Yeah. It's something that, but at this point, like you're saying, it's so ingrained yeah. in the franchise yeah. that you can't really get around it. I yeah. think that when Claremont does it, mm-hmm. it's usually to a very specific end, which is to draw a direct comparison between the parent and the yes. child. So yeah. Rachel having Jean's powers when Jean is dead mm-hmm. in this timeline is a really important beat for Rachel mm-hmm. because it leads to Rachel becoming the Phoenix and it leads to Rachel wanting... Like there's a part of Rachel that feels inadequate specifically because she's not as good as her mother mm-hmm. at doing this specific thing. Yeah. She thinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. She turns out to be a much better host for the Phoenix than her mother was. Yes. But love you, Rachel. <laughs> yeah. Love Rachel. Yeah. I think for for Terry. For Terry, it's specifically to draw the obvious. It's sort of like how North Star and Aurora have a power that comes into being when they touch. Yeah. Because they were separated at birth and it proves that they're siblings. Yeah. That when they touch, yes. this mutant thing happens. Terry is undeniably Sean's child <laughs> because she has his power. 
Yeah, I think there's um, the one issue of uh, Generation X that she goes over 44, mm-hmm. where a lot of it is kind of like uh, doesn't really line up with the canon in a lot of ways. But there is one moment where she says to him, like, I didn't get a lot from you, but I got the ability to fly and this freedom. And that's what I got from you. You know, and that's meaningful. to me. And that's meaningful to me. Yeah, she really reads him in that issue. <laughs> yeah, she just sort of like, you are not a good father, She's... but I can fly because I'm your daughter mm-hmm. and I love to fly. Mm-hmm. So, And I'm thankful for that. Well, and that is another, like when Farrell slits her throat mm-hmm. and she loses her sonic scream, it also means that she can't fly anymore, yep. which I think is She's really trapped. critical. And that is a parallel to Storm's yeah. thing in the 80s. When Storm yeah. gets depowered, the thing that Storm misses most is the ability to fly. Yeah that's a common beat with flying mm-hmm. characters mm-hmm. who get depowered. Yeah. But I think in this case, it's particularly resonant because that's like the one thing of her father's that she has. Yes. Besides like his hair. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 And it's also, if we go back to it's the one thing, like that's what her mom named him because of the thing that he did, which was scream. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that she has, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Keisha writes, hi, Connor. I've only been listening to the podcast for a few short months, but obviously I'm totally in love with it. The insightful thoughts of you and your guests continue to impress me. Both the pod and the Discord group have been a wonderful and bright space in my life while I'm going through a rather tragic time. Said tragic time dovetails into talking about the history of Teresa Cassidy. I most like to listen to the pod while I'm driving. And while making my way through the Madrox episode, the subject of Terry's pregnancy came up at the same time that I was leaving my doctor following my second early miscarriage. (sighs) Wow, what timing. I was certainly already shocked about the fate of baby Sean when the story was first published. But as I've gotten older and had the unfortunate experiences I've had, Mm -hmm. I find that particular plot more and more tasteless and now even triggering. Mm -hmm. I don't usually like to say people can't tell certain stories, but I really don't know if subjects like miscarriage and newborn infant loss have a place in superhero comics, especially not in the hands of cis male writers. Do you have more thoughts on that past what you've already shared on the pod? It occurs to me as I write this, Layla, I know stuff Miller had to have known the true nature of the baby, right? <laughs> I know she wasn't in the title for most of the pregnancy and birth, but surely she could have left a memo before Messiah Complex telling Terry something to the effect of have your kid in Ireland and never let Jamie touch him. Right? <laughs> yes. Can we add that to the list of reasons Layla sucks? Mm. Mm-hmm. We certainly can. Yes, we, we already can. got into that because I agree with you completely. Yes. On a less bad vibes note, Terry hasn't had that many love interests that I'm aware of. I know Jimmy pined for her and she seemed lukewarm. And her time with Jamie's a giant mess. Any opinions on her 90s ship tease with Deadpool? And if you could play matchmaker, which lucky bachelor or bachelorette of Krakoa do you think would be a great fit for the eligible (laughs) Miss Cassidy? Thanks, Keisha, Barry Keish on the Discord. Keisha, Keisha. we talked about a lot of this already, but I really wanted to read that because Mm -hmm. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And this is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about, where it's like some topics, and I really do think particularly topics facing women Mm -hmm. or other people who... Have uteruses. yeah, Yeah, other people whose anatomy is under threat constantly from the world around us right there's this way that i think cis men writing these books can be very very cavalier yes about rape Mm. about Mm -hmm. pregnancy about childbirth about losing a child about these things that are really and that's not to say men can't be raped obviously but i'm talking about a very specific kind of story yes right yes i just think that there is a glibness to it that 
is insulting and that feels like it's this, it's a cishet male writer thing very specifically. And that's mm-hmm. not to say gay writers never do it, but I do think that I think gay men feel that threat more mm-hmm. in our lives, like because it's usually men enacting that threat, right? Mm-hmm. So if your per- sexual partners are men, like, you know, what I'm saying is the writer can never know what this specific thing feels like. And I can't either, but I think part of me empathizes more with how objectionable it feels. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's you know, we see that in the way that the story focuses on Jamie's half and not her. Right. Because a cishet man can relate to the experience of a cishet man losing their child. Mm -hmm. That's something. I mean, notably, Mm -hmm. this is what Claremont doesn't do. And I'm sorry that I'm always just like banging my Chris Claremont (laughs) drum. Because, you know, listen, I call the stories on their shit when something's not great. But one thing that he really nails is he writes Cyclops sending baby Nathan to the future with Ascani Mm -hmm. in X Factor. But he's already written Madeline's whole journey of losing Nathan to the Marauders. Mm-hmm. The quest that she, the, her whole arc as a hero and then as the Goblin Queen is predicated on the unfathomable grief of losing her child. The child that she gestated and gave birth to. You feel it. Mm-hmm. And Terry has never afforded that opportunity mm-hmm. in this story. And I think it's something really important to talk about. And like we were talking about with the Val Cooper and Terry conversation where they're saying like, I have had a similar experience. And Right. I like, I'm glad yes. he threw that in there. That yeah. scene's great, mm-hmm. but it's not, there's it's not, enough. not enough. It's not enough. There's just not enough. No. And I do think that if you're going to tackle something like this, there's a responsibility <laughs> because this isn't, I mean, I, I say this a lot. Yeah. I, I usually, on, I'm talking about villains. Like I was mm-hmm. just ta- in the Candy Southern episode, I was talking about Cameron Hodge. And I said, the thing about Cameron Hodge that makes him so scary is that Cameron Hodge, even when he's a cyborg monster, is not like Mr. Sinister or Celine or Apocalypse, who are these like sort of larger than life, super villainous characters. Mm-hmm. Cameron Hodge is a guy you know. You, you have went to school guy. with him. You went to school with that guy. Yep. You may even have been friends with that guy before you realized who he really was, which mm-hmm. is Warren's experience. Like yes. that is a very real experience. It's also, I've said, why I have such a violent reaction to Quentin Quire. Same. <laughs> It bothers me that Quentin Mm -hmm. Quire has had a redemption arc. It just does. Mm -hmm. And I know that in the X-Men, that's ridiculous because I'm like, yes, queen, when Celine is like girl bossing her way through Mm X-Corp. The X-Men are constantly, I loved Apocalypse's arc in Ten of Swords. Like, And those people are mass murderers. So (laughs) I get that it's Mm -hmm. hypocritical of me, but there is something about Quentin as a very realistic... He's fucking terrifying. ...bad person. In... You know, those new X-Men in stories. the Morrison story in Riot at Xavier's, which I still think is one of the best X-Men stories ever. I, I have it. I have it. I read it all the time. <laughs> it's so fucking good. And yeah. Grant nails a very real, very specific, very terrifying kind of person. Yes. I've met that person and mm-hmm. I don't want to read about their journey to heroism. That yeah. does not appeal to me. Yeah. Listen, people can be de-radicalized. Like mm-hmm. I, there's lots of it, this is a personal tick for me. Yes, that yes. that character bothers me. Same, I'm in that same boat. <laughs> and in the same way, this storyline bothers me. Mm-hmm. Yep. In the same way that Havoc losing his daughter with Jan in mm-hmm. that lost timeline bothers me. Mm-hmm. I think that this is. I don't know. I don't have children. I'm not a parent. People I love have experienced miscarriage and stillbirth. I just think 
it's tacky mm-hmm. when this happens in a comic and it isn't treated with it's the a plot of device instead yeah. of yeah you know and particularly when like you know i know fathers who have suffered enormously in those circumstances yes. so it's not that yes. i'm not sympathetic it's not that i'm not sympathetic to that Absolutely. obviously i am <laughs> but there is something about the fact that it is always framed through the angst of the male character mm-hmm. that is just really it's aggravating mm-hmm. cuz he didn't carry that child it's there's a there's a different experience that is very, very real. And I, it feels like it's because you don't think women are reading this comic that you think you can just. Yes. Yeah. And that I think is not acceptable. So that's, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. So that's my, that's, (laughs) I guess our take on pretty much that, you know, it just, it's just really rough. And I'm glad that the character is now beyond that. Mm -hmm. I'm glad, honestly, that now if someone wants to take up Siren and put her on a team, you can talk about the Morrigan trauma. If you want to have her processing trauma, you don't have to take it back to a place of the pregnancy, which I think is good. We didn't touch on the end there yet. I'll probably touch on the end. We haven't. We'll get there because people have asked about like, Okay, cool. Great. Great. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. No, I lead us into the questions when I know that the things we haven't talked about Amazing. are in the questions. Okay, that's great. Sort of like that's a little how the sausage is made. I, You're I, so good. I do at this. Look You're doing great. Sometimes <laughs> when I'm behind, I like haven't looked at the questions yet, and they mm-hmm. surprise me, and then I'm like shit. But in this case, and in most of the season two episodes so far, and certainly going forward, I'm going to try to do this. I love it. I've read them all beforehand, and I've ordered them also so cool. that it feels like a natural <sighs> conversation. Because sometimes I'm like jumping around. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. Exactly. You're but I'd rather like, let's do all the pregnancy questions in a row. You know, like, let's <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah. That we don't makes have to keep coming feel... back to it and be like, oh, God. Right. Because we then it's like, what? Because, well, and it's, it's like, the, we don't want the, you don't want the episode to be a downer also. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, yeah. it's like when we were doing Tessa, it was like, I don't want to talk about the sex trafficking angle for like too long. Yeah. It's really important and we need yes, to talk it about is. it. But I don't want to keep bringing it up every 30 <laughs> yeah, minutes because right. like we want to talk about fun things also. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Sean G writes, hello, Connor and esteemed guest Valentine. I have to confess that I honestly don't know too much about Siren other than what I read in the first half of X-Factor Investigations. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and what I learned from the Madrox episode, specifically her coming down from the higher plane to perform a miracle. <laughs> so I look forward to learning more. <laughs> My question is less about the details of the character's life and more about how fans have reacted to her. Has Siren ever had a moment? I feel like her companion and perhaps occasionally Lamont Monet is having a moment right now ever since Hoxpox. But has Siren ever really received that level of attention and popularity? Has there ever been a push for Siren? I know she bounces around teams like X-Force for a while, but has Terry ever gotten a big starring role? If not, why is that? I feel like this kind of happens with her father too. Banshee, despite being around for like 30 years at this point, just gets casually killed off. It's, by the way, like 50 years. (laughs) Just gets casually killed <laughs> off in Deadly Genesis. Mm-hmm. Siren seems to disappear whenever a writer isn't actively pushing for her. Yep. Is there something about Terry and Sean that causes that? Sorry for the slight ramble. Love the pod. Adore Valentine's art. And Terry is forever a legend for screaming at that rat slash wolf baby. <laughs> the baby. <laughs> Sean, Mr. Mind on the Discord. Sean is the one who's doing that candy thon yes. read, which I am really I'm enjoying. Sorry. Especially because like Sarah and I both did our own and like wept. And now we're going to get to watch someone else do it. Which yeah. Is um, I realized we never got to play matchmaker. <laughs> oh, you're right. We forgot. So let's go back. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, <laughs> let's go back. 
Who should we hook Terry up with? I mean, you know who I want to hook Terry up with. <laughs> you want to hook her up with Lorna. Yes, I, I want to hook her up with Lorna. <laughs> they got a lot I'm of not opposed. They got a lot of trauma between them, and I think they could talk about it and work it out. And they're they're holding hands a lot in the Factor stories. Hot voice clearly works on her. <laughs> red and green look good together, really like the red do. hair and the green they hair. Can fly. They can go have fun dates on the. They've both been possessed by evil necklaces. They have a lot to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, I'm into it. I think that honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing her and Jimmy Proudstar make an actual go of it now that they're both in a better place and are adults. Because here's the thing is that first she's pushing him away because she's very self-loathing and then she's pushing him away. Like she's, she wants, she's thirsty. She likes him. She thinks he's very attractive, but here's the thing. She just got sober. And the first thing they tell you in AA. Do not jump into shit or make major life changes or no big romantic entanglements because that can become codependent and fucked up very quickly if you're in a new stage of recovery. So she gets a lot of flack early on there after just getting sober. Like, why aren't you dating Jimmy? You're just leading him on. I'm like, she's not leading him on. She wants She's working the program. She's doing the program. Yeah, I would like, I like Jimmy. I like Jimmy for her. Yeah, I I do too. And also they have, he has that connection to Emma. Mm-hmm. And I think that Terry and Emma talking about, like Emma's not sober, mm-hmm. but Emma did have a drug problem. Yes. And that could be great. Theoretically no longer uses hard drugs, yes. let's say. At least like, it doesn't abuse them. Yeah, any, yeah, like, yeah. Emma's the kind of person who doesn't work a program, but presumably does the work, goes to therapy or whatever, Mm -hmm. and gets their abuse of the substances under control Mm -hmm. to some extent, which is a different philosophy. There's no right way to do it. You have to figure out what works for you. What works for you. and Like anything else. And with Emma, I think you could make an argument that she was not an addict, Mm -hmm. that she was very intentionally using substances to get through what was going on with her, which is not... Not necessarily, <laughs> yes, but it's not, it wasn't necessarily a physical addiction in the right. way that Terry has. Right. But I think it would be interesting to have them talk about it. Yeah, I think that would be great. I would love and that. And if she's dating Jimmy, let's mm-hmm. say, or if they're circling and Emma... Especially if she goes over to New Mutants and starts helping those kids. Well, that's what I'm saying. I know. Have her go, have <laughs> her go to New Mutants, have her and Jimmy start... Maybe picking things up where they left them yes. off real before slow, risque. real casual, you know. Really, like, let's be careful about this because mm-hmm. we are really close friends. Mm-hmm. But also, they haven't been in a comic together since, like, 2000. Oh, and that kills me because they were so intertwined. Like, just like... They were a has, pair. She has, very, she has very intense, um, like, relationships with people. She bonds with people. Yeah. But she was closer with him than she ever was with Jamie. It's just that yes. X-Factor Investigations, like the recency effect of that book being really yes. popular, yes. makes people associate her more, much more closely with Madrox when mm-hmm. she's actually, for most of her publication history, in with Jimmy and then kind of flirting with Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, and with Deadpool, right. Yeah, yeah. She shows up with Jimmy to Deadpool shit. She shows up to Deadpool's yes. funeral with Jimmy. With Warpath. In a tiny little skirt. <laughs> yeah. So this gets into Sean's question a little bit, yeah, because yeah, I think yeah. that the biggest push Siren ever got was when Nisiesa made her Deadpool's love interest. Yeah, because yeah. I would agree with that. Deadpool, whether you or I are a big fan, mm-hmm. is a massive character. He just grew and grew and grew. <laughs> Nisiesa clearly liked Siren mm-hmm. and so brought her into Deadpool's world. Yeah. I think that's the biggest push that the character's ever really gotten. 
I think there's a reason she gets a cameo in one of the Fox X-Men movies. And it's because lay people kind of knew who she was because she was dating Deadpool kind of. Yeah. Like that, you know, she yeah. became a somewhat known character in that moment. Yeah. 90s X-Force was also a popular book, but I wouldn't say that she was like a breakout from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'd say that that's evidence in the point when you see somebody do a pinup of X-Force, like that team she's not in it a lot of times. She's never in it. And it's like, she was there longer than Farrell was. She was there longer than a lot of and other And she people. joins in issue three. It's because not she's like she wasn't. at her dad. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, she's yeah. not in the, she's not on the cover of the first issue. I get mm-hmm. that. But she joins very quickly. And she stays there for, for the, the whole time book. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I found that a lot looking because I was very curious about that. It's funny because in those pinups that go to the original cast, like I'm always like, that's copycat. It's because like you think about it, yes. Terry joins the team before Domino does because yeah, the real Domino. We'll get into this in the Domino episode at yeah. some point, whenever I do yeah. that. But she's there more than Niciesa retcons that the mm-hmm. traitor Domino from the early part of X Force is actually copycat. That's mm-hmm. how copycat is established. Yep. It's to keep Domino as a character is my assumption. Yeah. I've never, you know, I'd have to ask Fabian about it, but I think he was just like, I like Domino. I don't want her to be a traitor. But it's very Monet. It's like, mm-hmm. there's a real domino that we're going to have <laughs> yeah. join the team. Mm-hmm. But that's what I'm saying is like, it, it does feel like she kind of gets paid dust in that way. Yes. Like, I, actually, I one that. thing that I think is really indicative is like, they did that X-Men United board game, which I backed on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And as the stretch goals went on, every X-Force character got a token, except for Siren and Richter. <sighs> yep. And I found that curious <laughs> i just and i'm not blaming anybody but mm-hmm. it doesn't shock me yep. that those are the two characters that didn't make the cut yep just like it doesn't shock me that megan is the only excalibur character who didn't get a token because yeah. i love megan but i recognize so do I. she's the most obscure of those original five yep. so you know yeah and it sucks <laughs> which sucks i mean yeah. thank god she's fine i feel like teeny is really giving her some space finally to, yeah i love that megan is the one who figured out the mordred thing because of her experience <laughs> with her parents i think yeah. that's really smart yeah anyway <laughs> i don't think she's otherwise really had a push i mean i would say that the the, the biggest push she's otherwise gotten is the push that leah just gave her yes. in x factor and i am very thankful <laughs> and as leah has said in interviews at this point like if the book had continued the idea was sort of to have her replace Lorna in the team. Uh, which, oh, now that you know my, do you know how much that hurts me? <laughs> I know, I know. You're like, ships in the night. No, 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 not just ships in the night, but like I, one of my, I, I would love to see Sage thrive. I would love to see Terry thrive. Yeah. She has always wanted to be this leader. She has always tried very hard to do that. And she really needs someone to give a fuck about her to do it. You need a writer who cares. Oh, and like it kill it kills me at the end there that like all of the stuff that happens to her in in the new X Factor and all the shit that she goes through and the sacrifices she makes. And then like in that last issue, everyone is at the gala and she wakes up alone again. And that kills me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she's resurrected and she just fucking wakes up and everybody's at a party. Yep. I will say, I will say, Peter David also, that moment where she took her father's code name, mm-hmm. that was a push. That yeah, was that was a push. push. Because it made her like a legacy yes. character. It's when she comes back to the team. She was the Wolverine now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a Laura Kinney moment. Like yep. that's definitely what's happening there. Mm-hmm. So that was, I think, a push, but it doesn't carry through in the rest of the book. No, it doesn't. And it goes away. <laughs> and then she becomes the Morrigan. Because yeah. like what else to do with her, right? Eh. And that's the opposite of a push. <laughs> 
fly away into the night. That's pushing her off a cliff. (laughs) Yeah. John Marsh writes, hello, Connor and guest. My question is about our girl, Terry, in regard to that terrible mystical pregnancy storyline. So we're back there a little bit, but this is a different question. As somebody who got into X-Comics during the Decimation era, my formative understanding of many of the characters beyond their on-screen portrayals was from titles like X-Factor Investigations, mm-hmm. Kyle and Yost's X-Force, and Whedon's Astonishing. Right. I enjoyed all these books immeasurably at the time, but having since reread them in comparison to other series like Morrison or Carrie's Runs, as well as the current era, they still hold a nostalgic charm for me, but with a big conditional helping of yikes. Yes. One of the... <laughs> <laughs> big ol'. One of the biggest elements that never sat right with me even then was the Terry baby reveal because mm-hmm. it simply made no sense, right? If Jamie's dupes are sterile, then how did they even conceive a child with Terry in the first place? And even ignoring that, the baby would also be made up of Terry's DNA and therefore would be a separate individual from Jamie. I know applying logic to this plot is a fallacy <laughs> given that it was written to add dramatic tension to Jamie's arc, but it still boggles my brain because it was so senseless and really shafted Terry. Were they implying that Jamie could make dupes of himself at any age or that he also possessed possesses the mutant power of inducing hysterical pregnancy. <laughs> Gross, if so. Yeah. I know that giving heroes kids is usually a plot cul-de-sac, and it would have been better if it had never happened at all. But I often think that it would have been less traumatic for Terry if they were going to give her a baby, that it should live and maybe have some joined or connective power with Jamie, similar to the Bobier twins. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry for the essay. I'm writing from England, where everything's Ooh. mental. But this podcast, in all its queer glory, really brightens my day. So thank you folks so much. Stay safe. Pastel Rake. Well, thank you for writing in, John. Yeah, that was slightly different because it's more about like the plot didn't even fucking make sense yes, when you think about it. It didn't. <laughs> like Jamie's never created a dupe by fucking before. <laughs> yep. You slap him and he makes oh, a new yeah. one. Like I bet he's made some dupes via fucking because mm-hmm. his like hips hit somebody and mm-hmm. he like fucks too hard and a dupe pops up. Terry, good girl, hot voice is a top. She slapped him. It's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, yeah, it works. I just like. I don't know. I yeah. got it. it just it, it that really, was more of a comment, but I it, fucking none hate of it makes story. sense. None <laughs> of it makes sense. It just hurts everybody in the process, including you, the reader. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense because yeah. if it made any sense at all, Terry would figure out what had happened. Mm-hmm. So it has to not fit any rules we know about Jamie's power, so that Terry can look like an idiot. Yeah, and that's what bothers me. The really fucked up thing too is that like that like something big is going to happen at the end of this issue was pushed so much and for that to be the thing he was so invested in that being a cool twist that when it was spoiled on scans daily Mm -hmm. he got lawyered up and got scans daily shut down yeah that's what shut down scans daily if you're not a <laughs> you an old fandom know. person and it's wild to think about now because scans yes. daily, you were not allowed to upload a whole comic yeah it was panels it was pages you were allowed to like show people here's why this is a story that's worth reading or mm-hmm. whatever and everyone does that on twitter now mm-hmm. everyone does that on twitter and nobody cares because guess what it gets people to buy the comic it gets people interested yeah yeah people who are going to pirate it are going to pirate it anyway yep but he was, he, that's, so that's just a relic of a different time. In the <laughs> yeah. Kingdom. Yeah. But the fact that it was Terry's fucking dupe baby, <laughs> of all things, biggest, like this, <laughs> this is the spoiler that we can't, <sighs> like, frankly, I think that comic should come with a warning label on the front. And I'm not I even like, so. I'm not kidding. I, I think so too. <laughs> I'm not even like a big trigger warnings mm-hmm. kind of person. Like I do them on this podcast because I know that they're helpful for people. Yes. I don't think that it's something you should be required to put on fiction work. But that issue is so, it's it's just, my thing about it is like it's not what you sign up for when mm-hmm. you buy an X-Men comic. And I think that 
you know, it's well, it's like Marrow getting raped in the Thierry Weapon X. Yeah. I find that, and uh, to be fair, that's not, it's in the Christina Z one shot before mm-hmm. the Thierry Weapon X. So it's not actually Thierry who writes that, but it's that era of Weapon X. Mm-hmm. First of all, it ruined Mesmero as a character forever. You now just like can't really do anything with that character. And Mesmero is fun, so that's too bad. And we already had the purple man. Like we didn't need this mm-hmm. other character, just the green man doing the same thing. <laughs> but. I just eat so out of left field and so fucked up and not something that's adequately dealt with at all. That like, those are cases where I do yes. feel like in the way that like a TV show that has like a graphic suicide scene, they'll mm-hmm. put a warning up beforehand. Like there are certain things that I just think it's not cute. It's not mm-hmm. a cute look to do that for shock value. Yes. Yeah. And if you're that concerned about people spoiling it on the internet, mm-hmm. then you're doing it for shock value, in my opinion. Yes. And it was shocking. <laughs> There's no doubt about I'll that. I'll give it that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matilde Negro writes, I'm excited for this episode. Valentine's an amazing artist and guest, and I'm pretty attached to Teresa. It's important to see a young woman in recovery. Yes. Stories about alcoholism are so often limited to middle-aged men. Her story reads very realistic to me, especially she started drinking as an isolated young teen. Mm -hmm. It almost always escapes after-school special status. That's just a comment that she opened with, and I thought that that was... I absolutely agree. Yes. I think the only other female alcoholism arc I can really think of in comics is Carol Danvers. And Mm -hmm. even then, that's an older character. Carol Danvers is like 40, regardless Mm -hmm. of how they cast her in those movies. By the time she's Warbird in the 90s, that's like a 40-year-old woman, right? So it's different from having a 20-year-old who became an alcoholic at 14, which is just like a very realistic thing that happens a lot yes, and not something that we see a lot of in fiction and particularly not in comics. Mm -hmm. If Terry is the Morrigan, what mythological (laughs) beings would you assign to her various X-Force and X-Factor teammates? I think the teens of X-Force would fit in well with any of Ireland's epic cow-stealing heroes. (laughs) A more more serious question. How would you track Terry's journey from mutant outlaw with X-Force to being a member of the almost assimilationist X-Factor investigations? Did her politics change? Was she slowly moving away from Black Tom and toward Sean? I thought that was an interesting question. Yes. Um, I think that that's how you justify it in story if mm-hmm. we're trying to gloss the character. Yes. The actual answer is that Peter David has assimilationist politics. Yes. Like, this is the same reason that Polaris, who's become a radical over the course of the Austin and Brubaker runs, becomes an assimilationist again mm-hmm. when she rejoins X Factor. David's X Factor from the 90s on is always a very aggressively like pro assimilation mm-hmm. book. With Terry, it makes sense to me because it's after the decimation. Yes. So the context of that is really important. At this point, the minority group has been rendered essentially irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So what she's more concerned with is peace, basically, like brokering peace. And I think that that also, one reason that I do think Sean and Terry don't always get a push, Mm -hmm. to go back to Sean's question, is that I do think that they are, like Karma and Colossus, characters somewhat impacted by the sliding time scale. Right. Because it is central to Siren's birth. Yes, it is. That it take place during the height of the Troubles. Mm -hmm. And since the Troubles are over, not completely, but Mm -hmm. you get what, like, in terms of... It's different than it was. The period that that story was written in... Yes. Basically, the fact that now she would have been born after the Good Friday Agreement Mm -hmm. is tricky to deal with. The fact that Banshee's wife was killed by the IRA is difficult to deal with in the same way that 
Karma's backstory is very specifically about Mm -hmm. the Vietnamese boat people crisis. I mean, one thing that was interesting to me, actually, so to take it to a place of Real Housewives, as I often do, (laughs) the new housewife on this season of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, Jenny Wen, is in her 40s and was at age seven a boat person refugee like Karma. And in fact, they were boarded by Thai pirates and bad stuff happened. Mm -hmm. That's exactly Karma's story, but Karma is still roughly 22. And this woman who was younger than her in that historical event, because Karma's like 15 Mm -hmm. when that happens, is a woman in her 40s who's a real person on this reality show. And it sort of drove home to me in a way that like it's been it was theoretical to me I understood this but it's like when we remember that like Eric Lenzer and Gabby Holler are supposed to be Holocaust survivors and then you see like an actual Holocaust survivor on TV and they're like almost 100 years old right Mm -hmm. so it is something that I think is also a problem for Terry and Sean Mm -hmm. less so for Sean because it's less central like if you don't know about his wife and you don't need to mention her in every banshee story (laughs) it's a backstory element Mm -hmm. you know it happened before we ever met the character Mm -hmm. and by the time we meet him he's processed it and he's like yeah moved past it it's the suddenly the daughter that like brings it back right (laughs) but for siren it's literally like i never knew my father because my mother died in ira bombing and my criminal uncle took me in like there's this very specific temporal moment. And so I think that there's that. I think it's also, I think the troubles are a tricky subject for American writers to write about. And so I think that there is also sometimes a hesitation with those characters because the political situation in Ireland and in the North Mm -hmm. is really, really complicated. In the same way that like, you don't see a ton of stories about Sabra. Mm-hmm. because if you're going to do a story about Sabra, you have to deal with Israel-Palestine. And I think that a lot of American comics writers don't feel like they have the range to do that. And I do not blame them. Yeah. And you it, you can get somebody on. Who knows? Right. All of that right. stuff. Like, and, you know, I don't want to write a Sabra story because yeah. I think I would fuck it up. Yeah. I would similarly be hesitant to write a story about Sean or Terry that mm-hmm. dealt specifically with the Troubles because while I am of Irish heritage, I only know it in an abstract history right. books kind of way. Yes. You know, but it's intrinsic to the characters. I mean, in that classic X-Men backup, mm-hmm. when Sean and Maeve meet, one of the first things that happens in it is he mentions to the cops that he was just going to see a show in Derry. Mm-hmm. And the policeman says, that's London Derry to you. Which, if you're not familiar, listeners, Mm -hmm. the city is officially called Londonderry because of colonialism, but whether you call it Londonderry or Derry is a very contentious subject in Ireland and in Northern Ireland. So Mm -hmm. Claremont gives that to you right away. Yep. Right? It's central to these characters. So I think that that's, I think that that's part of it. Mm -hmm. What were we talking about after that? Oh, I oh, the assimilationist politics. We I got think, into that. Yeah, I think the other thing is that, um, yeah, there's not that many of them. She is left. She's trying to, the X Factor investigations, their first like thing that they're trying to do is figure out the mystery of like what happened. What here. caused M Day? And it's Terry who figures it out she's actually because she uses her hot voice on Spider Man. And he's like, God damn it, Terry. And she's like, because they suspect the Avengers know. Yeah. yeah. And then and then they get into a big fight with the X-Men about it. Because they're like, you yep. knew and you didn't tell us. Because the X-Men, like Cyclops knew, mm-hmm. but they have been protecting the secret of what happened. Yep. Because 
they don't want to tell people that a mutant did it because at the time Wanda is a (laughs) mutant, right? So, you know, well, whatever. I mean, really, so many, it it is astounding how many stories that one retcon fucked up so profoundly. Yeah, it was- For no reason beyond, like, presumably multimedia rights concerns. But it really fucked up so many stories, the Wanda Pietro retcon. Yeah. So I have two questions that are sort of related, and I'm going to read them together, Okay, I think. Patrick Mazzitani writes, Hello, Connor and Valentine. I'm very glad Valentine's back on the podcast because the episode about Sage really illuminated a character I didn't know existed until I read New X-Men. Good. And I'm excited to see them back for an episode about my bestie, Terry. One of my favorite issues of X-Force was when Siren and Black Tom basically had dual interventions, her for her alcoholism and him for turning into a plant monster. <laughs> it was incredibly soapy and touching, and it saddens me that their relationship hasn't really been revisited me much too. since, besides that Deadpool story arc. Was his fatherly relationship with her usurped in the narrative by Banshee? Because it seems Tom can't help but turn into a plant monster and go crazy. How do you think she feels about her uncle's current condition, leaving him looking not dissimilar from when she talked to him at her mother's grave? Do you think, like for Tom himself, there's a second chance for that relationship on Krakoa? And if so, what do you think it should look like? And a sillier question, not to put two Irish legends against each other, but who do you think suffers more? Miles O'Brien of Star Trek Deep Space Nine or the Cassidy clan as a whole? Thank you for your time and for sharing your love for this underserved queen. And then William Scoggin writes... Hi, Connor and Valentine. I love the podcast. The Sage episode is a favorite for sure, and Valentine's art is so good. I've been reading through a lot of the old stuff on Marvel Unlimited and recently got through the issue of X-Force that revisits Siren's backstory with Black Tom, which I found pretty compelling given both the genuine love they both seem to have for each other, as well as the serious betrayal of lying to her and her father to keep them apart as an act of revenge on Sean. Do you think it's an interesting relationship? I imagine you've covered this already, but how well was it carried forward in future years? How well have they explored her feelings toward never knowing her mother? Is that mm. something you'd like to see explored more? Finally, should she be the best man or maid of honor for Tom's wedding to Kane and or Sean's wedding to Reagan Wingard? <laughs> Thanks so much for the content. <laughs> That's a great callback. <laughs> to an earlier episode. <laughs> Thanks so much for the content you both put out. I'm planning to get a print or t-shirt of Valentine's Candy Southern Art soon. <sighs> well, Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you both for writing in. Those are just sort of similar questions. So I wanted to just like talk about Terry and Black Tom. Black Tom is now enjoying a more prominent role in the franchise than he has since like the 70s. A while. So I would love to see them reconnect. (laughs) Here's the thing. Okay. (laughs) I've brought this up. I've cornered Zoe at 3 a.m. about this. In that scene of the Green Lagoon, all three of them are there Yep. for the first time in, I'm going to say, a really long time. I think ever, yes. actually. I don't think that the three of them have ever been on panel together. And if you look, <laughs> Sean is sitting at a table. We mean Tom and Sean and Terry, yes, to be clear. Yes, 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 to be clear. Terry is cheering on the violence of the Wolverines. <laughs> yes, which is very Terry. Uh-huh. Also like death goddess. Yes. Also up, right? the Morrigan, right. Sean is sitting at a table and Lorna is looking at him like, you should go talk to your daughter. <laughs> and then Tom, as we know, gets into shenanigans and Sage has to save his ass. So good. <laughs> but like, it just hasn't been explored. And there's so much rich storytelling and family dynamics and like shit that you could tell and talk about with that. Again, with like Terry getting into how does she feel about Tom now that he's like, they're all here together. Right. Do they have the house, the house of Cassidy? Like, where are they all living? 
It's one thing when, like I've said many times, it's driving me crazy that we haven't seen yet a scene where Emma talks to Tara and Roulette and Kat's side. Yes. Because I need that. 100%. But I recognize that that's because I'm an old nerd. Yeah. And most people don't know who Tara and Roulette and Kat's side are. But everybody knows who Black Tom is right now because he's a regular in a very popular and high-profile book. He's getting more page, like, <laughs> shit than Sage. <laughs> <laughs> she pops up for a panel and he's like running around. He's doing stuff. He's doing stuff, you know? Yeah. So I think that it's a good time to do it. I think it is. And too. it depends on where Terry is going next, mm-hmm. which we don't know. And hopefully she's going somewhere. Yeah, I, ho- I hope so. You know, I think that it's a really important relationship for both of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, obviously, but <laughs> yeah. I, I think that with him taking on so much prominence in this era and particularly like, He's now sort of maybe been infected by the phalanx. Yeah, what's that about? (laughs) Tampering with the foliage. So I just, you know, it's time, I think, Mm -hmm. to have them chat. Black Tom is a character who just kind of got phased out in Mm -hmm. part because Banshee kind of got phased out. Mm -hmm. And in Gen X, there's a memorable arc where Black Tom torments them all or whatever. But he doesn't show up that much in the 90s honestly or the aughts so it really is like now that we're back in a black tom zone and so i think now that we're also back in a siren zone for the first time (laughs) in years years since x-factor investigations ended yeah it's a good time it's a good time Mm -hmm. i think for for them to chat and it's you know, we just had a nice little spotlight for banshee in that one issue of marauders yeah here's the thing Emma's not staying on Marauders. So mm-hmm. I love Emma. I do too. And I'm sure she's going somewhere great. But <laughs> we'll follow you to the end. We'll follow you. <laughs> but yeah. wherever Emma is going next, I would hope that Sean will be in that book because I mm-hmm. liked seeing them rekindle their friendship. I honestly, that's a couple I would really like to see. Me too. I also love the idea of <laughs> Terry spends a lot of her time walking around like and visiting her dad's exes she does that a lot in her like solicitation history she like talks about emma in like a way i love the idea of like because to go back if jimmy and terry are sort of circling each other (laughs) and emma has this sort of possessive motherly attitude toward jimmy because he was one of her Mm -hmm. students and then emma's dating sean yes I want to see that. I want to see that. That's dinner. a double date. I want to see that you know, <laughs> like, yeah, that would be really interesting. And yes. Fun. Sam Guido writes, Dear Connor and Valentine, I love Siren and her gay dads and really want to see that dynamic become more textual. How should Black Tom and Juggernaut be officially revealed as a gay couple? And how involved should Terry be? Also, on a side note, do you think she and Rogue should hang out as straight ex-women who were raised by gay villains? Or would their vibes clash? Love the Discord and the podcast. And I'm looking forward to learning more about Siren, Sam Guido. So obviously TBD on how straight Terry is per Valentine, (laughs) which I don't have strong thoughts on either way. She certainly is willing to seduce just about anybody with hot voice if Mm -hmm. it suits her purposes. Oh yeah. More power to you. (laughs) But we obviously do think that Rogue and Terry should talk about that because we mentioned it earlier. I think they have a lot in common and they should talk about it. Yeah. Their vibes might clash because I think that they are very similar people. Mm-hmm. And I think that Rogue has difficulty with women who are similar to her sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I would like to see it. Yeah, I would like to see it. <laughs> <laughs> As for Black Tom and Juggernaut, I mean, we know that Juggernaut's going to be in whatever Legionaries book 
Cy Spurrier is doing mm-hmm. next year based on the teaser that we got at the end of Way of X, the onslaught revelation. <laughs> so I think that you bring Kane to Krakoa with a green card that he gets from finally marrying Tom. Yes. I think that's just really obvious. I think that's great. And again, like in that one X X force 31 that we were mentioning, like Kane has, has comments on Terry. He's like, she's a good kid. Yeah. He wants to, he wants Tom. He's like, I've always liked her. Uh The implication is like, he didn't call himself like a father to her, but he was always there and he was Mm -hmm. clearly like her stepdad. Yep. And he does, he wants what's best for Tom. Like he wants to see, and he he wants Tom to have a relationship with Terry. He wants Tom to have a relationship with Terry. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like that's great. (laughs) I feel like that's exactly what should happen. Mm -hmm. And Terry should be involved. And it should be that like Kane and Terry reunite somewhere and have a conversation. And she's just like, don't be ridiculous. You know, like, just come to the island. Like, you know, How can- or honestly, what I would really love is if Terry and Tom do have a conversation mm-hmm. about how Tom is starting to lose it because of the technoorganic infection in yeah. Krakoa, and she goes to Kane for help she because she Kane. knows mm-hmm. that Kane is the person who always saves Tom mm-hmm. when things like that this That would happen. be great. I love the that idea too of them like, like meeting up once, they, like she's meeting up with him once a week and they're grabbing coffee and talking about shit. And then, you know what I mean? For like, that's great. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I just think like we're in a moment where Mystique and Destiny's relationship has become textual yes. and is the center of the entire franchise <laughs> right now, which is something that as a child, I never could have conceived would ever happen. Neither could I. And I think it is time for Black Tom and Juggernaut to also be a textual thing. Yes. Sarah Stephanie writes, Hi, Connor. I'm not a huge podcast listener in general, but ever since I binged season one, oh my God, so much of my voice. I'm pretty much hooked. (laughs) Siren is one of my favorite mutant characters, one of the standouts of 90s X-Force for me. While X-Factor was such a rocky run for her, I did like the idea of her being a host for the Morrigan deity, essentially becoming a goddess herself. I think there's potential in that storytelling given the fact that she was in full control of her newfound godlyhood. Mm-hmm. But then that eventually went back to her being possessed in Krakoa-era X-Factor and losing that control over her own body. I found it a shame that this was barely explored, what with her reappearing after a long absence for the Morrigan to be quickly exercised. My question is, how do you think Terry as the Morrigan could have been more effectively utilized? Or do you think it would be a case of too many OP mutants? Best wishes, Sarah. So I think that in terms of like the Morgan being exercised quickly, mm-hmm. that's a side effect of the book getting canceled, mm-hmm. right? Like it seems pretty clear that those last few issues, you had to fit a lot. Leah of- had to yeah. really condense. I mean, Mojo yes. World gets liberated from slavery, which is a plot that we've been building Teasing for 30 out. years. Yeah. And it happens in a couple yes. pages because yeah. the book was coming to an end. Yeah. So I think that that's what happened there. And mm-hmm. I think that if Terry had become a member of the cast, as was Leah's hope, that we would have gotten deeper into the line between Terry and the Morrigan. Mm-hmm. And I think it might have been more complicated than it was initially presented yeah. to the reader. I think we may get more of that now that it seems Shatterstar mm-hmm. is like infected by the Morrigans. Yeah, they've got like something. booms. There's Which stuff cool. going on. Um, yeah. And I, like I, I went in. Also, that cr- that connection between Terry and Shatterstar. Is yes. I hope we get more of that. Well, they were always friends and talking about boys. Yes. They were sword fighting and talking about boys. <laughs> yes. Wherever she ends up, I would hope that she and Shatterstar will interact about that. 
I personally, here's, we, we went into this before. I like that it was retconned into more of a possession because I don't think that becoming a goddess is a natural outgrowth of Terry Cassidy's arc. Yeah. I prefer bringing her back down to earth, maybe with like some new magical powers. I think that's a better route personally. Yeah, sure. But I get what you're saying about how she had agency and then the agency was taken away. Yes. Yeah. And like the thing with the Morrigan is that at the end, because I I was very interested when I was like, well, I have to find out everything. Right. At the end of it. And it just ended. She's just the Morrigan. But the the Morgan was presented as like an evil deity, but she's not. She's kind of like community based and fertility based and like protection based. And that can be violent and like granting boons. Well, Celtic gods are mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But she was they're like Greek gods that way. That she could have been but doing. there's other stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot of unexplored stuff. I, I feel like it was just one of those things where you had to choose if you were going to explore it or like kind of get that out of I mean, I thought they were fully just going to ignore it after yeah, the scene in Hotspot. So, <laughs> like, if you wanted the Morgan explored, I think you should be happy that it got yeah. explored at all. I think the time but, I think the time was long past for that. To, yeah, for, to that was happened. the thing. If you wanted the Morgan to be like a real story, then it mm-hmm. needed to happen after X Factor Investigations. And yeah. it's been Years. almost a decade yes. since that book ended. Yes. So the, t- the time know, is kind of Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Donovan Atkinson writes, Hello, Connor and guest. As a teen, I would read the official handbook of the Marvel Universe in its entirety like others read comics. It seemed like mutants would randomly pop up across the Marvel Universe and not necessarily tie back in to the X-Men. Siren first appeared outside of the X titles. Similarly, Madrox and Karma also first appeared in non-X books. Mm -hmm. Mutants like Marvel Boy slash Justice, El Aguila, Whirlwind, Mentallo, and Big Bertha are not historically connected to the X-Men in any meaningful way. Even Magneto's second brotherhood became the Resistance and primarily fought the John Walker Captain America. Now it seems mutants only appear in X titles. Few non-X teams seem to feature mutants in a significant way since Uncanny Avengers. Ignoring the Marvel Cinematic Universe considerations of it all, does it hurt the mutant metaphor to limit new mutant appearances and mutant interactions to just the X titles? Eagerly awaiting a Firestar episode just to hear more Emma and Butterrum discourse. (laughs) Donovan. (laughs) I think that it literally is a Marvel Cinematic Universe consideration. I Mm -hmm. think that there was a very deliberate move made to cordon off the X-Men into their own franchise in a way that historically they had not always been. Mm -hmm. I mostly think that's okay, but I've come around to the idea that it actually is very important to the mutant metaphor working for there to be other superheroes who people don't feel that way about because it underlines that the hatred of mutants is irrational, which is an important part of the metaphor. Because like if it's a world with just X-Men, mm-hmm. then you can explain it as people are afraid of people with superpowers, which is logical. Mm-hmm. It has to also have the added element of, but they're not afraid of Thor, who is more powerful <laughs> than almost any X-Men, right? Yeah. So that is, I think, important. And I do think that characters like Firestar and Justice are useful in that way because like Justice is a cop to the core. That is an Avengers character. Yeah. I don't think he's ever appeared in X-Men title. I guess they're in, is he on the new warriors in the young hunt? I don't even remember. Like otherwise I don't think he's ever actually crossed over. Firestar has because she has the connections with Emma Mm -hmm. and with the Hellions. And then they put her on that amazing X-Men team very briefly Mm -hmm. in the dark period. (laughs) 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 You know exactly what I mean though. I (laughs) I think that it would be nice to see 
it spread around a little more. Like I thought it was good that Dust was on the champions. Mm-hmm. I thought it was good when Pixie popped up in Runaways. Like I oh, think Pixie. it's good to have the characters <laughs> existing. And I think it is good to have like mutants be on other teams as well. Mm-hmm. But I understand, especially in the age of Krakoa, why we're not seeing a ton of that. But I do think I've mentioned many times, I think that we need to see more of the diaspora mutants who chose not to go to Krakoa. Yeah. And characters like Firestar, she's on Krakoa, but characters like Justice Mm -hmm. would be a great lens to explore that through. The answer to why it happened more often in the past is because think about the time Siren is introduced. Uncanny X-Men is the biggest comic in the world. It was a good thing to tie any other Marvel character to the X-Men because it boosted their profile. Yeah, It becomes a very different situation once the movie rights are a thing to consider. Mm -hmm. Because before that, you were dying to make as many characters mutants as you could because it gave them automatic connections to the biggest franchise at the company. And there wasn't wasn't as many books then too. Right, also that. Yeah. And I mean, in this case, it was Chris Claremont doing the story. (laughs) Yeah. Which is like, you're going to get... You're going to get an X-Men cameo. (laughs) You're going to get a mutant. It's going to happen. Yeah. Ryan Higgins writes, Hi, Connor. First off, I want to say thank you so much for the podcast. I was never a huge X reader, preferring more Avengers and Captain America comics growing up. But ever since I heard you call the Avengers cops, I can't get it out of my head. (laughs) I'm really sorry, but that's funny. (laughs) My boyfriend, who's been trying to tell me this for years, is kind of annoyed it was another person that finally got through to me. (laughs) That sucks. That's funny. (laughs) My condolences to your boyfriend, but I'm convincing, I guess. (laughs) The podcast has been an amazing introduction to the world of the X-Men, and I'm now reading most of the current runs as well as catching up on original issues, especially Excalibur. I'm now finding it hard to read anything apart from X-Men because nothing is as good. See? Now you understand. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Anyway, my question regarding Siren is her place of origin. I'm Irish myself. Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't doing an accent. And you know what? I'm not gonna because as we've established, my Irish accent is really bad. I'm Irish myself and have noticed while catching up on the X-Books that the knowledge of Ireland can vary from writer to writer. Yes. Representing, yes. Um, this <laughs> yes. is we, we talked about this earlier when we were talking yes. about the Troubles, yes, right? Yes, like yes. It, is, it is tough, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a very complicated country with a very complicated history. Mm-hmm. Obviously, representing Ireland correctly in comics is not the most pressing issue at the moment, but it can be quite annoying when certain mistakes that could be fixed with a Google search appear in issues. Mm-hmm. I'm loving the current run of Marauders by Jerry Duggan, but issue 23 with Banshee really hurt my head. The book mentions the police, which is not what they're called in Ireland, and they're drawn like the UK police force, which is not what they look like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it surprises me because I've been reading old issues, and even when the team back in the 70s go to Ireland on their holiday for the first time, it's cheesy, but it seems to get Ireland more. Mm-hmm. And Ben Percy in the most recent X-Force contacted an Irish comic book store to get some Black Tom dialogue. That's cute. I didn't know that. <laughs> So I suppose my question would be, do you think as a whole, the X-Men and X-Men writers have struck a good balance in correctly representing different cultures in different countries in their books? Ireland would be really low on the list of importance, but I can imagine living in another country and seeing X-Men being portrayed incorrectly and how it could be very frustrating for people. Thank you again for the podcast, and I can't wait to keep listening. That is a fun question. Let's just assume, I don't remember if they say where they are in that Marauders issue, but let's just say they were in the North. I don't remember. (laughs) Because then it could be UK police, yeah, right? Yeah, Just yeah, like right, that time right, right. that they fucked with Banshee yeah. previously in the... The classic backup. In the classic X-Men backup. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that that's a mistake I probably would have made too. Like, that's an easy mistake to make. So I get why you're saying it's not the most important thing in the world. Mm-hmm. But it's also indicative, as you point out, of a larger sort of a yes. to Marvel Comics mm-hmm. that 
is going to come from it being mostly American writers writing about New York. Mm -hmm. And very like Western, you know, lenses of things. And (laughs) the question, how has the X-Men historically represented other cultures? (laughs) (laughs) I would say that's a broad question that is maybe beyond the scope of this episode, but Here's what I'll say, because I do think it's true. I think Chris Claremont was unusually for the time conscious of the importance of diversity in his teams. I would agree. If you look at the New Mutants, that is a shockingly diverse team for 1982. And the Native American girl is really the lead of that Mm -hmm. book in a way that is unusual. At the time, it was harder to do research than it is now. Yeah. So he makes a lot of mistakes. Yes, that, there are a lot of mistakes. <laughs> you know, we can chalk up to mistakes are made sometimes. Yeah. You're right that it's easier to do a Google search now, but that is such a small idiosyncrasy. Like, would it occur to you, I need to check to make sure that the Irish Garda looks different from the UK police? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. But I thought of that also, that could be an artist thing. The mm-hmm. artist on that issue was Italian, I should note. So that's not an Amerocentric problem. Yeah. I Yeah, I think a book benefits from the more perspectives and the more research done, but it's it's a symptom of a bigger problem of how fast these things need to get made a lot of times. That's what I was saying is like, like, you have to turn these issues around in like a week sometimes. Yes. And I'm not saying it's an excuse. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying there needs to be more consideration to give, to do a better representation. You know what I mean? Mistakes like that are small enough that I will excuse them typically. Not that it's my right to excuse them, but like I excuse mistakes made about things that do pertain to like my life. If I think like that's just a little mistake and it's not a huge deal. If it was like a whole long thing about the troubles and it was just wrong, I'd be pretty irked by that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. So I think that where it counts, the X-Men have been ahead of the game compared to other superhero franchises. Mm -hmm. I do think Claremont was ahead of his time in terms of diverse cast of characters and in terms of people of color being given important roles. I was going to say telling stories. Storm is the lead of that book. And that was unheard of, particularly a black woman. That was unheard of. Even Kitty Pride being Jewish yes. on the page in a textual way mm-hmm. in 1980. In a very visual way, too. Wearing the necklace. Yes. It was unheard of. Yes. And so I think that we do need to just like put those things in their context. In terms of now, mm-hmm. I think that we're starting to see some corrective work done. I think Vita Ayala right now is doing a lot of work mm-hmm. to recontextualize Amal Farouk, who's a yes. character that is very Orientalist yes. and kind of a racist caricature. Yes. I don't think Claremont intended like this character is a racist caricature, mm-hmm. but he kind of is. And we're now seeing him humanized in a way he never has been before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that Zev and Tini have done an incredible job threading the needle on some of the really complicated stuff with Betsy and Conan. There's never going to be a way to fix the story as it was originally written. Mm -hmm. There's never going to be a way to fix that story. But when Teeny has Conan say it isn't to be fixed, it just is. Oh yeah. What, what is, what does Conan say to her? Like, Oh, Betsy tries to fucking like apologize. Betsy tries to apologize. And she's like, 
this is really not about you and this is not yes. the time we really need yes. you to get with the program. Oh, so good. It's really good. We've been waiting decades for that, you know? I also love the line in that. I just love that issue generally. as yes. like a big Conan fan, mm -hmm. big Revolch fan. Oh, thank God. She is getting her moment finally. More than, uh, there is Fantastic. no character better served by the Kokoa oh, era than Conan. I have is, loved it remarkable to witness because that yes. is a character who truly just been in the trash yeah. for decades. That's there's a reason that we picked her for one of the, the most recent redesign. There's a reason. Yeah. You know, because like <laughs> she's become an A-list character mm -hmm. very quickly. And we would love to see her go further. Yeah. yeah. And the Psylocke brand obviously is part of that, like Which, that yeah. it's a brand that exists, mm -hmm. but she deserves yes. to have that brand because it was her body that it was built. Yes. On, right. Yes. So, that is another example of like, that is a very Orientalist character mm -hmm. as initially presented. But I think that there has been a lot of work done in Hellions and in those issues of Excalibur. I loved when Conan is like, I can find Betsy Braddock. I'll go get her yeah. because we're connected. Like whether we like it or not, I can find her. Mm -hmm. And Rogue's like, oh, I don't know if you should go do it though. That's really like, isn't that awful? <laughs> I don't know if I think that's a good idea. And kind of like, well, what, what about what I think? Have you thought about that? Did you ask? No, mm -hmm. you didn't. And that's a really good moment. Yes, it is. No one's ever asked what Conan thinks about this because she got killed off decades ago and has only ever been a body since. Mm -hmm. She hasn't had a voice except for a couple weird moments where she's gotten to like be evil or whatever as like a ghost. But like <laughs> truly don't worry about that yeah. at all. <laughs> Do not we don't worry about the sisterhood arc on this podcast <laughs> as far as it pertains <laughs> to the ladies mastermind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think about that daily. The stupid what? The stupid what? what? <laughs> so I think that... Conan's a good example. I think Dakin's another character who, you know, as originally presented, like we're starting to see these characters get to be people in mm -hmm. a way that yes. they haven't been before. And I think that that is the important work because I think that the X-Men franchise has been good about creating these characters, but not always good about letting them be human beings who are three-dimensional and important to the story in the same way that a lot of the white characters are. Mm -hmm. In Terry's case, she's also white, but you get what I'm saying. Characters mm -hmm. from these other contexts mm -hmm. are often sort of exotic yeah. window dressing a lot of yeah. the time. And I think I think it's important for Terry because she is in recovery and you know she's a she's a young 20-something, and that's that's not something that gets told. You don't get to see she's a special character you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah, an insight to how that affects her and how that affects her being on a team and like what her day looks like and how that's different from everybody else, you know. I also think now that she's been saddled with the baby thing that happened, yeah. like it is also, I think, in the same way. Mm -hmm a useful representation to have a young woman who lost a child yes. be a superhero. Yeah, yeah. Because that's a real thing that happens to lots of people. Yeah. So, you know, now that we're stuck with that drama, <laughs> yeah. you might as well make something yeah. good out of it yes. in the sense that like she can be a woman in recovery. She mm -hmm. can be a woman who lost a child and she can be an actualized superhero. She can also be a very proud Irish woman who yeah. maybe has feelings about Irish republicanism. I mm -hmm. would enjoy that. I mean, we're on Krakoa. I would love to know what Terry and Tom and Sean all think about Ireland. Mm hmm. And about potentially reunification and about Brexit. Mm -hmm. And I know that like we don't necessarily want to address all of that on the page because it dates things. That's what we've talked about. Yeah, right, right. Talking right. about present 
politics is always going to make the comic date faster. And then it's like, uh oh, this comic <laughs> is only set a month after the comic that came out a year ago. Like it becomes yeah. difficult. But much like we canonically had it confirmed that Brian and Betsy were remainers, yeah, <laughs> which I think is key. <laughs> yeah. I think that it would be cool to. I mean, you could even have Sean and Terry. I, I've said this before on the show. I think that Sean would have really conflicted feelings about Irish reunification because the IRA killed his wife. Yep. So you could have them argue about it because maybe Terry's in favor. Well, Terry has opinions in X-Force mm-hmm. enough that it elicits a letter from somebody who feels a certain way and they print it to like be like, hey, you had a different view and we wanted to show that because this is an important topic, you know? Right. It was at the time a very, very trenchant yes. topic yes. because- it's important to remember if for younger listeners mm-hmm. who were not alive at the time, yeah. the Good Friday Agreement that officially, so to speak, ends the troubles happens in 1998. Yeah. So all of this stuff with Terry in X-Force is while that's still ongoing. Yep. It is an active war zone. Mm-hmm. And that is just a really important context for this character, especially when you have her joining a paramilitary group and becoming a terrorist. Yes. Which is what X-Force is. Xavier at one point challenges her on it. He's like, you could have come to me and yada, yada, yada. And she says to him, I was too angry to come to you Mm -hmm. because of what the Shadow King did to me. Mm -hmm. I think Cable's way is the way that feels right to me. It's really good. Yeah. That is... I think essential is that she is a radical. Mm -hmm. She is someone who believes sometimes you have to get violent. And the fact that her mother died in an IRA bombing when she was an infant is a really interesting context because she still thinks that radical politics that occasionally get violent are the way to go. And I think that's a really fascinating thing to explore with this character. So that's what I'm saying. Yes, 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 yes. yes. We need more of it, especially in this era that's all about nation building. Mm Eric Tarnowski writes, Greetings, Cerebro. I have a question regarding Siren's more recent story developments. In an interview on the Battle of the Atom podcast, Leah Williams expressed her interest in creating a Krakoan pantheon, where Shatterstar would have been the Krakoan god of battle and Siren the god of death, rebirth, and renewal. Mm -hmm. I definitely think Siren and Star are interesting choices, seeing as how neither are Omega level or seen as revered figures as much as, say, a Magneto or an Apocalypse would be. If Leah had gotten to continue that storyline, which other mutants do you think may have become a part of the pantheon, and what would their domain be? I think Sage would definitely make it in she'd be the athena-esque goddess intelligence and general ass kicking (laughs) thanks for answering my question valentine i love your critical role art as well as your x art connor every episode deepens my x fandom in such a meaningful way and it's recently given my brother and i a common fandom to commiserate over thank you so much eric well thank you for writing in i think that the question is like it's unclear quite how literally that right so like in this case siren and shatterstar both have been like infused with a literal divine energy Mm -hmm. by their interaction with the morrigan so maybe that was sort of like as far as it was in terms of like mythic figures i mean Mm -hmm. i think destiny is the most obvious object of veneration i mean she's and she's like a sibylline oracle right Mm -hmm. it would be interesting to see sort of like a religious fervor grow around destiny if she is really back which well, i'm hoping that she is if you noticed in the house party comics that i have been doing mm-hmm. there's spray paint on multiple things in multiple panels that say long live destiny so i loved that i was a big fan of that yeah there's a there's an actual helmet spray painted little doodle on the next one 
which is scary. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I love that. Yeah. Then there's also, of course, like Storm, Jean. Mm-hmm. There's like pretty mm-hmm. obvious, like, but those are like you said, Omega level characters. I would love to see like a cult of Celine on Krakoa. <laughs> yes, a Celine cult. That girl cannot stop making cults. <laughs> she loves a cult. Yeah. We'll get into that in next week's episode. Oh, good. I'm so excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a good time. Alex and I are just going to get a little tipsy yeah. and do our best Lady Mastermind style shit show. Good. Great. We'll love to listen to it. I'm really excited. <laughs> I love Celine. She's such a man. I also love Celine. I feel like Celine doesn't get enough respect. She is a real top tier X-Men villain, I think. I love an old ancient evil. I love I an love ancient that. evil and I love a dark mother character. Yes. That's always yes. really fun to me. I also think that Monet is a character who feels very mythic at this point with the transformation. Mm. In Empire X-Men, when she like fully goes all yeah. penanced out, it feels very like this is a, a higher being. And per- her perfection was always emphasized about her, like that she is sort of this perfected mutant. Uh, that would be a great pantheon of Terry and Monet both being fucking deities. <laughs> I would love that. Oh my know? God. They all live in this like God house and they have. Like- but like, again, I don't want them to be like literal yeah, yeah, yeah. gods, but exactly. I like the idea of like a little bit of that. Ma- I mean, I love it. I love this run of Excalibur. Mm-hmm. I like when yeah. the magic and the, I've, I've always enjoyed when Kurt's like, I got to have an adventure with Amanda now. Yes. And it's like time yes. to do magical shit. Yeah. Like, I like, that I like stuff. that too. Yeah. Inner dialogue writes, the last arc of Leah Williams' X Factor leads to what you might consider Krakoa's version of an 80s slasher film. Given her haunting by the Morrigan and the resulting death loop, I'd say it's fair to classify Siren as the resident scream queen of Krakoa. What other characters fall into this trope? Is there a final girl among the X-Men? What other horror genres should be explored in the Krakoa era? Thanks, inner dialogue. This is great because you said something like this at the very beginning. I did, because I... Also love horror. I yeah. love horror. I was in a lot of like horror, doing a lot of horror work, I love many genres of horror and I watch yeah. them all the time. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I've been to, you know, Toronto After Dark multiple times. It's very fun. <laughs> I would say that the Inferno issues of Excalibur have a really classic sequence where Kitty is presented as like the final girl of a slasher movie. Yes, literally. yes, yes. She is really that character. A lot of the, like Demon, the mm-hmm. early story. She, she, she does has. fall into that a lot. Yeah, it's very like she's often in that role because mm-hmm. she was this teenage girl in that space. Yeah. But also like the New Mutants generally, like that's why it made sense. Like the movie was not what I would have done, but it made sense to make the New it Mutants was Freddy's movie a horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> into it (laughs) you know know, there's a reason that demon bear is the most famous new mutant Mm -hmm. story Mm -hmm. and it's because it's fucking scary Mm -hmm. i love i love a lot of my one of my tops is definitely hellraiser so i love a good Mm. um uh and that carries over a lot of themes that are also like that's a limbo leviathan is like kind of like that there's a like a, a gate that you have to go through to get there and like you have yeah. to like give in to these extremes in order to like transform yourself into something new like all this is kind of like a little bit more whimsical and fantasy and like you know but still fucking gory and scary you know you can explore a lot <laughs> absolutely and i think that hellraiser in particular mm-hmm. like the clive barker kind of stuff mm-hmm. there's an ample opportunity for that with i mean like ben percy's doing a lot of body horror mm-hmm. in x-force but i think that the sort of like corruption by a capricious god mm. thing is always interesting to me 
I love obviously all of the stuff with Madeline and Ilyana and Oh yeah, I'm looking forward to that so much. Sim and Belasco and yeah. Nastir. So I'm yeah. really excited yeah, yeah, that Madeline yeah. and Ilyana are gonna be in a book together. Yeah, and what it, what is Nightbreed but the Morlocks adjacent? <laughs> Literally, <laughs> Literally, right? So <laughs> I would love to see more Ira Leveny type stuff. That's a real like Rosemary's baby, mm-hmm. Stepford Wives, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that Obviously, Morrison brought some of that in. Yeah. I and mean, the Stepford Cuckoos are a very overt reference to yeah, the yeah, Stepford yeah. Wives yeah. and also to the Midwich Cuckoos from mm-hmm. Village of the Damned. Mm-hmm. But I, I, what I mean is like that kind of psychological horror that's centered mm-hmm. around female characters, I always find very compelling. And I think that that would be an interesting place to take Terry now that mm-hmm. she's navigating what it means that the Morrigan has left her, but maybe not totally. Or, you know, like, what is it all about? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of a little bit what Leah Williams is doing in Trial of Magneto with Wanda. Mm-hmm. Is she's having like a kind of like a the cell moment. Yeah. Right. Mm hmm. So. Yeah. Last question. Krakoa Welcomes asks, what would Siren's go to karaoke songs be? Well, <laughs> Siren canonically loves a hit of the 70s she loves yes. top 40 hits so i was like definitely looking up every single song that was like in the top 40 like she's singing fucking abba <laughs> you know what i think is absolutely her song mm-hmm. brandy you're a fine girl by looking glass because yes. it's about a man oh abandoning his wife yes for work oh my god <laughs> she would like make direct eye contact while singing with her father too. and be like and be like let's say the say brandy <laughs> You're a foreign girl. I think she's saying rich girl at Monet. <laughs> That's cute. I also though think that she would be very into Irish stuff. Like, yeah. I think she'd love the cranberries. Like, she'd love a Dolores O'Riordan moment. Mm-hmm. I feel like she would do, like, Clanad. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there'd be, like, a Celtic woman moment. Mm-hmm. I think she would get on that karaoke machine and fucking go for it. And you'd be hard-pressed to get it out of her hands. Like, if she's in a <laughs> mood, I feel like Amarantine is going to happen, mm-hmm. you know? Also, like, Fairy Tale of New York. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, like, Siren can say faggot. I'll allow it. <laughs> she gets a pass. <laughs> I'm, I'm letting her. I'm letting it slide. That's in the song, famously. If Again, if you're young. Oh, yeah. If you're like, I'm like, I, I know this. <laughs> like, what? What are you talking about? It's, I'm an old one. I know. <laughs> they say faggot in that song. Yes. So, you know. Anyway, I think there's lots of options. I also feel like I see a PJ Harvey moment. For, like, that 90s X-Force moment. I see a, like bikini kill kind of moment for yeah. her sometimes whole mm-hmm. that's sort of what i would what i would say well valentine yes do you have anything else you want to say about siren before we start to wrap because we're about to hit the five hour mark oh my god and i can't I'm believe so it. sorry <laughs> no it's okay listen we, we decided we were going to screech post and we've been screech posting yeah for five hours now and you know what I respect that about us. <laughs> to be fair, I saved all my best screech posting for you. I I know, I and I I kept I, I kept DMing you. I was like, stop, because we should save this for the. Show. I know, and then I, <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> That's why I just <laughs> I just resigned to posting a panel and being like, hmm. huh? Thoughts? <laughs> no, I appreciate. It. Once you got like a little more discreet, I was like, yeah, she's saving all of the greatest. I am. Um, I'm just I'm just running through my notes quick to see if there's any- no. It's fine. Um, yeah. If that's cool. So just to make sure I don't forget anything. Oh, I wanted to mention, this is one of the things I wanted to mention one of my favorite fucking things about her. And it's that she was a normal fucking person with a life before this shit happened, which means she's very 
it's so cute. She's very, she wants to be very involved in the community. <laughs> like they get a base <laughs> above arcade and the first words at like a base above New York that they stole from arcade in X-Force. And the first words out of her mouth are, I saw a nice plant shop on the corner. I would like to get a job. <laughs> yeah. She just wants like to be kind of normal because yeah. she got drafted into this by Tom. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't, yeah. You know. And later, the whole reason that Richter has knows something is wrong is because in X Factor Investigations, she goes to a diner every night and all of them know her name and she knows their names. And there's a, I know. a waitress named Candy who's like, Siren, <laughs> I know her. <laughs> it's so cute. That's very relatable. That's like how the Chinese food people, wherever I am, like whatever Chinese restaurant you is closest to where I am living, they yeah. know me by name and they know my order which is uh-huh. famously to bring it back to a place of sex in the city an episode of sex in the city that always sticks with me and it is mm-hmm. the most miranda i ever have been the episode where miranda thinks that the chinese food delivery order lady on the phone is mocking her by like sort of laughing about oh i know your order you mm-hmm. want the dinner size this and that or whatever <laughs> Miranda's like, she is mocking me for being a single woman Mm -hmm. who orders takeout every night. She is making fun of me. And then like she goes to confront her at the restaurant Mm -hmm. and the delivery phone lady is just having a chat with someone else and like laughs like, oh, like you want the dinner size. And she's like, oh, she's just good at her job and remembers everyone's order. She's just a nice lady. (laughs) Like she's just nice. And I'm a crazy person. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like you get that when, especially when you're in like a city, like the people who know if I go missing, we're going to be my lady at the post office. Yes. And my lady who I get from the diner and the lady who right. does my coffee. Right. And like the dry cleaner. And like so, there's very so specific nice. set of people who you see all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to like have that connection with somebody. I love them. I love my yeah. local comic store lady now. She's so, she's so sweet to me. And it's like, I see her once a week and I go in and I check in how she's doing. If something happened to me, she'd know. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's so cute. She did. She's not like, she, she doesn't know about the X-Men, but she, what she loves that I, Love the X Men so much. <laughs> she was like, "I got your stuff for that Hell Gala," and I was like, "Oh, I love you oh, so much." Oh, that's cute. She's like, "I'll get what I'll try to get whatever covers." I'm like, you're great. I love you so much. It's Thunderstruck that's in great. Toronto. If you want it, <laughs> pick up some good books. I didn't realize you were also a Toronto gal. Yeah, my my lady is is Canadian, and then uh, so I'm originally from Pennsylvania. Right, yeah. but I meant like presently. Yeah, I presently. Think I knew right you were now. in Canada, but I didn't realize. Yeah, Corey and. I go long box digging. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a big Toronto community comics wise that yeah. I was not super conscious of until Tony told me about it. Mm-hmm. And then because Tony Oliver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um um oh, what's it called? TCAF. Yeah. Yeah. TCAF is here at the reference library, which the reference library is amazing. And they have a comic book store attached that you can go to and buy things and support your local, you know, artists and writers. Now more than ever. Now more than ever. Okay, is there anything else here? I really liked the road trip era. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, how it's good, good that was. It's really fucking good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're looking for like just good stuff, if you're looking for fun, good siren content, the road trip era, yeah, seventy-one to ninety-one is kind of is a good sweet stuff. Spot. It's yeah. just like a twenty-issue run that you can blitz through. Yeah. I also think that I'm not huge on the Loeb X Force, yeah. but I think that. 
her Literally. arc with Shatterstar there with the games master. Like it's yes. the Benjamin Russell stuff, which is super confusing, but yeah. Siren stuff in it is good. And then also all of the stuff with her and Jimmy and Risque is good. Yeah. Yeah. I think I thought that was really interesting. And then one last thing on her powers. Cause I, I, I think about this a lot. I think it's super interesting and it could be fun to explore like the other, I think it for her as a person who control is such a thing that she has to have in multiple aspects of her life. Like if she raises her voice and she yells, it's going to turn into the scream and she's going to destroy shit. Right. Right. So like, like the fact that she has to keep herself under control and not yell. And like, what must that sound like when she like cries or sobs, you know what I mean? Like those racking sobs, like that's gotta be like, like, what if that like taps into her like nausea, like inducing thing, you know what I mean? The fact that she's afraid to cry or scream or yell because it could create a sonic disturbance is I think a really interesting thing about the character. Because imagine that limitation on your displays of emotion Mm -hmm. and then imagine what happens to her throughout X-Factor investigations and feeling like if she cries, she'll endanger people. That she can't do that, yeah. Great character. I am really thrilled that we did this episode. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you online and about any work that you want to plug? Obviously, Blade Maidens is coming soon, but feel free to go into whatever you like. So you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Valentine M. Smith um, with a one in the Smith. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, Blade Maidens um, pages will start coming out at the end of the month. Uh, We have a little three page prelude up that you can check out. It's just blademaidens.com. Um, we also have a Twitter and Instagram for that, um, where we do fun things. Zoe did an AMA, uh, the other day, Zoe Tunnell, uh, who is writing. And then today, or I mean, you know, uh, when is this going to, anyway, this week, um, this is coming up. It's I, I'm hoping, I mean, now that it's five fucking hours, I'm I don't so know, sorry. but I, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's my fault too. I've just looked at the clock. It's fucking midnight. It is literally just so you're aware of people. It is 1205 AM. <laughs> Now, it is now October 20th. Love that for us. <laughs> I did two cards for the Wormwood Tarot deck that was released last night at midnight. Um, it'll go to Halloween. Um, it's like over 70 artists. Um, I 100% wormed my way into doing the Ten of Swords. <laughs> <laughs> um, the cool thing about it is that we all illustrated the reverse meanings of the cards. So oh, it's cool. actually a reversal deck, which is super cool. Neat. Yeah. And then uh, there'll be some other things coming out toward the end of the month. But those are those are the big things. You can always find me. I'm always drawing X-Men. <laughs> well, there <laughs> you go. Well, thank you again for being my guest. This was super fun and I enjoyed shrieking with you for these many hours. Thank you for having me back and staying. I'll have you back again. We'll do it again. (laughs) I swear to like with this at this point, I feel like you're a you're a regular. I'll keep making shirts as long as you keep telling me to draw Danes. (laughs) I will. You know, I will. Yeah. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at DreamOfOrganon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus links to the Discord server, the merch store, and the Patreon at CerebroCast.com, the official landing page for the podcast. You can support Cerebro on Patreon at Patreon.com slash CerebroCast. For $5 a month at the House of Zaladane tier, you can get an ad-free version of every episode as soon as they go up. You will also get two bonus episodes each month. As I said earlier, if you have questions about Dust, Warlock, Sauron, or Dr. Valerie Cooper, please send those in to CerebroCast at gmail.com. 
The love for season two has been wild so far, and I'm really grateful. It's really lovely. I am so excited to put out more of these big honking episodes for you guys. And, you know, some that are a more manageable, reasonable length. Um, (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. Listen, this is going to happen, especially when, like, I think with returning guests, there's a much easier rapport. Yeah. We've also become much better friends yeah. since the first time that we did this. You which know? I which I'm very thankful for. You know, me like, too. We talked about it. We didn't have a lot of this like X X-Men friends, you know. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. It's nice to be able to like message somebody about a panel that you saw one time and you're like, Aha! Yeah, like it's just good to have someone to talk to. I mean, yes. today when they announced that Maddie was officially coming back, mm-hmm. like hundreds of people tweeted at me, which was really nice whenever sage appears in something i get sent that and that just fills my heart with so much joy (laughs) yeah it's delightful yeah yeah so thank you all listeners i love my zala gang and until next time thank you for listening and bye bye x-men x-men in the 21st century people mutants led by magneto aim to destroy the world